First Chronicles chapter 1. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Japheth's descendants were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. Gomer's descendants were Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarmah. Javan's descendants were the people from Elisha, Tarshish, Cyprus, and Rhodes. Ham's descendants were Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Cush's descendants were Seba, Havila, Sabta, Rama, and Sabtika. Rama's descendants were Sheba and Dedan. Cush was the father of Nimrod, the first mighty warrior on the earth. Egypt was the ancestor of the Ludites, Anamites, Lehabites, Naphtuhites, Pathrushites, Kasluhites, from whom the Philistines came, and the Kaphtorites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, then Heth, also the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvadites, the Zemarites, and the Hamathites. The descendants of Shem were Elam, Ashur, Arpakshad, Lud, Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Meshech. Arpakshad was the father of Shelah, and Shelah was the father of Eber. Two sons were born to Eber. The name of the one was Peleg, division, because in his day the earth was divided. His brother's name was Joktan. Joktan was the father of Almodad, Shelef, Hazarmaveth, Jera, Hadoram, Uzal, Dikla, Ebal, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were sons of Joktan. Shem, Arpakshad, Shela, Eber, Peleg, Reu, Serug, Nahor, Terah, Abram, that is, Abraham. Abraham's sons were Isaac and Ishmael. This is their list of descendants. Ishmael's firstborn was Nebaoth, then Kedar, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Jetur, Nafish, and Kedema. These were the sons of Ishmael. Keturah, Abraham's concubine, gave birth to the following sons, Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan's sons were Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Midian were Epha, Epher, Hanuk, Abida, and Eldaah. All these were descendants of Keturah. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac's sons were Esau and Israel. Esau's sons were Eliphaz, Reuel, Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. Eliphaz's sons were Teman and Omar. Zephi and Gatam, Kenaz and Amalek, son of Timnah. Reuel's sons were Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Misa. Seir's sons were Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anna, Dishon, Ezer, and Dishan. Lotan's sons were Hori and Homam. Timnah was Lotan's sister. Shobal's sons were Elion, Manahath, Ebal, Shephi, and Onam. Zibion's sons were Aiah and Anna. Anna's sons were Dishon. Dishon's sons were Hamran, Eshbon, Ethron, and Cheran. Azer's sons were Bilhan, Zaavan, and Jaakan. Dishon's sons were Uz and Aran. These were the kings who ruled Edom before any king ruled the people of Israel. Bela, son of Beor, and the name of his capital city was Dinhaba. After Bela died, Jobab, son of Zerah from Bozrah, succeeded him as king. After Jobab died, Husham from the land of the Temanites succeeded him as king. After Husham died, Hadad, son of Bedad, who defeated the Midianites in the country of Moab, succeeded him as king, and the name of his capital city was Avith. 
After Hadad died, Samla from Masreka succeeded him as king. After Samla died, Shaul from Rehoboth on the river succeeded him as king. After Shaul died, Baal Hanan, son of Akbor, succeeded him as king. After Baal Hanan died, Hadad succeeded him as king, and the name of his capital city was Pai. His wife's name was Mehetabel, daughter of Matred, and granddaughter of Mezahab. Then Hadad died. The tribal leaders of Edom were Timnah, Aliah, Jathith, Oholebama, Elah, Hinon, Kenaz, Teman, Mibzar, Magdiel, and Iram. These were the tribal leaders of Edom. First Chronicles chapter 2 these were Israel's sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Judah's sons were Er, Onan, and Shelah. These three were born to him by Bashua, a Canaanite woman. The Lord considered Er, Judah's firstborn, evil, so the Lord killed her. Tamar, Judah's daughter-in-law, gave birth to Judah's son Perez and Zerah. Judah had five sons in all. Perez's sons were Hezron and Hamul. Zerah's sons were Zimri, Athan, Haman, Kalkol, and Dara, five in all. Carmi's son was Akar, who caused trouble for Israel by taking goods that were claimed by God. Ethan's son was Azariah. The sons born to Hezron were Jeramiel, Ram, and Chelubai. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon, leader of Judah's people. Nashon was the father of Salma, and Salma was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed, and Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of Eliab, his firstborn, Abinadab, his second son, Shimeah, his third son, Nathanael, his fourth son, Radai, his fifth son, Ozem, his sixth son, and David, his seventh son. Their sisters were Zeruiah and Abigail. Zeruiah's three sons were Abishai, Joab, and Asahel. Abigail was the mother of Amasa, whose father was Jether, a descendant of Ishmael. Hezron's son was Caleb. Caleb and his wife Azubah had a son named Jerioth. Her other sons were Jesher, Shobab, and Ardon. After Azubah died, Caleb married Ephrath. She gave birth to Hur. Hur was the father of Uri, and Uri was the father of Bezalel. Afterwards, Hezron slept with the daughter of Machir, the man who first settled Gilead. Hezron had married her when he was sixty years old. She gave birth to Segub. Segub was the father of Jair, who had twenty-three towns in Gilead. Geshur and Aram captured Havoth Jair with Canoth and its villages, sixty cities in all. All of these people were descendants of Machir, the man who first settled Gilead. After Hezron died in Caleb Ephrathah, Hezron's wife Abijah gave birth to Ashur, who first settled Tekoa. Jeremiel, the firstborn son of Hezron, fathered Ram, his firstborn, then Buna, Oren, Ozem, and Ahijah. Jeremiel had another wife. Her name was Atara, and she was the mother of Onam. The sons of Ram, the firstborn son of Jeremiel, were Maaz, Jamin, and Eker. Onam's sons were Shammai and Jada. Shammai's sons were Nadab and Abishur. The name of Abishur's wife was Abahail. She gave birth to Aban and Molid. Nadab's sons were Seled and Apaim. But Seled died without children. Apaim's son was Ishi, and Ishi's son was Sheshan, and Sheshan's son was Alai. The sons of Jada, Shammai's brother, were Jether and Jonathan. Jether died without children. 
Jonathan's sons were Peleth and Zaza. These were the descendants of Jeremiel. Sheshan had no sons, but he had daughters. He had an Egyptian slave named Jarha. Sheshan let Jarha marry one of his daughters. She gave birth to Atai. Atai was the father of Nathan. Nathan was the father of Zabad. Zabad was the father of Ephlal. Ephlal was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jehu. Jehu was the father of Azariah. Azariah was the father of Helez. Helez was the father of Eliasa. Eliasa was the father of Sismai. Sismai was the father of Shalom. Shalom was the father of Jechamiah. Jechamiah was the father of Elishama. The descendants of Caleb, Jeremiel's brother, were his firstborn son Mesha, who first settled Ziph, and the sons of Maresha, who first settled Hebron. Hebron's sons were Korah, Tapua, Rechem, and Shema. Shema was the father of Reham, who first settled Jorkiam. Rechem was the father of Shammai. Shammai's son was Maun, who first settled Bethzur. Apha, Caleb's concubine, was the mother of Haran, Moza, and Gazes. Haran was the father of Gazes. Jedai's sons were Regem, Jotham, Geshan, Pelet, Apha, and Shaaf. Maaka, Caleb's concubine, was the mother of Sheber and Tirhana. Also, she was the mother of Shaaf, who first settled Madmana, and of Sheva, who first settled Machbenah and Gibeah. Caleb's daughter was Aksa. These people were the descendants of Caleb. The sons of Hur, the firstborn son of Ephrath, were Shobal, who first settled Kiriath-Jerim, Salma, who first settled Bethlehem, and Haref, who first settled Beth-Gadar. Shobal, who first settled Kiriath-Jerim, had these descendants, Haraway, half of the Manahathites, the families of Kiriath-Jerim, the Ithrites, the Puthites, the Shumathites, and the Mishraites. From these people came the Zorahites and the Eshtaolites. The descendants of Salma, who first settled Bethlehem, were the Netophathites, Atroth, who first settled Beth-Joab, half of the Manahathites, the Zorites, and the families of scribes who lived at Jabez. These families were the people of Tirah, Shimeah, and Sukkah. These people are the Kenites who came from Hamath. They first settled Beth-Rakab. First Chronicles chapter 3 These were David's sons who were born to him while he was in Hebron. His first son was Ammon, born to Ahinoam from Jezreel. The second was Daniel, born to Abigail from Carmel. The third was Absalom, born to Maacah, the daughter of King Talmai, from Geshur. The fourth was Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith. The fifth was Shephatiah, born to Abital. The sixth was Ithream, born to David's wife Egla. Six sons were born to him in Hebron, where he ruled for seven years and six months. He ruled for thirty-three years in Jerusalem. These children were born to David in Jerusalem. Shimeah, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon, the mother of these four, was Amiel's daughter Bashua, and Ibhar, Elishama, Eliphalet, Noga, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphalet, nine by other wives. All of these were David's sons. Besides these, there were the sons of the concubines. Tamar was their sister. Solomon's son was Rehoboam. Rehoboam's son was Abijah. Abijah's son was Asa. Asa's son was Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's son was Joram. Joram's son was Ahaziah. Ahaziah's son was Joash. Joash's son was Amaziah. Amaziah's son was Azariah. Azariah's son was Jotham. Jotham's son was Ahaz. Ahaz's son was Hezekiah. Hezekiah's son was Manasseh. 
Manasseh's son was Ammon, Ammon's son was Josiah. Josiah's firstborn son was Johanan, the second was Jehoiakim, the third was Zedekiah, and the fourth was Shalom. Jehoiakim's son was Jeconiah, whose son was Zedekiah. The descendants of the prisoner Jeconiah were his son Shealtiel, then Malkaram, Pedeiah, Shenezar, Jechamiah, Hoshama, and Nedebiah. Pedeiah's sons were Zerubbabel and Shimei. Zerubbabel's sons were Meshulam and Hananiah, and Shelomith was their sister. There were also five other sons, Ashuba, Ohel, Berechiah, Hasadiah, and Jushab Hesed. Hananiah's sons were Pelatiah and Jeseiah. Jeseiah's son was Rephaiah. Rephaiah's son was Arnon. Arnon's son was Obadiah. Obadiah's son was Shechaniah. Shechaniah's son was Shemaiah. Shemaiah's six sons were Hatush, Egal, Bariah, Neariah, and Shaphat. Neariah's three sons were Elionai, Hizkiah, and Azrikam. Elionai's seven sons were Hodaviah, Eliashib, Peleiah, Akub, Johanan, Deleiah, and Anani. First Chronicles chapter 4. Judah's descendants were Perez, Hezron, Carmi, Hur, and Shobal. Raiah, son of Shobal, was the father of Jehath. Jehath was the father of Ahumai and Lahad. These were the families of the Zorathites. These were the first settlers in Etam, Jezreel, Ishma, and Idhash. Their sister's name was Hazel Lelponi. Penuel was the father of Gedor, and Azer was the father of Husha. These were the sons of Hur, the firstborn of Ephrathah, who first settled Bethlehem. Ashur, who first settled Tekoa, had two wives, Hela and Naara. Naara gave birth to Ahuzam, Hefer, Temeni, and Ha'ahashtari. These were Naara's sons. Hela's sons were Zereth, Izohar, and Ethnan. Boz was the father of Anub and Zobebah, and he was the ancestor of the families of Aharhel, son of Harum. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, painful, because she said that his birth was painful. Jabez prayed to the God of Israel, Please bless me and give me more territory. May your power be with me and free me from evil, so that I will not be in pain. God gave him what he prayed for. Chelub, Shuha's brother, was the father of Mehir, who was the father of Eshton. Eshton was the first to settle beth Rapha. He was the father of Paseah and Tehina, who first settled the city of Nahash. These were the men from Rekha. Kenaz's sons were Othniel and Seraiah. The sons of Othniel were Hahath and Meonothai. Meonothai was the father of Ophrah. Seraiah was the father of Joab, who first settled the valley of craftsmen. It was named this because they were craftsmen. The sons of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, were Eru, Elah, and Naam. Elah's son was Kenaz. Jehalalel's sons were Ziph, Zipha, Tiria, and Azarel. Ezra's sons were Jether, Mered, Efer, and Jalon. His wife gave birth to Miriam, Shammai, and Ishba, who first settled Eshtemoah. His Judean wife was the mother of Jared, who first settled Gedor, Heber, who first settled Sacho, and Jekuthiel, who first settled Zanoah. The sons of Hodiah's wife, the sister of Naham, first settled Keilah of the Garmites and Estamoah of the Maacathites. Shimon's sons were Ammon, Rina, Ben-Hanan, and Tilon. 
Ishi's sons were Zoheth and Ben-Zoheth. The descendants of Shelah, son of Judah, were Er, who first settled Lekah, Laada, who first settled Marashah, families of the guild of linen workers of Beth Ashbeah, Jokim, Joash, Saraf, and the men of Koziba. Saraf ruled Moab and Jashubi Lechem, according to ancient records. They were the potters who lived at Netaim and Gedera. They lived there with the king and did his work. Simeon's sons were Nemuel, Jamim, Jarib, Zerah, and Shaul. Shaul's son was Shalom. Shalom's son was Mibsam. Mibsam's son was Mishma. Mishma's son was Hamuel. Hamuel's son was Zakur. Zakur's son was Shimei. Shimei had sixteen sons and six daughters. But his brothers didn't have many children, so their entire family didn't become as large as the people of Judah. Simeon's descendants lived in Beersheba, Molada, Hazar Shual, Bilha, Azem, Tolad, Bethuel, Homa, Ziklag, Beth Markaboth, Hazar Susim, Beth Biri, and Sha'araim. These were their cities until David became king. Their five cities were Etam, Ain, Rimon, Token, and Ashan. They also had all the villages around these cities as far as the city of Baal. These places were where they lived, and they had their own genealogical records. Meshobab, Jamlek, Josha, son of Amaziah, Joel, Jehu, son of Joshabiah, grandson of Seraiah, and great-grandson of Asiel, Elionai, Jacobah, Jeshohiah, Asaiah, Adiel, Jesimiel, Benaiah, and Ziza, son of Shifi, grandson of Alon, great-grandson of Jediah, a descendant of Shimri and Shemaiah. These who are mentioned by name were leaders in their families, and the number of people in their households increased. They moved to the outskirts of Gedor on the east side of the valley to find pasture for their flocks. They found pasture that was rich and good. The land was vast, peaceful, and quiet, because the Hamites used to live there. In the days of King Hezekiah of Judah, the men listed here knocked down tents and killed the Meunites. They claimed the Meunites for God and destroyed them. Even today, no Meunites live there. They lived in that land in place of the Meunites in order to have pasture for their flocks. Ishi's sons, Pelatiah, Neriah, Rephaiah, and Uziel led five hundred of Simeon's male descendants to Mount Seir. They killed the Amalekites who were left, Simeon's descendants still live there today. First Chronicles chapter 5 These are the sons of Reuben, Israel's firstborn. Although he was the firstborn, his rights as firstborn were given to his nephews, Joseph's sons, because he dishonored his father's bed. However, Joseph couldn't be listed in the genealogy as the firstborn son, even though Judah was more prominent than his brothers, and the prince was to come from him. Joseph received the rights as firstborn. The sons of Reuben, Israel's firstborn, were Hanach, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. Joel's son was Shemaiah. Shemaiah's son was Gog. Gog's son was Shimei. Shimei's son was Micah. Micah's son was Reiah. Reiah's son was Baal. Baal's son was Bira. King Tiglath-Pilnezer of Assyria took him away as a captive. He was leader of the tribe of Reuben. Bira's brothers, according to their families, when they were enrolled in the genealogical records according to their ancestry, were as follows. The first was Jael, then Zechariah, and Bela, son of Azaz, grandson of Shema, and great-grandson of Joel. Reuben's descendants lived in Aruer as far as Nebo and Baal-Meon. 
Some of them lived eastward as far as the edge of the desert that extends to the Euphrates River because they had so much livestock in Gilead. In Saul's day, they fought a war against the Hagrites, defeated them, and lived in their tents throughout the entire region east of Gilead. Gad's descendants lived next to Reuben's descendants in Bashan as far east as Salka. One family descended from Gad's first son, Joel. Another family descended from Gad's second son, Shapham. Other families descended from Gad's sons, Janai and Shaphat in Bashan. Their seven relatives by families were Michael, Meshulam, Sheba, Jorai, Jakan, Zia, and Eber. These were the sons of Abahel, who was the son of Huri, grandson of Joroah, and great-grandson of Gilead. Gilead was the son of Michael, grandson of Jeshashai, great-grandson of Jado, and great-great-grandson of Buz. Ahi, son of Abdel, and grandson of Guni, was the head of their families. They lived in Gilead, in Bashan, and its villages, and in the entire pasture land of Sharon to its extreme edges. All these people were recorded in genealogical records in the days of King Jotham of Judah and King Jeroboam of Israel. The descendants of Ru Reuben, God, and half of the tribe of Manasseh had 44,760 soldiers ready to go to war. They were skilled fighters who could carry shields and swords and shoot arrows. They went to war against Agar's descendants, including Jetur, Nafish, and Nodab, and received help while fighting them. Hagar's descendants and the nations with them were handed over to Reuben's descendants. They had called out to God during the battle, and he answered their prayers because they trusted him. They confiscated the Hagrites' livestock, 50,000 of their camels, 250,000 sheep and goats, and 2,000 donkeys. They captured 100,000 people. Many were killed in battle because this was God's war. Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh lived in the Hagrites' land until the Assyrians captured them. Half of the tribe of Manasseh lived in the land from Bashan to Baal Hermon, Senir, and Mount Hermon. The tribe members were numerous. These were the heads of Manasseh's families, Efer, Ishi, Eliel, Azriel, Jeremiah, Hodaviah, and Jadiel. They were soldiers who were famous heads of their families. But God, Reuben, and half of the tribe of Manasseh were unfaithful to the god of their ancestors. They chased after the gods of the people of the land as if they were prostitutes. God had destroyed these people as the Israelites arrived. Then the God of Israel led King Pul of Assyria, King Tiglath-Pilnizer of Assyria, to take Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh into captivity. He brought them to Hala, Habor, Hara, and the Gozan River. They are still there today. First Chronicles chapter 6 Levi's sons were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Kohath's sons were Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel. Amram's children were Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. Aaron's sons were Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Eleazar was the father of Phinehas. Phinehas was the father of Abishua. Abishua was the father of Buki. Buki was the father of Uzi. Uzi was the father of Zerahiah. Zerahiah was the father of Merioth. Merioth was the father of Amariah. Amariah was the father of Ahitub. Ahitub was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Ahimaaz. Ahimaaz was the father of Azariah. Azariah was the father of Johanan. Johanan was the father of Azariah. He was the one who served as priest in the temple Solomon built in Jerusalem. Azariah was the father of Amariah. Amariah was the father of Ahitub. Ahitub was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Shalom. Shalom was the father of Hilkiah. Hilkiah was the father of Azariah. Azariah was the father of Seraiah. Seraiah was the father of Jehozadak. Jehozadak was taken captive when the Lord used Nebuchadnezzar to take Judah and Jerusalem away into captivity. 
Levi's sons were Gershom, Kohath, and Morari. These are the names of Gershom's sons, Libni and Shimei. Kohath's sons were Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel. Morari's sons were Mali and Mushi. These are the descendants of Levi's sons. They are grouped by families. Gershom's son was Libni. Libni's son was Jahath. Jahath's son was Zima. Zima's son was Joah. Joah's son was Edo. Edo's son was Zerah. Zerah's son was Jiatherai. These were Kohath's descendants. Kohath's son was Aminadab. Aminadab's son was Korah. Korah's son was Asir. Asir's son was Elkanah. Elkanah's son was Ebiasaf. Ebiasaf's son was Asir. Asir's son was Tahath. Tahath's son was Uriel. Uriel's son was Uzziah. Uzziah's son was Shaul. Elkanah's son was Amasai and Ahimoth. Ahimoth's son was Elkanah. Elkanah's son was Zophai. Zophai's son was Nahath. Nahath's son was Eliab. Eliab's son was Jeroham. Jeroham's son was Elkanah. Samuel's sons were Joel, who was his firstborn, and Abijah, who was his second son. These were Merari's descendants. Merari's son was Mali. Mali's son was Libni. Libni's son was Shimei. Shimei's son was Uzzah. Uzzah's son was Shimei. Shimei's son was Haggaiah. Haggaiah's son was Asaiah. David put men in charge of the music in the Lord's temple after the ark was placed there permanently. They served as musicians in the courtyard, in front of the tent of meeting, until Solomon built the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. They performed their duties according to the regulations set down for them. These are the men who served, their descendants also served. The musician Haman was from Kohath's family line. Haman was the son of Joel, who was the son of Samuel, who was the son of Elkanah, who was the son of Jeroham, who was the son of Eliel, who was the son of Toa, who was the son of Zuv, who was the son of Elkanah, who was the son of Mahath, who was the son of Amasai, who was the son of Elkanah, who was the son of Joel, who was the son of Azariah, who was the son of Zephaniah, who was the son of Tahath, who was the son of Asir, who was the son of Ebiasaph, who was the son of Korah, who was the son of Izhar, who was the son of Kohath, who was the son of Levi, who was the son of Israel. Haman's relative Asaph stood on his right. He was the son of Berechiah, who was the son of Shimea, who was the son of Michael, who was the son of Basaiah, who was the son of Malchiah, who was the son of Ethni, who was the son of Zerah, who was the son of Adaiah, who was the son of Athan, who was the son of Zima, who was the son of Shimei, who was the son of Jahath, who was the son of Gershom, who was the son of Levi. On the left was Athan, one of Haman's relatives descended from Merari. Athan was the son of Kishi, who was the son of Abdi, who was the son of Maluk, who was the son of Hashabiah, who was the son of Amaziah, who was the son of Hilkiah, who was the son of Amzi, who was the son of Bani, who was the son of Shemer, who was the son of Mali, who was the son of Mushi, who was the son of Merari, who was the son of Levi. Their relatives, the Levites, were assigned all the other duties in the tent, the house of God. Aaron and his descendants offered sacrifices on the altar for burnt offerings, and on the altar for incense. They did all the work in the most holy place, and removed Israel's sins to make Israel acceptable to God. They did exactly what God's servant Moses had commanded. These were Aaron's descendants. His son was Eleazar. Eleazar's son was Phinehas. Phinehas' son was Abishua. Abishua's son was Buki. Buki's son was Uzi. 
Uzi's son was Zerahiah. Zerahiah's son was Merioth. Merioth's son was Amariah. Amariah's son was Ahitub. Ahitub's son was Zadok. Zadok's son was Ahimaaz. These are the places where Levi's descendants lived, the places where they settled in the territory chosen for them when lots were drawn. The first lot was drawn for the descendants of Aaron from the family descended from Kohath. They were given Hebron in the territory of Judah, as well as the pasture land around it. But the fields belonging to the city and its villages were given to Caleb, son of Jephunneh. Aaron's descendants were given Hebron as a city of refuge, Libna with its pasture land, Jatir, Eshtemoah with its pasture land, Hilan with its pasture land, Debir with its pasture land, Ashan with its pasture land, and Beth Shemesh with its pasture land. From the tribe of Benjamin, Aaron's descendants received Geba with its pasture land, Alameth with its pasture land, and Anathoth with its pasture land. There was a total of thirteen cities for their families. The rest of Kohath's descendants received ten cities chosen by Lot from the families of half of the tribe of Manasseh. The families of Gershom's descendants were given thirteen cities chosen by Lot from the tribes of Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, and the part of the tribe of Manasseh that lived in Bashan. The families of Merari's descendants were given twelve cities chosen by Lot from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Zebulun. So the Israelites gave the Levites the cities with their pasture lands, they gave them the cities chosen by Lot and mentioned here by name from the tribes of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin. Some of the families of Kohath's descendants had cities chosen by Lot from the tribe of Ephraim. They were given these cities of refuge, Shechem with its pasture land in the hills of Ephraim, Gezer with its pasture land, Jokmiam with its pasture land, Betharon with its pasture land, Aijalon with its pasture land, and Gothramon with its pasture land. From half of the tribe of Manasseh they were given Aner with its pasture land, and Biliam with its pasture land for the families of the rest of Kohath's descendants. Gershom's descendants received Golan in Bashan with its pasture land, and Ashtaroth with its pasture land from the families of half of the tribe of Manasseh. From the tribe of Issachar they received Kedesh with its pasture land, Daberath with its pasture land, Ramoth with its pasture land, and Anem with its pasture land. From the tribe of Asher they received Marshal with its pasture land, Abdon with its pasture land, Hukok with its pasture land, and Rehob with its pasture land. From the tribe of Naphtali they received Kadesh and Galilee with its pasture land, Hamon with its pasture land, and Kiriathaim with its pasture land. The rest of Merari's descendants received Rimono with its pasture land and Tabor with its pasture land from the tribe of Zebulun. From the tribe of Reuben, Merari's descendants received land east of the Jordan River and across from Jericho, Bezer in the wilderness with its pasture land, Jaza with its pasture land, Kedemoth with its pasture land, and Mephaath with its pasture land. From the tribe of God, they received Ramoth and Gilead with its pasture land, Mahanaim with its pasture land, Heshbon with its pasture land, and Jazer with its pasture land. First Chronicles chapter 7. Issachar's four sons were Tola, Pua, Jashub, and Shimron. Tola's sons were Uzi, Rephaiah, Jeriel, Jamai, Ibsam, and Shemuel. These men were heads of the families of Tola. They were soldiers grouped according to their ancestry. In David's day there were 22,600 of them. The five descendants of Uzi were Israhiah, and Israhiah's sons Michael, Obadiah, Joel, and Isaiah. All of them were heads of families. 
They had many wives and children, so in addition to these men grouped according to their ancestry and families, there were 36,000 soldiers. Their relatives, that is, all of Issachar's families, were fighting men. A total of 87,000 of them were recorded in the genealogy. Benjamin had three sons, Bela, Becher, and Jediel. Bela's five sons were Esbon, Uzi, Uziel, Jeremoth, and Eri. They were heads of families and fighting men. In the genealogy, 22,034 of them were recorded. Becker's sons were Zemaira, Joash, Eliezer, Elionai, Omri, Jeremoth, Abijah, Anathoth, and Alemeth. These were all of Becker's sons. In the genealogy, 22,200 of them were recorded according to their ancestry, the heads of their families and fighting men. Jeriel's son was Bilhan. Bilhan's sons were Jeush, Benjamin, Ehud, Kenana, Zethan, Tarshish, and Ahishashar. All of these men were Jeriel's descendants. They headed families that produced 17,200 fighting men who could go to war. The Shupites and Hupites were Ur's descendants. The Hushites were descendants of someone else. Naphtali's sons were Jaziel, Guni, Jezer, and Shalom. They were Bilhah's grandsons. Manasseh's sons were Azrael and Machir. Their mother was Manasseh's Aramean concubine. Machir was the first to settle Gilead. He married a wife from the Hupites and Shupites. His wife's name was Maaka. The name of his second son was Zelophehad. Zelophehad had only daughters. Maaka, Machir's wife, had a son, and she named him Peresh. His brother's name was Sheresh, whose sons were Ulam and Rakem. Ulam's son was Bedan. These were the people of Gilead, descendants of Machir, son of Manasseh. Bedan's sister, Hamoleketh, gave birth to Ishhad, Abiezer, and Mala. Shemaiah's sons were Ahayan, Shechem, Lichi, and Anayam. Ephraim's son was Shuthelah. Shuthelah's son was Bered. Bered's son was Tahath. Tahath's son was Elieda. Elieda's son was Tahath. Tahath's son was Zabad. Zabad's son was Shuthelah. Ephraim's sons, Azer and Eliad, were killed by the men of Gath when they came to take their livestock. Their father Ephraim mourned a long time, even though his brothers tried to comfort him. Then he slept with his wife, and she became pregnant. She gave birth to a son, and Ephraim named him Beriah. Tragedy, because tragedy had come to his home. Beriah's daughter was Shira, who built Upper and Lower Betharon and Uzen Shira. Beriah's son was Repha. Repha's son was Reshef. Reshef's son was Tela. Tela's son was Tachan. Tachan's son was Ladan. Ladan's son was Amihud. Amihud's son was Elishama. Elishama's son was Nun. Nun's son was Joshua. The land and homes of Ephraim's descendants were in Bethel and its villages. Naaran to the east, Gezer with its villages to the west, Shechem and its villages, and as far as Gaza and its villages. Next to Manasseh were Bethshean and its villages, Taanak and its villages, Megiddo and its villages, and Dor and its villages. The descendants of Joseph, son of Israel, lived in these cities. Asher's sons were Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, and Bariah. Their sister was Sarah. Bariah's sons were Heber and Malkiel, who first settled Birzaith. Heber was the father of Japhlet, Shomer, Hotham, and their sister Shua. Japhlet's sons were Pasach, Bimhal, and Ashbath. These were Japhlet's sons. The sons of his brother Shomer were Roga, Jehubah, and Aram. His brother Helem's sons were Jophah, 
Imna, Sheleth, and Amal. Zophar's sons were Sua, Harnefer, Shual, Beri, Imra, Bezer, Hod, Shama, Shilsha, Ithran, and Bira. Jether's sons were Jephona, Pispa, and Ara. Ula's sons were Ara, Haniel, and Rizia. All these men were Asher's descendants, heads of their families, outstanding men, soldiers, and distinguished leaders. Their military roster had twenty-six thousand recorded in it. First Chronicles, Chapter 8 Benjamin was the father of Bela, his firstborn, Ashbel, his second son, Ahara, his third son, Noha, his fourth son, and Rapha, his fifth son. Bela's sons were Adar, Gera, Abihud, Abishua, Naaman, Ahoa, Gera, Shephophan, and Huram. These were Ehud's sons, who were heads of the families living in Geba, and who were taken away as captives to Manahath, Naaman, Ahijah, and Gera. Gera led the rest of them away as captives. He was the father of Uzzah and Ahihud. Shaharaim divorced his wives Hushim and Baara. But later in Moab, he and his wife Hodesh had the following sons, Jobab, Zibia, Mesha, Malcolm, Jeuz, Sakia, and Mirma. All of Shaharaim's sons became heads of families. He and Hushim were the parents of Abitub and Elpaal. Elpaal's sons were Eber, Misham, and Shemed, who built Ono, Lod, and Lod's villages. Beriah and Shema were the heads of the families who lived in Aijalon. They forced out the people living in Gath. Their brothers were Shashak and Jeremoth. Beriah's sons were Zebadiah, Arad, Eder, Michael, Ispa, and Joha. Elpal's sons were Zebadiah, Meshulam, Hiski, Heber, Ishmerai, Izliah, and Jobab. Shimei's sons were Jakim, Zikri, Zabdi, Elienai, Zilethai, Eliel, Adiah, Beriah, and Shimrath. Shashak's sons were Ishpan, Eber, Eliel, Abdon, Zikri, Hanan, Hananiah, Elam, Anthothijah, Iftiah, and Penuel. Jeroham's sons were Shamsherai, Sheheriah, Athaliah, Jarashiah, Elijah, and Zikri. These were the heads of families listed by their ancestries. They were the heads of families. They lived in Jerusalem. Jael, who first settled Gibeon, lived in Gibeon, and his wife's name was Maaka. His firstborn son was Abdon, then Zur, Kish, Baal, Nadab, Gedor, Ahio, Zeker, and Mikloth, who was the father of Shimeah. They lived next to their relatives in Jerusalem. Ner was the father of Kish. Kish was the father of Saul. Saul was the father of Jonathan, Melchishua, Abinadab, and Eshbaal. Jonathan's son was Merebaal, and Merebaal was the father of Micah. Micah's sons were Pithon, Melech, Teriah, and Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Jehoada. Jehoada was the father of Alameth, Azmaveth, and Zimri. Zimri was the father of Moza. Moza was the father of Binia. Binia's son was Rapha. Rapha's son was Eliasa. Eliasa's son was Azel. Azel had six sons. Their names were Azrakam, Bokeru, Ishmael, Sheariah, Obadiah, and Hanan. All these men were Azel's sons. His brother Eshek's sons were Ulam, the firstborn, Jeush, the second son, and Eliphalet, the third son. Ulam's sons were soldiers, skilled archers. They had many sons and grandsons, one hundred fifty in all. All of these men were Benjamin's descendants. First Chronicles chapter 9 All Israel was recorded in the genealogies in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. 
The Israelites were taken away to Babylon as captives because they had sinned. The first to settle again on their property in their own cities were some Israelites, the priests, the Levites, and the temple servants. Jerusalem was settled by descendants of Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh. From the descendants of Perez, son of Judah, was Uthai, who was the son of Amihud, grandson of Omri, and great-grandson of Imri. Imri's father was Bani. From the descendants of Shelah were Asaiah, the firstborn, and his sons, and from the descendants of Zerah were Jeoel and their relatives, six hundred ninety in all. From the descendants of Benjamin were Salu, son of Meshulam, grandson of Hodaviah, and great-grandson of Hasanuah. Ibniah, son of Jeroham, Elah, son of Uzi, and grandson of Mikri, and Meshulam, son of Shephatiah, grandson of Reuel, and great-grandson of Ibniah, and their relatives according to their ancestry. All of these men were heads of their families. A total of 956 of them lived in Jerusalem. From the priest were Jeriah, Jehoiarib, Jachin, and Azariah. Azariah was the son of Hilkiah, grandson of Meshulam, and great-grandson of Zadok. Zadok's father was Merioth, the son of Ahitub, the official in charge of God's temple. Also from the priest were Adaiah, son of Jeroham, grandson of Pashur, and great-grandson of Malchiah, and Maasai, son of Adiel, grandson of Jazerah, and great-grandson of Meshulam, whose father was Meshilameth, son of Emir. Their relatives, who were heads of their families, totaled 1,760 soldiers. They served in God's temple and settled in Jerusalem. From the Levites, descended from Merari, were Shemaiah, son of Hashub, grandson of Azrikam, and great-grandson of Hashabiah, Bakbakar, Heresh, Galal, Mataniah, son of Micah, grandson of Zikri, and great-grandson of Asaph, Obadiah, son of Shemaiah, grandson of Galal, and great-grandson of Jeduthun, and Berechiah, son of Asa, and grandson of Elkanah, who lived in the villages belonging to the Netophathites. The gatekeepers were Shalom, Akub, Talmon, Ahiman, and their relatives. Shalom was in charge. Formerly they were stationed at the king's gate on the east side. They were the gatekeepers for the Levite quarters. Shalom, son of Korah, grandson of Abiasaph, great-grandson of Korah, and the members of his family, Korah's descendants, were responsible for serving as watchmen at the entrances to the tent, as their ancestors had been in charge of guarding the entrances to the Lord's camp. Phinehas, Eleazar's son, had been the official in charge of the gatekeepers, and the Lord was with him. Zechariah, son of Meshelamiah, was the keeper at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The men chosen to be gatekeepers at the entrances totaled 212. Their genealogies were recorded in their villages. David and the seer Samuel appointed them to these positions because they were trustworthy. So they and their descendants were assigned to be gatekeepers for the Lord's house, that is, the tent. The gatekeepers were on the four sides, east, west, north, and south. Their relatives had to come from their villages from time to time. They would come to serve under the gatekeeper's supervision for a period of seven days. The four chief Levite gatekeepers were in charge of the rooms and treasures in God's temple because of their faithfulness. They would spend the night stationed around God's temple because they had to guard it and open it every morning. Some of them were in charge of the utensils for worship. They would count them when they brought them in and when they took them out. Other descendants of Korah were placed in charge of the utensils, the holy utensils, the flour, wine, olive oil, incense, and spices. Some of the priest's sons prepared the mixture of spices. Mattathiah, a Levite, the firstborn son of Shalom, Korah's descendant, was entrusted with preparing the flatbread. 
Some of their Kohathite relatives were responsible for setting the bread out in rows every day of worship. These were the musicians who were the heads of the Levite families. They lived in rooms in the temple and were free from other duties because they were on duty day and night. They were the heads of the Levite families according to their ancestry. These head Levites lived in Jerusalem. Jael, who first settled Gibeon, lived in Gibeon, and his wife's name was Maacah. His firstborn son was Abdon. Then Zur, Kish, Baal, Nadab, Kedor, Ahio, Zechariah, and Mikloth. Mikloth was the father of Shimeam. They lived next to their relatives in Jerusalem. Ner was the father of Kish. Kish was the father of Saul. Saul was the father of Jonathan, Malkeshua, Abinadab, and Eshbaal. Jonathan's son was Meribal, and Meribal was the father of Micah. Micah's sons were Pithon, Melech, and Tariah. Ahaz was the father of Jara. Jara was the father of Alemeth, Asmaveth, and Zimri. Zimri was the father of Moza. Moza was the father of Biniah. Biniah's son was Rephaiah. Rephaiah's son was Eliesa. Eliezer's son was Azel. Azel had six sons. Their names were Azrikam, Bokeru, Ishmael, Sheariah, Obadiah, and Hanan. All of these men were Azel's sons. First Chronicles chapter 10. When the Philistines fought against Israel, the men of Israel fled from the Philistines and were killed in battle on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines caught up to Saul and his sons. They killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua, Saul's sons. The heaviest fighting was against Saul. When the archers got him in their range, he was wounded by them. Saul told his armor-bearer, Draw your sword, stab me, or these godless men will come and make fun of me. But his armor-bearer refused, because he was terrified. So Saul took the sword and fell on it. When the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on the sword and died. So Saul, his three sons, and his dynasty died together. When all the people of Israel in the valley saw that their army had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities. So the Philistines came to live in these cities. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his sons lying on Mount Gilboa. They stripped him and took his head and his armor. Then they sent men throughout Philistine territory to tell their idols and the people this good news. They put his armor in the temple of their gods and fastened his head to the temple of Dagon. When all the people of Jabesh-Gilead heard about everything the Philistines had done to Saul, all the fighting men came and took away the dead bodies of Saul and his sons and brought them to Jabesh. They buried the bones under the oak tree in Jabesh. Then they fasted seven days. So Saul died because of his unfaithfulness to the Lord. He did not obey the word of the Lord. He asked a medium to request information from a dead person. He didn't request information from the Lord. So the Lord killed him and turned the kingship over to David, Jesse's son. First Chronicles chapter 11 All Israel gathered around David at Hebron. We are your own flesh and blood, they said. Even in the past, when Saul ruled, you were the one who led Israel on its campaigns to war. The Lord your God has said to you, You will be shepherd of my people Israel, the leader of my people Israel. All the leaders of Israel had come to Hebron. David made an agreement with them at Hebron in front of the Lord. So they anointed David king of Israel, as the Lord had spoken through Samuel. David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, that is Jebus. The Jebusites were living in that region. They told David, You will never get in here. But David captured the fortress Zion, that is, the city of David. Now David said, Whoever is the first to kill a Jebusite will be made a general and a prince. 
Zeruiah's son Joab was the first to go into Jerusalem, so he became the general. David lived in the fortress, so it was called the city of David. He built the city of Jerusalem around it, starting from Milo and making a complete circuit. Joab rebuilt the rest of the city. David continued to grow more powerful because the Lord of armies was with him. Now these were the commanders of David's fighting men who exercised power with him in his kingdom, and with all Israel they made him king according to the Lord's word to Israel. The first of David's fighting men was Jashobiam, son of Hachmon, the leader of the three. He used his spear to kill three hundred men on one occasion. Next in rank to him was Eleazar, another one of the three fighting men. He was the son of Dodo and grandson of Aho. Eleazar was with David at Pasdamim when the Philistines gathered there for battle. There was a field of ripe barley. When the troops fled from the Philistines, they stood in the middle of the field and defended it by killing Philistines. So the Lord saved them with an impressive victory. Once three of the thirty leading men went down to David's rock at the cave of Adullam when the army of the Philistines was camping in the valley of Rephaim. While David was in the fortified camp, Philistine troops were in Bethlehem. David was thirsty and said, I wish I could have a drink of water from the cistern at the city gate of Bethlehem. So the three burst into the Philistine camp and drew water from the cistern. They brought it to David, but he refused to drink it. He poured it out as an offering to the Lord and said, It's unthinkable that I would do this, God. Should I drink the blood of these men who risked their lives? They had to risk their lives to get this water, so he refused to drink it. These are the things which the three fighting men did. Joab's brother Abishai was the leader of the thirty. He used his spear to kill three hundred men, but he was not one of the three, although he was honored more than they were, so he became their captain, but didn't become a member of the three. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was from Kabziel, and was a brave man who did many things. He killed two distinguished soldiers from Moab. He also went into a cistern and killed a lion on the day it snowed. He killed an eight-foot-tall Egyptian. The Egyptian had a spear like a weaver's beam in his hand. But Benaiah went to him with a club, grabbed the spear away from him, and killed him with it. These are the things that Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, did. He was as famous as the three fighting men. He was honored more than the thirty, but he was not a member of the three. David put him in charge of his bodyguards. The distinguished fighting men were Joab's brother Asahel, Elhanan, son of Dodo from Bethlehem, Shamoth from Harod, Helez the Pelonite, Ira, son of Ikesh from Tekoa, Abiezer from Anathoth, Sibekai, son of Hushai, Elai, descendant of Ahochai, Maharai from Netophath, Heled, son of Baana from Netophath, Ithai, son of Ribai, from Gibeah in Benjamin, Benaiah from Pirathon, Hurai from Gaash Ravines, Abiel from Beth Araba, Asmaveth from Bahurim, Eliaba from Shalbon, Benehashem from Gizon, Jonathan, son of Shaga the Hararite, Ahayam, son of Sakar the Hararite, Eliphal, son of Ur, Hefer the Mekerathite, Ahijah the Pelonite, Hezro from Carmel, Naari son of Ezbai, Joel son of Nathan, Mibhar son of Hagri, Zelak from Ammon, Naharai from Beroth, armor-bearer for Zeruiah's son Joab, Ira descendant of Ithra, Gareb descendant of Ithra, Uriah the Hittite, Zabad son of Alai, Adina, son of Shiza, from the tribe of Reuben, who was the leader of the tribe of Reuben, and had his own group of thirty soldiers, Hanan, son of Maacah, 
and Josaphat the Mithnite, Uzziah from Ashtaroth, Shammah and Jael, sons of Hotham, from Aroer, Jediel, son of Shimri, and his brother Jochah the Tizite, Eliel the Mahavite, Jerabai, and Joshaviah, sons of Elam, Ethmah from Moab, Eliel, Obed, and Jaasiel the Mezobite. First Chronicles chapter 12. These are the men who came to David at Ziklag when he was banished by Saul, son of Kish. They were among the soldiers who went into battle with David. They were armed with bows and could sling stones or shoot arrows with either their right or their left hands. They were Saul's relatives from the tribe of Benjamin. Ahiazer was the leader, then Joash. They were the sons of Shemaah from Gibeah, Asmaveth's son Jeziel and Pelet, Berakah and Jehu from Anathoth, Ishmaiah from Gibeon, one of the thirty fighting men and one of their leaders, Jeremiah, Jehaziel, Johanan, and Josabad from Gederah, Eluzai, Jeremoth, Bealiah, Shemariah, and Shephathiah from Haruf, Elkanah, Isaiah, Azarel, Joazer, and Joshobiam, Korah's descendants, and Joelah, and Zebediah, Jeroham's sons from Gedor. Some men left God to join David at the fortified camp in the desert. They were warriors, trained soldiers, able to fight with shields and spears. They looked like lions and were as fast as gazelles on the hills. Azer was the first of these soldiers. The second was Obadiah. The third was Eliab. The fourth was Mishmanah. The fifth was Jeremiah. The sixth was Atai. The seventh was Eliel. The eighth was Johanan. The ninth was Elzabad. The tenth was Jeremiah. The eleventh was Machbanai. These descendants of God were army officers. The least able one was in command of one hundred men and the best one was in command of one thousand. In the first month of the year, these men crossed the Jordan River when it was flooding its banks. They chased away all the people in the valleys to the east and west. Some of the men of Benjamin and Judah came to David at the fortified camp. David went to meet them. He told them, If you've come to help me as friends would, then you may join me. But if you've come to betray me to my enemies, even though I haven't committed a crime, may the God of our ancestors see this and judge you. Then the Spirit gave Amasai, the leader of the thirty, the strength to say, We are yours, David. We are with you, son of Jesse. Success, success to you. Success to those who help you, because your God is helping you. So David welcomed them and made them officers over his troops. Some men from Manasseh had deserted Saul's army to join David when he went with the Philistines to attack Saul. However, David didn't help the Philistines, because their rulers sent him away after considering the matter. They said, It will cost us our heads when he deserts and joins his master Saul. When David went to Ziklag, these men from Manasseh deserted to join him. Adna, Josabad, Jediel, Michael, Josabad, Elihu, and Zilithai. Each one was an officer over one thousand men in Manasseh. They helped David fight raiding parties because they were all warriors, commanders in the army. From day to day, men came to help David until he had an army as large as God's army. These are the numbers of the men equipped for war. The men joined David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingship over to David, as the Lord had said. From Judah's descendants, there were 6,800 men equipped for war. They carried shields and spears. From Simeon's descendants, there were 7,100 warriors. From Levi's descendants there were 4,600, as well as Jehoiada, leader of Aaron's families. With him there were 3,700 men. And Zadok, a young warrior from whose family came 22 officers. 
From Benjamin's descendants, Saul's relatives, there were three thousand men, though most of them remained loyal to Saul's family. From Ephraim's descendants, there were twenty thousand eight hundred warriors who were famous among their families. From half of the tribe of Manasseh, there were eighteen thousand who had been designated by name to make King David. From Issachar's descendants, there were two hundred leaders who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Their relatives were under their command. From Zebulun, there were fifty thousand experienced soldiers. They were equipped for battle with every kind of weapon. Their loyalty was unquestioned. From Naphtali, there were one thousand commanders. With them were thirty-seven thousand who fought with shields and spears. From Dan, there were twenty-eight thousand six hundred ready for battle. From Asher, there were forty thousand experienced soldiers ready for battle. From the east side of the Jordan River, from Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, there were one hundred twenty thousand soldiers ready to fight with all kinds of weapons. All of these soldiers who were prepared for battle came with a single purpose to Hebron, to make David king of all Israel. The rest of Israel also had agreed to make David king. They ate and drank with David for three days, because their relatives in Judah had provided enough for them. Also, their neighbors, as far as the territories of Issachar, Zebulun, and Naphtali, brought food on donkeys, camels, mules, and oxen. There was plenty of flour, fig cakes, raisins, wine, olive oil, cattle, and sheep, because Israel was celebrating. First Chronicles chapter thirteen. David consulted with every officer who commanded a regiment or battalion. Then he told the whole assembly of Israel. If you approve, and if the Lord our God has consented, we will send an invitation to the rest of our relatives in every region of Israel, and to the priests and Levites in their cities and pasture lands, so that they may join us. Then we'll bring back our God's ark, which we ignored while Saul was king. The whole assembly agreed to this because the people considered it the right thing to do. So David gathered all Israel from the Shihor River near Egypt to the border of Hamath in order to bring God's ark from Kiriath-Jerim. David and all Israel went to Baalah in Kiriath-Jerim, which is in Judah, to bring God's ark to Jerusalem. The Lord is enthroned over the angels on the ark where His name is used. David and his men put God's ark on a new cart from Abinadab's home. Uzzah and Ahio guided the cart. David and all Israel were celebrating in God's presence with all their might, with songs, with lyres, harps, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. But when they came to Chidon's threshing floor, the oxen stumbled. So Uzzah reached out to grab the ark. The Lord became angry with Uzzah and killed him for reaching for the ark. He died in God's presence. David was angry because the Lord had struck Uzzah so violently. That place is still called Perez Uzzah, the striking of Uzzah today. David was afraid of God that day. How can I bring God's ark to my city? He asked. So he didn't bring God's ark to his home, the city of David. Instead, he rerouted it to the home of Obed-Edom, who was from Gath. God's ark stayed at the home of Obed-Edom with his family for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom's family and everything he owned. First Chronicles chapter fourteen. King Hiram of Tyre sent messengers to David, along with cedar wood, masons, and carpenters, to build a palace for David. So David realized that the Lord had established him as king of Israel, and that his kingdom was made famous for the sake of Israel, the Lord's people. David married more wives in Jerusalem and fathered more sons and daughters. These are the names of the children who were born to him in Jerusalem: Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Elpelet. Noga, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Bielada, and Eliphelet. 
When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, all of them came to attack David. But David heard about it and went out to meet them. The Philistines had come and raided the valley of Rephaim. David asked God, Should I attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord answered him, Attack, I will hand them over to you. So David and his men attacked and defeated the Philistines at Baal-perazim. David said, Using my power like an overwhelming flood, God has overwhelmed my enemies. That is why they call that place Baal-perazim, the Lord overwhelms. The Philistines left their gods there, so David ordered that the gods be burned. The Philistines again raided the valley. Once more David asked God. God answered him, Don't go after them. Circle around and come at them in front of the balsam trees. As you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then go out and fight, because God has gone ahead of you to defeat the Philistine army. David did as God ordered him, and his men defeated the Philistine army from Gibeon to Gezer. David's fame spread through all lands, and the Lord made all the nations fear him. First Chronicles chapter 15 After David constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for God's ark and set up a tent for it. Then David insisted that only the Levites carry God's ark, because the Lord had chosen them to carry his ark and to serve him forever. David called together all Israel at Jerusalem to bring the Lord's ark to the place he had prepared for it. David also called together Aaron's descendants and the Levites. Leading Kohath's descendants was Uriel, who came with 120 of his relatives. Leading Merari's descendants was Asaiah, who came with 220 of his relatives. Leading Gershom's descendants was Joel, who came with 130 of his relatives. Leading Elisaphan's descendants was Shemaiah, who came with 200 of his relatives. Leading Hebron's descendants was Eliel, who came with 80 of his relatives. Leading Uziel's descendants was Aminadab, who came with 112 of his relatives. David called for the priests Zadok and Abiathar, and for the Levites Uriel, Asaiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Aminadab. He said to them, You are the heads of the Levite families. You and your relatives must perform the ceremonies to make yourselves holy. Then bring the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I prepared for it. Because you weren't there the first time, the Lord our God struck us. We hadn't dedicated our lives to serving Him in the way He designated. So the priests and the Levites made themselves holy in order to move the ark of the Lord God of Israel. The Levites carried God's ark on their shoulders. They used poles as Moses had commanded according to the Lord's instructions. David told the Levite leaders to appoint some of their relatives to serve as musicians. They were expected to play music on harps, lyres, and cymbals to produce joyful music for singing. So the Levites appointed Haman, son of Joel, and from his relatives they appointed Asaph, Berechiah's son. From their own relatives, Marari's descendants, they appointed Athan, son of Cushaiah. In addition, they appointed their relatives from the second division, Zechariah, Jaziel, Shemiramoth, Jehiel, Uni, Eliab, Beniah, Maaseiah, Mattathiah, Eliphelehu, and Mikneiah. Obed-Edom and Jael were appointed gatekeepers. The musicians Haman, Asaph, and Athan were appointed to play bronze cymbals. Zechariah, Jaziel, Shemiramoth, Jehiel, Uni, Eliab, Maaseiah, and Benaiah were appointed to play harps according to Alamoth.
Mattathiah, Eliphalehu, Mikneiah, Obed-Edom, Jael, and Azaziah were appointed to play lyres and to conduct the Sheminith. Kenaniah, a Levite leader, instructed others how to sing prophetic songs, because he was skilled at it. Berechiah and Elkanah were gatekeepers for the ark. The priests Shebaniah, Josaphat, Nethanel, Amasai, Zechariah, Benaiah, and Eliezer blew trumpets in front of God's ark. Obed-Edom and Jehiah were doorkeepers for the ark. So David, the leaders of Israel, and the army's commanders joyfully went to get the ark of the Lord's promise from Obed-Edom's house. Because God helped the Levites who carried the ark of the Lord's promise, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. David was dressed in a fine linen robe, as were all the Levites who carried the ark, the Levites who were singers, and Chenaniah, the leader of the musicians, prophetic songs. David also wore a linen ephod. All Israel brought the ark of the Lord's promise with shouts of joy and the sounding of ram's horns, trumpets, cymbals, harps, and lyres. When the ark of the Lord's promise came to the city of David, Saul's daughter Michal looked out of a window and saw King David dancing and celebrating, so she despised him. First Chronicles chapter 16 The men carrying the ark set it inside the tent David had put up for it. They presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings in God's presence. When David had finished sacrificing burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. He also distributed to every person in Israel, both men and women, a loaf of bread, a date cake, and a raisin cake. David appointed some Levites to serve in front of the Lord's ark by offering prayers, thanks, and praise to the Lord God of Israel. Asaph was the head, Zechariah was second, then Jael, Shemeramoth, Jehiel, Mattathiah, Eliab, Benaiah, Obed-Edom, and Jael, with harps and lyres. Asaph played the cymbals. The priest Benaiah and Jehaziel played trumpets all the time in front of the ark of God's promise. For the first time David entrusted Asaph and his relatives with the task of singing songs of thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, make music to praise him, meditate on all the miracles he has done. Brag about his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Search for the Lord and his strength. Always seek his presence. Remember the miracles he performed, the amazing things he did, and the judgments he pronounced. You descendants of Israel, his servant, you descendants of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are pronounced throughout the earth. Remember his promise forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the promise that he made to Abraham and his sworn promise to Isaac. He confirmed it as a law for Jacob, as an everlasting promise to Israel, by saying, I will give you Canaan. It is your share of the inheritance. While they were few in number, a small group of foreigners living in that land, they wandered from nation to nation and from one kingdom to another. He didn't permit anyone to oppress them. He warned kings about them, Do not touch my anointed ones or harm my prophets. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Day after day announce that the Lord saves his people. Tell people about his glory. Tell all the nations about his miracles. The Lord is great. He should be highly praised. He should be feared more than all other gods, because all the gods of the nations are idols. The Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are in His presence. Strength and joy are where He is. 
Give to the Lord, you families of the nations. Give to the Lord glory and power. Give to the Lord the glory His name deserves. Bring an offering and come to Him. Worship the Lord in His holy splendor. Tremble in His presence all the earth. The earth stands firm, it cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice and the earth be glad. Say to the nations, The Lord rules as King. Let the sea and everything in it roar like thunder. Let the fields and everything in them rejoice. Then the trees in the forest will sing with joy in the presence of the Lord when He comes to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord because He is good, because His mercy endures forever. Say, Rescue us, O God, our Savior. Gather us and save us from the nations, so that we may give thanks to Your holy name and make Your praise our glory. Thanks be to the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. David left Asaph and his relatives to serve continually in front of the ark of the Lord's promise, as the daily work required. David also left Obed-Edom and sixty-eight of his relatives to serve there. Obed-Edom, Jeduthun's son, and Hosea were to be gatekeepers. David left Zadok and his priestly relatives to serve in the Lord's tent at the place of worship in Gibeon. They were ordered to sacrifice burnt offerings to the Lord. This happened on the altar of burnt offerings continually, morning and evening, as written in the Lord's teachings that He gave Israel. With Zadok and his relatives were Haman, Jeduthun, and the rest of the Levites who had been selected, chosen by name, to give thanks to the Lord by singing. His mercy endures forever. Also, Haman and Jeduthun played trumpets, cymbals, and the other musical instruments that accompany sacred songs. Jeduthun's sons were stationed at the gate. Then all the people went home. David went back to bless his family. First Chronicles chapter 17 When David was living in his house, he said to the prophet Nathan, I'm living in a house made of cedar, while the ark of the Lord's promise is inside a tent. Nathan told David, Do everything you have in mind, because God is with you. But that same night God spoke his word to Nathan. Say to David, my servant, This is what the Lord says. You must not build this house for me to live in. I haven't lived in a house from the day I brought Israel out of Egypt to this day, but I've gone from tent site to tent site, moving the tent of meeting from one location to another. In all the places I've moved with all Israel did I ever ask any of the judges of Israel, whom I ordered to be shepherds of my people, why they didn't build me a house of cedar? Now this is what you will say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of armies says. I took you from the pasture where you followed sheep, so that you could be the leader of my people Israel. I was with you wherever you went, and I destroyed all your enemies in front of you. I will make your name like the names of the greatest people on earth. I will make a place for my people Israel, and plant them there. They will live in their own place, and not be troubled any more. The wicked will no longer frighten them as they used to do ever since I appointed judges to rule my people Israel. I will crush all your enemies, I even tell you that I, the Lord, will build a house for you. When the time comes for you to go and be with your ancestors, I will send one of your descendants. He will be one of your sons. I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. And I will never stop showing him my love, as I did to your predecessor. I will place him in my royal house forever and his throne will be established forever. Nathan told David all these words and everything he had seen. 
Then King David went into the tent and sat in front of the Lord. Who am I, Lord God? he asked. And why is my house so important that you have brought me this far? And this you consider to be a small act, God. You've spoken about the distant future of my house. Lord God, you've shown me the generation of the great man. What more can I do for you in light of the honor you have given to me, and since you know me so well? Lord, you've done this great thing for my sake and your own desire. You made this great thing known to me. Lord, there is no one like you, and there is no other God except you, as we have heard with our own ears. Who is like your people, Israel? It is the one nation on earth that God came to free in order to make its people his own, to make your name known, and to do great and wonderful things for them. You forced the nations and their gods out of the way of your people, whom you freed from Egypt. You made the people of Israel to be your people forever, and you, Lord, became their God. Now, Lord, faithfully keep the promise you made to me and my house forever. Do as you promised. Your name will endure and be respected forever when people say, The Lord of armies, the God of Israel, is Israel's God, and the house of David, your servant, will be established in your presence. You, my God, have revealed especially to me that you will build me a house. That is why I have found the courage to pray to you. Almighty Lord, you are God. You promised me this good thing. Now you were pleased to bless my house so that it may continue in your presence forever. Indeed, you, Lord, have blessed it. It will be blessed forever. First Chronicles chapter 18 After this David defeated and crossed the Philistines. He took Goth and its surrounding villages from them. He also defeated Moab, and the Moabites became David's subjects and paid taxes to him. When David went to establish his control over the territory along the Euphrates River, he defeated King Hadadezer at Hama. David took 1,000 chariots, 7,000 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers from him. David also disabled all but 100 of their horses so that they couldn't pull chariots. When the Arameans from Damascus came to help King Hadadezer of Zobah, David killed 22,000 of them. David put troops in the Aramean kingdom of Damascus, and the Arameans became his subjects and paid taxes to him. Everywhere David went, the Lord gave him victories. David took the gold shields that Hadadezer's servants carried, and he brought them to Jerusalem. David also took a large quantity of bronze from Tiboth and Kun, Hadadezer's cities. Later Solomon used it to make the pool, pillars, and utensils for the temple. When King Tau of Hamath heard that David had defeated the whole army of Zobah's king Hadadezer, he sent his son Hadoram to greet King David and congratulate him for fighting and defeating Hadadezer. There had often been war between Hadadezer and Tau. King David dedicated all the articles of gold, silver, and bronze to the Lord, along with the silver and gold he had taken from other nations, from Edom, Moab, Ammon, the Philistines, and Amalek. Zeruiah's son Abishai killed 18,000 Edomites in the Dead Sea region. He put troops in Edom, and all its people became David's subjects. Everywhere David went, the Lord gave him victories. So David ruled all Israel. He did what was fair and right for all his people. Zeruiah's son Joab was in charge of the army. Ahilud's son Jehoshaphat was the royal historian. Ahitub's son Zadok and Abiathar's son Abimelech were priests. Shavshah was the royal scribe. Jehoiada's son Benaiah was commander of the Kerithites and the Pelethites. 
and David's sons were his main officials. First Chronicles chapter 19. Later King Nahash of Ammon died, and his son became king in his place. David thought, I will show kindness to Hanun, because his father Nahash showed me kindness. So David sent messengers to comfort Hanun after his father's death. But when David's servants entered Ammonite territory to comfort Nahash, the Ammonite princes asked Hanun, Do you think David is honoring your father because he sent men to comfort you? Haven't his servants come to explore, destroy, and spy on the country? So Hanun took David's men, shaved them, cut off their clothes from the waist down, and sent them away. After people told David what had happened to the men, he sent someone to meet them, because they were deeply humiliated. The king said to them, Stay in Jericho until your beards have grown back, and then return to Jerusalem. The Ammonites realized that they had made themselves offensive to David. So Hanun and the Ammonites sent seventy-five thousand pounds of silver to hire chariots and horses from the Arameans in Upper Mesopotamia, Maaka, and Zobah. They hired thirty-two thousand chariots, and the king of Maaka with his army. They camped near Medeba. The Ammonites gathered for the battle from their cities. After David heard about this, he sent Joab and all the elite troops. The Ammonites formed a battle line at the entrance of the city, while the Arameans from Zobah and Rehob and the kings who had come remained by themselves in the open country. When Joab saw he was under attack in front and behind, he took the select troops of Israel and organized them for combat against the Arameans. He put his brother Abishai in charge of the rest of the troops. They organized for combat against the Ammonites. Joab said, If the Arameans are too strong for my troops, be ready to help me. And if the Ammonites are too strong for your troops, I'll help you. Be strong. Let's prove ourselves strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And the Lord will do what he considers right. Then Joab and his troops advanced to fight the Arameans, and the Arameans fled. When the Ammonites saw that the Arameans had fled, they too fled from Joab's brother Abishai and went into the city. So Joab returned to Jerusalem. Realizing that Israel had defeated them, the king sent messengers to get other Arameans from beyond the Euphrates River. Shofak, the commander of Hadadezer's army, led them. When David was told about this, he assembled Israel's army, crossed the Jordan, and confronted them. David formed a battle line against the Arameans, and they fought him. The Arameans fled from Israel, and David killed 7,000 chariot drivers and 40,000 foot soldiers. David also killed Shofak. When all the kings who were subject to Hadadezer saw that Israel had defeated them, they made peace with David and became his subjects, and the Arameans were no longer willing to help the Ammonites. First Chronicles chapter 20 In the spring, the time when kings go out to battle, Joab led the army to war. They destroyed the Ammonites and came to Rabbah to attack it while David stayed in Jerusalem. Joab defeated Rabbah and tore it down. He took the gold crown from the head of Rabbah's king and put it on David's head. The crown was found to weigh seventy-five pounds, and in it was a precious stone. David also took a lot of goods from the city. He brought out the troops who were there and put them to work with saws, hoes, and axes. He did the same to all the Ammonite cities. Then David and all the troops returned to Jerusalem. After this, war broke out with the Philistines at Gezer. Then Sibekai from Husha killed Supai, a descendant of Harapha, and the Philistines were defeated. When more fighting broke out with the Philistines, Elhanan, son of Jair, killed Lami, the brother of Goliath from Gath. 
The shaft of Lamy's spear was like a beam used by weavers. In another battle at Goth, there was a tall man who had twenty-four fingers and toes, six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. He also was a descendant of Harapha. When he challenged Israel, Jonathan, son of David's brother Shimea, killed him. These men were the descendants of Harapha from Gath, and David and his men killed them. First Chronicles chapter 21 Satan attempted to attack Israel by provoking David to count the Israelites. David said to Joab and the leaders of the people, Go, count Israel from Beersheba to Dan. Bring me the results, so that I may know how many people there are. Joab responded, May the Lord multiply his people a hundred times over. But your majesty, aren't they all your servants? Why are you trying to do this? Why do you wish to make Israel guilty of this sin? However, the king overruled Joab. So Joab left, went throughout Israel, and returned to Jerusalem. Joab reported the census figures to David. In Israel there were one million one hundred thousand men who could serve in the army, and in Judah there were four hundred seventy thousand who could serve in the army. Joab didn't include Levi and Benjamin in the number, because he was disgusted with the king's order. God considered the census to be sinful, so he struck Israel with a plague. David said to God, I have committed a terrible sin by doing this thing. Forgive me, because I have acted very foolishly. The Lord spoke to God, David's ear, Go and tell David this is what the Lord says. I'm offering you three choices. Choose the one you want me to do to you. When God came to David, he said, This is what the Lord says. Take your pick, either three years of famine, or three months during which your enemies will chase you away when their swords catch up to you, or three days of the Lord's sword, a plague in the land with a messenger of the Lord destroying the whole country of Israel. Decide what answer I should give the one who sent me. I'm in a desperate situation, David told God. Please let me fall into the Lord's hands, because he is extremely merciful, but don't let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel, and seventy thousand Israelites died. God also sent a messenger to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was destroying it, the Lord reconsidered and changed his mind about the disaster. Enough, he said to the destroying messenger. Put down your weapon. The messenger of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. When David looked up, he saw the messenger of the Lord standing between heaven and earth. The messenger had a sword in his hand and stretched it over Jerusalem. David and the leaders were dressed in sackcloth. They bowed down with their faces touching the ground. David said to God, I'm the one who ordered the people to be counted. I am the one who sinned and did wrong. What have these sheep done? Lord my God, let your punishment be against me and my father's family, but don't punish your people with a plague. The Lord's messenger told God to tell David to go and set up an altar for the Lord at Ornan, the Jebusite's threshing floor. David went as God had told him in the Lord's name. Now Ornan had turned around and seen the messenger. Ornan's four sons who were with him hid, but Ornan kept on threshing the wheat. When David arrived, Ornan looked up and saw him. So he left the threshing floor and bowed down with his face touching the ground in front of David. David said to Ornan, Let me have the land this threshing floor is on. I'll build an altar for the Lord on it. Sell it to me for the full price. Then the plague on the people will stop. Ornan said to David, Take it, your majesty, and do whatever you think is right. I'll give you oxen for the burnt offering, threshers for firewood, and wheat for the grain offering. I'll give you everything. 
No, King David told Ornan, I insist on buying it for the full price. I won't take what is yours for the Lord and offer burnt sacrifices that cost me nothing. So David gave Ornan fifteen pounds of gold for that place. David built an altar for the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. He called on the Lord, and the Lord answered him by sending fire from heaven on the altar for burnt offerings. So the Lord spoke to the messenger, and he put his sword back in its scabbard. At that time, when David saw the Lord had answered him at the threshing floor of On on the Jebusite, he offered sacrifices there. The Lord's tent that Moses made in the desert and the altar for burnt offerings were at the worship site at Gibeon. However, David couldn't go there to consult God because he was frightened by the sword of the Lord's messenger. First Chronicles chapter 22. Then David said, This is where the Lord God's temple will be. Israel's altar for burnt offerings will also be here. David ordered the foreigners living in Israel to gather. He appointed some of them to cut stones to build God's temple. David prepared a large quantity of iron for nails and fittings on the doors of the gates. He also prepared so much bronze that it couldn't be weighed. The men of Sidon and Tyre brought David so many cedar logs that the logs couldn't be counted. David thought, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the temple that will be built for the Lord must be magnificent, large, famous, praised, and honored in all other countries. I'll prepare the building materials for him. So David prepared many materials for Solomon before he died. He summoned his son Solomon and commanded him to build a temple for the Lord God of Israel. David told his son Solomon, I had my heart set on building a temple for the name of the Lord my God. But the Lord spoke his word to me by saying, You have caused a lot of bloodshed and fought in a lot of wars. You must not build a temple for my name, because you have caused so much bloodshed in my presence. You will have a son who will be a peaceful man. I will give him peace from all the enemies around him. His name will be Solomon, peace. And in his time I will give Israel peace and quiet. He will build a temple for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish the throne of his kingdom permanently over Israel. David continued, Now, son, the Lord will be with you. You will be successful, and you will build the temple of the Lord your God as he predicted you would. The Lord will give you insight and understanding as he commands you to take charge of Israel and to follow the teachings of the Lord your God. Then you will succeed if you will carefully obey the laws and decrees the Lord commanded Moses to give to Israel. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified. Despite my troubles, I've made preparations for the Lord's temple. There are 7,500,000 pounds of gold, 75 million pounds of silver, and so much bronze and iron that it can't be weighed. I've also prepared wood and stone, and you may add to them. You have many kinds of workers, stone cutters, masons, carpenters, and men skilled in every kind of work. The gold, silver, bronze, and iron are more than can be counted. So get to work. May the Lord be with you. David ordered all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon. David said, Isn't the Lord your God with you? Hasn't he given you peace with all your neighbors? He put the people who live in this country under my power, and the country has been conquered by the Lord and his people. So dedicate your hearts and lives to serving the Lord your God. Start building the holy place of the Lord God so that you can bring the ark of the Lord's promise and God's holy utensils into the temple that will be built for the Lord's name. First Chronicles chapter 23. When David had grown old and had lived out his years, he made his son Solomon king of Israel. 
he gathered all the officials of Israel and the priests and Levites. Every male Levite who was at least thirty years old was counted. There were thirty-eight thousand. Of these, twenty-four thousand were appointed to supervise the work on the Lord's temple. Six thousand were appointed to be officers and judges. Four thousand were appointed to be gatekeepers. And four thousand were appointed to praise the Lord with the instruments David had made for praising God. David organized the Levites into divisions based on which of Levi's sons, Gershon, Kohath, or Merari, they were descended from. Ladan and Shimei were Gershon's descendants. Ladan had three sons. Jehiel was the first, then Zetham and Joel. Shimei had three sons, Shelomith, Haziel, and Haran. They were the heads of Ladan's families. Shimei's sons were Jehath, Zena, Jeush, and Beriah. They were Shemei's four sons. Jehath was the first, and Ziza was the second. Jeush and Beriah didn't have many sons, so they were given an assignment as one family. Kohath had four sons, Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel. Amram's sons were Aaron and Moses. Aaron and his sons were forever designated to dedicate the most holy things to God, to offer sacrifices to the Lord, to serve Him, and always give the blessing in His name. The sons of Moses, the man of God, were counted with the tribe of Levi. Moses' sons were Gershom and Eliezer. Gershom's only son was Shebuel. Eliezer's only son was Rehabiah. Eliezer had no other sons, but Rehabiah had many sons. Ishar's only son was Shelomith. Hebron's first son was Jeriah. His second was Amariah. His third was Jehaziel. His fourth was Jechamiam. Uziel's first son was Micah, his second was Ishiah. Merari's sons were Mali and Mushi. Mali's sons were Eleazar and Kish. Eleazar died without having any sons. He only had daughters. Their cousins, the sons of Kish, married them. Mushi had three sons, Mali, Eder, and Jeremoth. These were Levi's descendants who were grouped according to their families. The heads of their families were registered by name as they were counted. Everyone who served in the Lord's temple was at least twenty years old. David had said, The Lord God of Israel has given his people rest. He will now live in Jerusalem forever. The Levites will no longer have to carry the tent and all the utensils used in worship. David's last instructions were to count the Levites who were at least twenty years old. They were appointed to stand beside Aaron's descendants to serve in the Lord's temple. They were appointed to be in charge of the courtyards and the temple rooms to ensure that all the holy things were clean and to serve in God's temple. They were also responsible for the rows of bread, the flour for the grain offerings, the unleavened bread wafers, and the bread made in frying pans. In addition, they were responsible for mixing the ingredients and keeping track of all weights and measures. They were appointed to stand to give thanks and praise to the Lord every morning. They were appointed to do the same thing in the evening. They were appointed to stand in front of the Lord in the required numbers whenever burnt offerings were made on weekly worship days, at new moon festivals, and on appointed annual festivals. They were appointed to follow the regulations for the tent of meeting and the holy place and to help their relatives, Aaron's descendants, as they served in the Lord's temple. First Chronicles chapter 24 The divisions of Aaron's descendants were as follows. Aaron's sons were Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. Nadab and Abihu died before their father died, and neither had any children. So Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests. David, Eleazar's descendant Zadok, and Ithamar's descendant Ahimelech, divided Aaron's descendants into groups for service. 
Since Eleazar's descendants had more men who were family heads than Ithamar's descendants, they were divided so that Eleazar's descendants had sixteen family leaders, and Ithamar's descendants had eight family leaders. Both groups were divided impartially by drawing lots, so that there were officers for the holy place, and officers for God among both Eleazar's and Ithamar's descendants. The scribe Shemaiah was a son of Nathanael and a descendant of Levi. Shemaiah recorded their names in the presence of the king, the princes, the priest Zadok, Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, and the family leaders of the priests and Levites. One family was chosen for Eleazar, another for Ithamar. The first lot drawn was for Jehoiarib, the second for Jediah, the third for Harim, the fourth for Seorim, the fifth for Malchiah, the sixth for Mijamin, the seventh for Hakoz, the eighth for Abijah, the ninth for Jeshua, the tenth for Shechaniah, the eleventh for Eliashib, the twelfth for Jakim, the thirteenth for Hupa, the fourteenth for Jeshabiab, the fifteenth for Bilga, the sixteenth for Imer, the seventeenth for Hezir, the eighteenth for Hapizez, the nineteenth for Pethahiah, the twentieth for Jehezkel, the twenty-first for Jakin, the twenty-second for Gamul, the twenty-third for Deleiah, the twenty-fourth for Maaziah. These were their priestly groups when they went to serve at the Lord's temple. Their ancestor Aaron made these rules for them, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded him. The following men were leaders for Levi's descendants from Kohath. Jediah for Amram's descendants through Shubael, Isaiah for Amram's descendants through Rahabiah, Jehath for Isar's descendants through Shelemoth, Jeriah for Hebron's descendants, Amariah the second of Hebron's descendants, Jehaziel the third of Hebron's descendants, Jakamiam the fourth of Hebron's descendants, Shamir for Uziel's descendants through Micah, and Zechariah for Uziel's descendants through Micah's brother Ishiah. The following men were leaders from Levi's descendants from Marari, Mali, Mushi, and Marari's son, Jaaziah, Shoham, Zakur, and Ibri for Marari's descendants through his son, Jaaziah, Eleazar, who had no sons, for Mali's descendants, Jeramiel for Mali's descendants through Kish, Mali, Eder, and Jeremoth for Mushi's descendants. These were Levi's descendants according to their families. They drew lots as their relatives, Aaron's descendants, had done. They drew them in front of King David, Zadok, Ahimelech, and the leaders of the families of the priests and Levites. The families of the oldest brother were treated the same way as those of the youngest. First Chronicles chapter 25 David and the army commanders appointed the sons of Asaph, Haman, and Jeduthun to serve as prophets with lyres, harps, and cymbals. This is the list of the men who performed this service. From the sons of Asaph were Zakur, Joseph, Nethaniah, and Asherelah. They were directed by Asaph, who served as a prophet under the king's direction. From the sons of Jeduthun were Gedaliah, Zeri, Jeshiah, Shemiah, Hashabiah, Mattathiah. The six brothers were directed by their father, the prophet Jeduthun. They thanked and praised the Lord as they played lyres. From the sons of Haman were Bukiah, Mataniah, Uziel, Shebuel, Jeremoth, Hananiah, Hanani, Eliatha, Gidalti, Romamti, Ezer, Joshbekasha, Malothi, Hothir, and Mahazayoth. All of them were the sons of the king seer Haman. They were given to him to make him prominent, as God had promised. So God gave Haman fourteen sons and three daughters. 
All these Levites sang at the Lord's temple under the direction of their fathers Asaph, Jeduthun, and Haman. They played cymbals, lyres, and harps for worship in God's temple under the direction of the king. They, along with their relatives, were trained, skilled musicians for the Lord. There were 288 of them. They drew lots for their assignment of duties, the youngest as well as the oldest, the skilled musicians, along with the students. The first lot drawn chose Joseph, the son of Asaph. The second chose Gedaliah, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The third chose Zakur, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The fourth chose Izri, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The fifth chose Nathaniah, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The sixth chose Bukiah, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The seventh chose Jesarela, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The eighth chose Jeshaiah, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The ninth chose Mataniah, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The tenth chose Shimei, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The eleventh chose Azarel, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The twelfth chose Hashabiah, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The thirteenth chose Shubael, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The fourteenth chose Mattathiah, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The fifteenth chose Jeremoth, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The sixteenth chose Hananiah, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The seventeenth chose Joshbekasha, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The eighteenth chose Hanani, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The nineteenth chose Malothi, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The twentieth chose Elitha, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The twenty-first chose Hothir, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The twenty-second chose Gidalti, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The twenty-third chose Mahazioth, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. The twenty-fourth chose Romamti, Azer, his sons and his relatives, twelve men. First Chronicles chapter 26. The following were the divisions of the gatekeepers. For Korah's descendants there was Meshelamiah, the son of Korah, from the descendants of Asaph. Meshelamiah's sons were Zechariah, the firstborn, Jediel, the second, Zebediah, the third, Jothniel, the fourth, Elam, the fifth, Jehohanan, the sixth, and Eliehonai, the seventh. Also, for Korah's descendants, there were Obed-Edom's sons, Shemaiah the firstborn, Jehozabad the second, Joah the third, Sakar the fourth, Nethanel the fifth, Amiel the sixth, Issachar the seventh, and Pulethai the eighth. God had blessed Obed-Edom. His son Shemaiah had sons who ruled their families because they were soldiers. Shemaiah's sons were Othni, and Othni's skilled brothers, Raphael, Obed, Elzabad, as well as Elihu and Shemachiah. All of these people were Obed-Edom's descendants. They, their sons, and their relatives were skilled and had the ability to perform the service. Obed-Edom's family included sixty-two men. Meshelamiah's sons and relatives were eighteen skilled men. From the descendants of Merari, there were Hosa's sons. Shimri was the head, although he was not the firstborn. His father appointed him head. Hosha's other sons were Hilkiah the second, Tabaliah the third, and Zechariah the fourth. There were thirteen sons and relatives of Hosa. These divisions of gatekeepers through their head men were assigned duties with their relatives to serve in the Lord's temple. They drew lots by families, youngest and oldest alike, for every gate. Shelemiah was chosen for the east side. His son Zechariah, a counselor who displayed insight, was chosen for the north side. 
Obed-Edom was chosen for the south side, and his sons were chosen for the storerooms. Shupim and Hosa were chosen for the west side with Shalaketh gate at the gateway that goes to the palace. One squad of guards served its watch after another. On the east side there were six Levites, on the north there were four every day, on the south there were four every day, at the storerooms there were four, two at each entrance. At the courtyard on the west there were four Levites at the gateway to the palace, and two at the courtyard itself. These were the divisions of the gatekeepers among Korah's and Marari's descendants. Ahijah, a Levite, was in charge of the treasuries in God's temple and the treasuries of the gifts dedicated to God. There were also the descendants of Ladan, who was descended from Gershon. Those who served for Ladan, the descendant of Gershon, were the heads of Ladan's families, Jehiel and Jehiel's sons, Zatham and Joel. They were in charge of the treasuries in the Lord's temple. For the descendants of Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel, there was Shebuel, a descendant of Moses' son Gershom. He was the highest-ranking official in charge of the treasuries. From his relatives on Eliezer's side of the family was Shelomith. Eliezer's son was Rahabiah. His grandson was Jeshiah. His great-grandson was Joram. Joram's son was Zikri. His grandson was Shelomith. He and his relatives were in charge of all the treasuries of the gifts dedicated to God that King David, the heads of the families, the commanders of regiments and battalions, and the commanders of the army had donated. They had donated some of the loot taken in battle to support the Lord's temple. Everything that Samuel the seer, Saul son of Kish, Abner son of Ner, and Joab son of Zeruiah had donated, everything that had been donated was under the supervision of Shelomith and his relatives. From Ishar's descendants, Kenaniah and his sons were assigned duties. They served as officials and judges outside the temple in Israel. From Hebron's descendants, Hashabiah and his 1,700 skilled male relatives were appointed to serve Israel west of the Jordan River. They did everything the Lord wanted them to do, and they served the king. Jeriah was the head of Hebron's descendants. In the fortieth year of David's reign, the ancestry of Hebron's descendants was researched family by family. Warriors from these families were found at Jazer and Gilead. Jeriah's relatives were 2,700 skilled men, who were heads of families. King David appointed them to be overseers in every matter involving God or the king for the tribes of Reuben, God, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. First Chronicles chapter 27. This is a list of Israelite family heads, regiment and battalion commanders, and officers who were serving the king in all the army's units. Throughout each year they came for a month at a time and then left. Each unit consisted of 24,000 men. Joshobiam, son of Zabdiel, was in charge of the first unit, the one during the first month. In his unit there were 24,000. He was a descendant of Perez, and he was head of all the army's officers for the first month. Dodai, Aho's descendant, was in charge of the unit during the second month. It was his unit. Mikloth was one of its leaders. In Dodai's unit there were 24,000. The third commander of the army during the third month was Benaiah, son of the priest Jehoiada, he was the head, and in his unit there were 24,000. This Benaiah was one of the 30 fighting men and commander of the 30 as well as his own unit. His son was Amizabad. Asahel, Joab's brother, was in charge of the fourth unit during the fourth month, and after him was his son Zebediah. In his unit there were 24,000. Shamhuth, Ezra's descendant, was commander of the fifth unit during the fifth month. 
In his unit there were twenty-four thousand. Ira, the son of Ikesh from Tekoa, was in charge of the sixth unit during the sixth month. In his unit there were twenty-four thousand. Helez, a Pelonite from the descendants of Ephraim, was in charge of the seventh unit during the seventh month. In his unit there were twenty-four thousand. Shebekai, a descendant of Zerah from Husha, was in charge of the eighth unit during the eighth month. In his unit there were twenty-four thousand. Abiezer, a member of the tribe of Benjamin from Anathoth, was in charge of the ninth unit during the ninth month. In his unit there were twenty-four thousand. Marai, a descendant of Zerah from Natophah, was in charge of the tenth unit during the tenth month. In his unit there were twenty-four thousand. Benaiah, a member of the tribe of Ephraim from Pirathon, was in charge of the eleventh unit during the eleventh month. In his unit there were twenty-four thousand. During the twelfth month, the twelfth unit was commanded by Heldai from Natofa. He was Othniel's descendant. In his unit there were twenty-four thousand. The following officers were in charge of the tribes of Israel. For the tribe of Reuben, Eleazar, son of Zikri. For the tribe of Simeon, Shephatiah, son of Maacah. For the tribe of Levi, Hashabiah, son of Kemuel. For the family of Aaron, Zadok. For the tribe of Judah, Elihu, one of David's brothers. For the tribe of Issachar, Omri, son of Michael. For the tribe of Zebulun, Ishmaiah, son of Obadiah. For the tribe of Naphtali, Jeremoth, son of Azriel. For the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Azaziah. For half of the tribe of Manasseh, Joel, son of Pedaiah. For the half of Manasseh in Gilead, Edo, son of Zechariah. For the tribe of Benjamin, Jaaziel, son of Abner. For the tribe of Dan, Azarel, son of Jeroham. These were the commanders of Israel's tribes. David didn't count those under twenty years old, because the Lord had promised that the people of Israel would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Joab, son of Zeruiah, started to count them, but didn't finish. God was angry with Israel because of this, and the report from it was never included in the official records of King David. These were all the commanders in charge of King David's property. For the royal treasuries, Azmaveth, son of Adiel, for the goods in the fields, cities, villages, and watchtowers, Jonathan, son of Uzziah. For the farm workers in the fields, Ezri, son of Chelub. For the vineyards, Shemei from Ramah. For storing wine that came from the vineyards, Zabdi from Shephan. For the olive and fig trees in the foothills, Baal Hanan from Gedor. For storing olive oil, Joash. For the herds grazing in Sharon, Shitrai from Sharon. For the herds in the valleys, Shaphat, son of Adlai. For the camels, Obil, a descendant of Ishmael. For the donkeys, Jedediah from Meronoth. For the flocks, Jaziz from Hagar. David's uncle Jonathan, an educated man who possessed insight, was David's adviser. Jonathan and Jehiel, son of Hachmoni, were in charge of the king's sons. Ahithophel was the king's adviser. Hushai, a descendant of Arki, was the king's friend. Jehoiada, son of Benaiah, and Abiathar succeeded Ahithophel. Joab was the commander of the royal army. First Chronicles chapter twenty-eight. David held a meeting in Jerusalem for all the leaders of Israel, the leaders of the tribes, the leaders of the army units that served the king, the commanders of regiments and battalions, the officials in charge of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons, the palace officials, the soldiers, and the fighting men. David stood in front of them and said. Listen to me, my relatives and subjects. I had my heart set on building the temple where the ark of the Lord's promise could be placed. This temple would be a stool for our God's feet, and I have made preparations to build it. 
But God told me, You must not build the temple for my name. You have fought wars and caused bloodshed. Yet for my entire family the Lord God of Israel chose me to be king of Israel permanently. He had chosen the tribe of Judah to lead Israel. From the families of Judah he chose my father's family. From among my father's sons he was pleased to make me king of all Israel. And of all my sons, the Lord has given me many sons, he chose my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the Lord's kingdom to rule Israel. He told me, Your son Solomon will build my temple and my courtyards, because I have chosen him to be my son. I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever, if he will remain determined to obey my commands and laws, as he is doing today. Now, leaders, I order you, in the sight of Israel, the Lord's congregation, and as our God listens to dedicate your lives to doing everything the Lord your God has commanded, then you will be able to possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance to your descendants. And you, my son Solomon, learn to know your father's God. Serve the Lord wholeheartedly and willingly, because he searches every heart and understands every thought we have. If you dedicate your life to serving him, he will accept you. But if you abandon him, he will reject you from then on. So be careful, because the Lord has chosen you to build the temple as his holy place. Be strong and do it. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the entrance hall and the temple, its storerooms, upper rooms, inner rooms, and the room for the throne of mercy. He gave him plans for the courtyards of the Lord's temple and for all the rooms around it. These rooms served as treasuries for God's temple and the gifts dedicated to God. He determined the divisions of priests and Levites. He planned all the work done for worship in the Lord's temple. He designed all the utensils for worship in the Lord's temple. David specified the weight of gold to be used for each of the utensils for worship, the weight of the gold lampstands and their gold lamps, that is, the weight of gold for each lampstand and its lamps, the weight of silver for each silver lampstand and its lamps, according to the use of each lampstand for worship the weight of gold for each table with the rows of bread, and the silver for the silver tables, the pure gold for the forks, bowls, and pitchers, the weight of each gold bowl, the weight of each silver bowl, and the refined gold for the altar of incense. He also gave Solomon the plans for the chariot, that is, the gold angels with their wings spread to cover the ark of the Lord's promise. David said, All this was written for me by the Lord's hand. He made all the details of the plan clear to me. David also told his son Solomon, Be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or terrified. The Lord God, my God, will be with you. He will not abandon you before all the work on the Lord's temple is finished. Here are also the divisions of the priests and Levites for every type of worship in God's temple. You have with you every skilled worker to do all the work. In addition, all the leaders and people are at your command. First Chronicles chapter 29 then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. Yet the work is important, because this palace is not for a person, but for the Lord God. With all my might I gathered the materials for the temple of my God, gold for gold objects, silver for silver objects, bronze for bronze objects, iron for iron objects, wood for wooden objects, onyx stones and settings, black stones, stones of different colors, gems and marble. Moreover, I delight in the temple of my God. I have a personal treasury of gold and silver that I am giving to my God's temple, in addition to everything else I gathered for the holy temple. 
there are 225,000 pounds of gold from Ophir and 525,000 pounds of refined silver. They are to be used to cover the walls of the buildings, to make gold objects, silver objects, and everything else the craftsmen will make. Who else is willing to make an offering and dedicate himself to the Lord today? Then the leaders of the families, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of regiments and battalions, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave generously. They gave 375,186 pounds of gold, 750,000 pounds of silver, 135,000 pounds of bronze, and 7,500,000 pounds of iron for the work on God's temple. Whoever happened to have precious stones gave them to Jehiel, Gershon's descendant, for the treasury of the Lord's temple. The people were overjoyed that the leaders gave so generously and wholeheartedly to the Lord. King David was also overjoyed, and he praised the Lord while the whole assembly watched. David said, May you be praised, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Greatness, power, splendor, glory, and majesty are yours, Lord, because everything in heaven and on earth is yours. The kingdom is yours, Lord, and you are honored as head of all things. Riches and honor are in front of you. You rule everything. You hold power and strength in your hands, and you can make anyone great and strong. Our God, we thank you and praise your wonderful name. But who am I, and who are my people, that you enable us to give so generously? Everything comes from you. We give you only what has come from your hands. To you we are all like our ancestors, foreigners without permanent homes. Our days are as fleeting as shadows on the ground. There's no hope for them. Lord our God, all this wealth that we gathered to build a temple for your holy name is from you. All of it is yours. I know, my God, that you examine hearts and delight in honesty. With an honest heart, I have willingly offered all these things. I've been overjoyed to see your people here offering so willingly to you. Lord God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, always watch over your people's deepest thoughts. Keep their hearts directed toward you. Make my son Solomon completely committed to you, so that he will obey your commands, requests, and laws, and do everything to build the palace I have planned. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So the whole assembly praised the Lord God of their ancestors, and knelt in front of the Lord and the king. The next day they sacrificed to the Lord. They sacrificed burnt offerings to the Lord, one thousand bulls, one thousand rams, one thousand lambs, wine offerings, and many sacrifices for all Israel. That day they ate and drank as they joyfully celebrated in front of the Lord. For the second time they made David's son Solomon king. On the Lord's behalf they anointed Solomon to be leader and Zadok to be the priest. Then Solomon sat on the Lord's throne as king in place of his father David. Solomon was successful, and all Israel obeyed him. All the leaders and soldiers and all of King David's sons pledged their loyalty to King Solomon. The Lord made Solomon extremely powerful, as all Israel could see. The people of Israel gave him royal honor like no king of Israel before him ever had. David, son of Jesse, had ruled all Israel. He ruled as king of Israel for forty years. He ruled for seven years in Hebron and for thirty-three in Jerusalem. He died at a very old age. His long life was full of wealth and honor. Then his son Solomon succeeded him as king. Everything about King David from first to last is written in the records of the seer Samuel, the prophet Nathan, and the seer God. 
It includes everything about his reign, his power, and the things that happened to him, Israel, and all the other kingdoms. Second Chronicles chapter 1 Solomon, son of David, strengthened his position over the kingdom. The Lord his God was with him and made him very powerful. Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the commanders of regiments and battalions, judges, every prince, and the heads of Israel's families. Then Solomon and the entire assembly went to the place of worship in Gibeon, because God's tent of meeting was there. Moses, the Lord's servant, had made the tent in the desert. However, David had already brought God's ark from Kiriath-Jerim to a place he had prepared for it. He had put up a tent for it in Jerusalem. The bronze altar that Bezalel, son of Uri, and grandson of Hur, had made was in front of the Lord's tent. There Solomon and the assembly worshipped the Lord. In the Lord's presence Solomon went to the bronze altar in front of the tent of meeting, and sacrificed one thousand burnt offerings on it. That night God appeared to Solomon. He said, What can I give you? Solomon responded to God, You've shown great love to my father David, and you've made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, you've kept the promise you made to my father David. You've made me king of people who are as numerous as specks of dust on the ground. Give me wisdom and knowledge, so that I may lead these people. After all, who can judge this great people of yours? God replied to Solomon, I know this request is from your heart. You didn't ask for riches, fortunes, honor, or the death of those who hate you. You didn't even ask for a long life. Instead, you've asked for wisdom and knowledge to judge my people, over whom I made you king. So wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. I will also give you riches, fortunes, and honor like no other king before or after you. Solomon went from the tent of meeting at the place of worship in Gibeon to Jerusalem, and he ruled Israel. Solomon built up his army with chariots and war horses. He had fourteen hundred chariots and twelve thousand war horses. He stationed some in chariot cities and others with himself in Jerusalem. The king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedars as plentiful as fig trees in the foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and Kueh. The king's traders bought them from Kueh for a fixed price. They imported each chariot from Egypt for fifteen pounds of silver, and each horse for six ounces of silver. For the same price they obtained horses to export to all the Hittite and Aramean kings. Second Chronicles chapter 2 Solomon gave orders to begin building the temple for the Lord's name and a royal palace for himself. Solomon drafted seventy thousand men to carry heavy loads. 80,000 to quarry stones in the mountains, and 3,600 foremen. Solomon sent word to King Huram of Tyre by saying, Do what you did for my father David. You sent him cedar so that he could build a palace to live in. I want to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God. I want to dedicate it to him, burn sweet-smelling incense in his presence, and have rows of bread there continually. I want to sacrifice burnt offerings every morning and evening on weekly worship days, new moon festivals, and during the annual festivals appointed by the Lord our God. These festivals are always to be celebrated by Israel. The temple I am building will be great, because our God is greater than all other gods. But who is able to build him a temple when heaven itself, the highest heaven, cannot hold him? Who am I to build him a temple except as a place to sacrifice in his presence? Send me a man who has the skill to work with gold, silver, bronze, and iron, as well as purple, dark red, and violet cloth. 
He should know how to make engravings with the skilled men whom my father David provided for me in Judah and Jerusalem. Send me cedar, cypress, and sandalwood from Lebanon. I know that your servants are skilled Lebanese lumberjacks. My workers will work with your workers. They'll prepare plenty of lumber for me, because the temple I want to build will be large and astonishing. I will give your lumberjacks 120,000 bushels of ground wheat, 120,000 bushels of barley, 200,000 gallons of wine, and 200,000 gallons of olive oil. Then King Huram of Tyre responded to Solomon by sending a letter that said, Because the Lord loves his people, he made you their king. Huram added, May the Lord God of Israel be praised. He made the heavens and the earth, and has given King David a wise son, who has insight and intelligence, and can build the Lord's temple and a royal palace. And now I'm sending a man with skill and intelligence, Huram Abi. He was the son of a woman from the tribe of Dan, and his father is a native of Tyre. Huram knows how to work with gold, silver, bronze, iron, stone, wood, purple, violet, and dark red cloth and linen. He also knows how to make all kinds of engravings and follow any set of plans that will be given to him. He can work with your skilled workmen and the skilled workmen of His Majesty David, your father. Your Majesty may now send the wheat, barley, olive oil, and wine he promised the workers. We will cut all the lumber you need in Lebanon. Then we will make rafts out of it and send them to you in Joppa by sea. You can take it from there to Jerusalem. Solomon counted all the men who were foreigners in the land of Israel, as his father David had counted them. Solomon counted 153,600 foreigners. He made 70,000 of them carry heavy loads, 80,000 of them quarry stone in the mountains, and 3,600 of them supervised the work as foremen. Second Chronicles chapter 3 Solomon began to build the Lord's temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared to his father David. There David had prepared the site on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. He began to build on the second day in the second month of the fourth year of his reign. This is how Solomon laid the foundation to build God's temple. It was ninety feet long and thirty feet wide. They used the old standard measurement. The entrance hall in front of the main room was thirty feet wide, the same as the width of the temple, and thirty feet high. He covered its inside walls with pure gold. He paneled the larger building with cypress, overlaid it with fine gold, and decorated it with designs in the form of palm trees and chains. He covered the building with gems to beautify it, and used gold from Parvaim. He also overlaid the building, the rafters, the threshold, the walls and the doors with gold, and he carved angels into the walls. He made the most holy place. It was as long as the temple was wide, thirty feet long. It was also thirty feet wide. He overlaid it with forty-five thousand pounds of fine gold. The gold nails weighed twenty ounces. He also overlaid the upper rooms with gold. In the most holy place he made two sculptured angels and covered them with gold. The combined length of the angels' wings was thirty feet. A wing of one of the angels was seven and a half feet long and touched the wall of the building. Its other wing was seven and a half feet long and touched one wing of the other. The wing of the other one of the angels was seven and a half feet long and touched the other wall of the building. Its other wing was seven and a half feet long and touched the wing of the first. So the angels' combined wingspan was thirty feet. They stood on their feet and faced the main hall. Solomon made the canopy of violet, purple, and dark red cloth, and of linen, and decorated it with angels. He made two pillars for the front of the temple, 
They were 53 feet long, and the capital on each pillar was seven and a half feet high. He made chains for the inner room and also put them on the capitals. He made 100 pomegranates and put them on the chains. He set up the pillars in front of the temple, one on the right and the other on the left. He named the one on the right Jachin, he establishes, and the one on the left Boaz, in him is strength. Second Chronicles chapter 4 He made a bronze altar thirty feet long, thirty feet wide, and fifteen feet high. Huram made a pool from cast metal. It was fifteen feet in diameter. It was round, seven and a half feet high, and had a circumference of forty-five feet. Under the rim were two rows of figurines shaped like bulls all around the forty-five-foot circumference of the pool. They were cast in metal when the pool was cast. The pool was set on twelve metal bulls. Three bulls faced north, three faced west, three faced south, and three faced east. The pool was set on them, and their hindquarters were toward the center of the pool. The pool was three inches thick. Its rim was like the rim of a cup, shaped like a lily's bud. It held eighteen thousand gallons. Huram also made ten basins for washing, and put five on the south side and five on the north side. The priest rinsed the meat prepared for the burnt offerings in them. They used the pool to wash themselves. Huram made ten gold lampstands according to their specifications, and put them in the temple, five on the south side and five on the north side. He made ten tables and put them in the temple, five on the south side and five on the north side. And he made one hundred gold bowls. He also made the priest's courtyard and the large courtyard and its doors. He covered the doors with bronze. He set the pool on the south side in the southeast corner. Huram also made the pots, shovels, and bowls. So Huram finished the work for King Solomon in God's temple. Two pillars, bowl-shaped capitals on top of the two pillars, and two sets of filigree to cover the two bowl-shaped capitals on top of the pillars. Four hundred pomegranates for the two sets of filigree, two rows of pomegranates for each filigree to cover the two bowl-shaped capitals on the pillars. Ten stands and ten basins on the stands, one pool and the twelve bowls under it, pots, shovels, and three-pronged forks. Ura made all of them out of polished bronze for the Lord's temple at King Solomon's request. The king cast them in foundries in the Jordan Valley between Succoth and Zeredah. Solomon made so many of these products that no one tried to determine how much the bronze weighed. Solomon made all the furnishings for God's temple, the gold altar, the gold tables on which the bread of the presence was placed, lampstands and lamps of pure gold, to burn as directed in front of the inner room, flowers, lamps, pure gold tongs, snuffers, basins, dishes, incense burners of pure gold, the gold entrance to the temple, the gold doors of the inner room, the most holy place, and the gold doors of the temple. Second Chronicles chapter 5 all the work Solomon did on the Lord's temple was finished. He brought the holy things that had belonged to his father David, the silver, gold, and all the utensils, and put them in the storerooms of God's temple. Then Solomon assembled the respected leaders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes, and the leaders of the Israelite families. They came to Jerusalem to take the ark of the Lord's promise from the city of David, that is Zion. All the men of Israel gathered around the king at the festival of booths in the seventh month. When all the leaders of Israel had arrived, the Levites picked up the ark. They brought the ark, the tent of meeting, and all the holy utensils in it to the temple. The priests and the Levites carried them while King Solomon and the whole assembly from Israel were offering countless sheep and cattle sacrifices in front of the ark. The priests brought the ark of the Lord's promise to its place in the inner room of the temple. 
the most holy place, under the wings of the angels. The angels' outstretched wings were over the place where the ark rested, so that the angels became a covering above the ark and its poles. The poles were so long that their ends could be seen in the holy place by anyone standing in front of the inner room, but they couldn't be seen outside. They are still there today. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets Moses placed there at Horeb, where the Lord made a promise to the Israelites after they left Egypt. All the priests who were present had performed the ceremonies to make themselves holy to God without regard to staying in their divisions. All the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Haman, Jeduthun, their sons and their relatives, were dressed in fine linen and stood east of the altar with cymbals, harps, and lyres. With the musicians were one hundred twenty priests blowing trumpets. When the priests left the holy place, the trumpeters and singers praised and thanked the Lord in unison. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other musical instruments, they sang in praise to the Lord. He is good. His mercy endures forever. Then the Lord's temple was filled with a cloud. The priests couldn't serve because of the cloud. The Lord's glory filled God's temple. Second Chronicles chapter 6 Then Solomon said, The Lord said he would live in a dark cloud, but I have built you a high temple, a home for you to live in permanently. Then the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly from Israel while they were standing. Thanks be to the Lord God of Israel. With his mouth he made a promise to my father David. With his hand he carried it out. He said, Ever since I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I didn't choose any city from the tribes of Israel as a place to build a temple for my name. And I didn't choose any man to be prince over my people Israel. But now I've chosen Jerusalem to be a place for my name. I've chosen David to rule my people Israel. My father David had his heart set on building a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. However, the Lord said to my father David, Since you had your heart set on building a temple for my name, your intentions were good. But you must not build the temple. Instead, your own son will build the temple for my name. The Lord has kept the promise he made. I've taken my father David's place, and I sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. I've built the temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. I've put the ark which contains the Lord's promise to Israel there. In the presence of the entire assembly of Israel, Solomon stood in front of the Lord's altar. He stretched out his hands to pray. Solomon had made a bronze platform seven and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, and four and a half feet high. He put it in the middle of the courtyard. He stood on the platform, knelt in front of the entire assembly, and stretched out his hands toward heaven. He said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You keep your promise of mercy to your servants, who obey you wholeheartedly. You have kept your promise to my father David, your servant. With your mouth you promised it. With your hand you carried it out, as it is today. Now, Lord God of Israel, keep your promise to my father David, your servant. You said you will never fail to have an heir sitting in front of me on the throne of Israel, if your descendants are faithful to me as you have been faithful to me. So now, Lord God of Israel, may the promise you made to David, your servant, come true. Does God really live on earth with people? If heaven itself, the highest heaven, cannot hold you, then how can this temple that I have built? Nevertheless, my Lord God, please pay attention to my prayer for mercy. Listen to my cry for help as I pray to you. Day and night may your eyes be on this temple. 
the place about which you said your name will be there. Listen to me as I pray toward this place. Hear the plea for mercy that your people Israel and I pray toward this place. Hear us in heaven, the place where you live. Hear and forgive. If anyone sins against another person, and is required to take an oath, and comes to take the oath in front of your altar in this temple, then hear that person in heaven. Take action and make a decision. Repay the guilty person with a proper punishment, but declare the innocent person innocent. An enemy may defeat your people Israel, because they have sinned against you. But when your people turn, praise your name, pray and plead with you in this temple, then hear them in heaven, forgive the sins of your people Israel, and bring them back to the land that you gave to them and their ancestors. When the sky is shut and there's no rain because they are sinning against you, and they pray toward this place, praise your name, and turn away from their sin because you made them suffer. Then hear them in heaven, forgive the sins of your servants, your people Israel, teach them the proper way to live. Then send rain on the land which you gave to your people as an inheritance. There may be famine in the land, plant diseases, heat waves, funguses, locusts, or grasshoppers may destroy crops. Enemies may blockade Israel's city gates. During every plague or sickness, hear every prayer for mercy made by one person or by all the people in Israel, all who know suffering and pain, who stretch out their hands toward this temple. Hear them in heaven where you live. Forgive them, and give each person the proper reply. You know what is in their hearts, because you alone know what is in people's hearts. Then as long as they live in the land that you gave to our ancestors, they will fear you and follow you. People who are not Israelites will come from distant countries because of your great name, mighty hand, and powerful arm. When they come to pray facing this temple, then hear them in heaven the place where you live. Do everything they ask you, so that all the people of the world may know your name and fear you like your people Israel, and learn that this temple which I built bears your name. When your people go to war against their enemies, wherever you may send them, and they pray to you toward the city you have chosen, and the temple I built for your name, then hear their prayer for mercy in heaven, and do what is right for them. They may sin against you, no one is sinless, you may become angry with them and hand them over to an enemy who takes them to another country as captives, whether it is far or near. If they come to their senses, are sorry for what they've done, and plead with you in the land where they are captives, saying, We have sinned, we have done wrong, we have been wicked. If they change their attitude toward you in the land where they are captives, if they pray to you toward the land that you gave their ancestors, and the city you have chosen, and the temple I have built for your name, then in heaven, the place where you live, hear their prayer for mercy, do what is right for them, forgive your people who have sinned against you. Finally, my God, may your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Now arise and come to your resting place, Lord God, you and the ark of your power. Clothe your priests, Lord God, with salvation. Let your godly ones rejoice in what is good. Lord God, do not reject your anointed one. Remember your mercy to your servant David. Second Chronicles chapter 7 When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the other sacrifices, and the Lord's glory filled the temple. The priests couldn't go into the Lord's temple because the Lord's glory had filled the Lord's temple. When all the Israelites saw the fire come down, 
and the Lord's glory on the temple, they knelt down with their faces on the pavement. They worshipped and praised the Lord by saying, He is good, His mercy endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices to the Lord. King Solomon offered 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep as sacrifices to the Lord. So the king and all the people dedicated God's temple. The priests were standing at their posts. So were the Levites who had the Lord's musical instruments which King David made for praising the Lord with His mercy endures forever, and which He used to offer praise. The priests were opposite the Levites blowing trumpets while all Israel was standing there. Solomon designated the courtyard in front of the Lord's temple as a holy place. He sacrificed the burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat, because the bronze altar that he had made and that was in front of the Lord was not able to hold all of them. At that time Solomon and all Israel celebrated the festival of Booths. A very large crowd had come from the territory between the border of Hamath and the river of Egypt. On the eighth day there was an assembly. They had observed the dedication of the altar for seven days, and celebrated the festival for another seven days. On the twenty-third day of the seventh month, Solomon dismissed the people to their tents. They rejoiced with cheerful hearts for all the blessings the Lord had given David, Solomon, and his people Israel. Solomon finished the Lord's temple and the royal palace, and completed everything he had in mind for the Lord's temple and his own palace. Then the Lord appeared to him at night. He said to Solomon, I have heard your prayer, and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. I may shut the sky so that there is no rain, or command grasshoppers to devour the countryside, or send an epidemic among my people. However, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, search for me, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear their prayer from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their country. My eyes will be open and my ears will pay attention to those prayers at this place. I have chosen and declared this temple holy, so that my name may be placed there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. If you will be faithful to me as your father David was, do everything I command and obey my laws and rules, then I will establish your royal dynasty as I said in a promise to your father David. You will never fail to have an heir ruling Israel. But if you and your descendants turn away from me and abandon my commands and laws that I gave you, and follow and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from the land I gave them. I will reject this temple that I declared holy for my name. I will make it an example and an object of ridicule for all the people of the world. Everyone passing by this impressive temple will be appalled. They will ask, why did the Lord do these things to this land and this temple? They will answer themselves. They abandoned the Lord God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt. They adopted other gods, worshipped and served them. That is why he brought this disaster on them. Second Chronicles chapter 8 It took Solomon twenty years to build the Lord's house and his own house. He rebuilt the cities Huram gave him, and he had Israelites live in them. Then Solomon went to Hamath Zobah and conquered it. He built Tadmor in the desert and built all the storage cities in Hamath. He rebuilt Upper Bethoron and Lower Bethoron into cities fortified with walls, double door gates, and bars. He also rebuilt Baalah and all the storage cities that he owned. He built all the cities for his chariots, all the cities for his war horses, and whatever else he wanted to build in Jerusalem, Lebanon, or the entire territory that he governed. 
The Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites had been left in the land because the Israelites had not been able to destroy them. They were not Israelites, but they had descendants who were still in the land. Solomon drafted them for slave labor. They are still slaves today. But Solomon didn't make any of the Israelites slaves for his projects. Instead, they were the soldiers, officers, generals, and commanders of his chariot and cavalry units. These were the officers in charge of King Solomon's projects, 250 foremen for the people who did the work. Solomon brought Pharaoh's daughter from the city of David to a palace he had built for her. He said, My wife will not live in the palace of King David of Israel, because these places where the Lord's ark has come are holy. Then Solomon sacrificed burnt offerings to the Lord on the Lord's altar that he built in front of the entrance hall. He sacrificed every day, on weekly worship days, on the new moon festivals, and on the three annual festivals, the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of booths, as Moses had commanded. As Solomon's father David had directed, he set up the divisions of priests for their service, and the divisions of Levites for their appointed places. The Levites were to lead in praising the Lord, and to serve beside the priests by doing whatever needed to be done each day. Solomon also set up divisions of doorkeepers at every gate, because this is what David, the man of God, had commanded. No one neglected the king's orders to the priests or the Levites in any matter, including the temple's finances. All of Solomon's work was carried out from the day the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid until it was completed. The Lord's temple was now finished. Then Solomon went to the coast near Ezion Geber and Eloth and Edom. Huram sent his own servants and his experienced sailors with ships to Solomon. They went with Solomon's servants to Ophir, got 33,750 pounds of gold, and brought it to King Solomon. Second Chronicles chapter 9 The Queen of Sheba heard about Solomon's reputation, so she came to Jerusalem to test him with riddles. She arrived with a large group of servants, with camels carrying spices, a large quantity of gold and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she talked to him about everything she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. No question was too difficult for Solomon to answer. When the Queen of Sheba saw Solomon's wisdom, the palace he built, the food on his table, his officers' seating arrangement, the organization of his officials, and the uniforms they wore, his cup-bearers and their uniforms, and the burnt offerings that he sacrificed at the Lord's temple, she was breathless. She told the king, What I heard in my country about your words and your wisdom is true. But I didn't believe the reports until I came and saw it with my own eyes. I wasn't even told about half of the extent of your wisdom. You've surpassed the stories I've heard. How blessed your men must be! How blessed these servants of yours must be, because they are always stationed in front of you and listen to your wisdom. Thank the Lord your God who is pleased with you. He has put you on his throne to be king on behalf of the Lord your God. Because of your God's love for the people of Israel, he has established them permanently and made you king over them so that you would maintain justice and righteousness. She gave the king nine thousand pounds of gold, a very large quantity of spices, and precious stones. Never was there such a large quantity of spices in Israel as those that the queen of Sheba gave King Solomon. Huram's servants and Solomon's servants who brought gold from Ophir also brought sandalwood and precious stones. With the sandalwood the king made gateways to the Lord's temple and the royal palace, and lyres and harps for the singers. No one had ever seen anything like them in Judah. 
King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba anything she wanted, whatever she asked for, more than what she had brought him. Then she and her servants went back to her country. The gold that came to Solomon in one year weighed 49,950 pounds, not counting the gold which the merchants and traders brought. All the Arab kings and governors of the land also brought gold and silver to Solomon. King Solomon made two hundred large shields of hammered gold, using fifteen pounds of gold on each shield. He also made three hundred small shields of hammered gold, using seven and a half pounds of gold on each shield. The king put them in the hall named the Forest of Lebanon. The king also made a large ivory throne and covered it with pure gold. Six steps led to the throne, which had a gold footstool attached to it. There were armrests on both sides of the seat. Two lions stood beside the armrests. Twelve lions stood on six steps, one on each side. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's cups were gold, and all the utensils for the hall named the Forest of Lebanon were fine gold. Silver wasn't considered valuable in Solomon's time. The king had ships going to Tarshish with Huram sailors. Once every three years the Tarshish ships would bring gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. In wealth and wisdom King Solomon was greater than all the other kings of the world. All the kings of the world wanted to listen to the wisdom that God gave Solomon. So everyone who came brought him gifts, articles of silver and gold, clothing, weapons, spices, horses, and mules. This happened year after year. Solomon had four thousand stalls for horses and chariots, and twelve thousand war horses. He stationed some in chariot cities and others with himself in Jerusalem. He ruled all the kings from the Euphrates River to the country of the Philistines and as far as the Egyptian border. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedars as plentiful as fig trees in the foothills. The horses were imported for Solomon from Egypt and from all other countries. Aren't the rest of Solomon's acts, from the first to last, written in the records of Nathan the prophet, in the prophecy of Ahijah from Shiloh, and in Edo the seer's visions about Jeroboam son of Nebat? Solomon ruled in Jerusalem over all Israel for forty years. Solomon lay down in death with his ancestors, and was buried in the city of David. His son Rehoboam succeeded him as king. Second Chronicles chapter 10 Rehoboam went to Shechem, because all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. Jeroboam, Nebat's son, was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. When he heard about Rehoboam, he returned from Egypt. Israel sent for Jeroboam and invited him back. Jeroboam and all Israel went to speak to Rehoboam. They said, Your father made us carry a heavy burden. Reduce the hard work and lighten the heavy burden he put on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Come back the day after tomorrow. So the people left. King Rehoboam sought advice from the older leaders who had served his father Solomon while he was still alive. He asked, What do you advise? How should I respond to these people? They told him, If you are good to these people and try to please them by speaking gently to them, then they will always be your servants. But he ignored the advice the older leaders gave him. He sought advice from the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, What is your advice? How should we respond to these people who are asking me to lighten the burden my father put on them? The young men who had grown up with him answered, This is what you should tell them. My little finger is heavier than my father's whole body. If my father put a heavy burden on you, I will add to it. If my father punished you with whips, I will punish you with scorpions. 
So Jeroboam and all the people came back to Rehoboam two days later, as the king had instructed them. The king answered them harshly. He ignored the older leader's advice. He spoke to them as the young men advised. He said, If my father made your burden heavy, I will add to it. If my father punished you with whips, I will use scorpions. The king refused to listen to the people because the Lord was directing these events to carry out the promise he had made to Jeroboam, Nebat's son, through Ahijah from Shiloh. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, the people answered the king, What share do we have in David's kingdom? We won't receive an inheritance from Jesse's son. Everyone to his own tent, Israel. Now look after your own house, David. So all Israel went home to their own tents. But Rehoboam ruled the Israelites who lived in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Hadoram to the Israelites. He was in charge of forced labor. But they stoned him to death. So King Rehoboam got in his chariot as fast as he could and fled to Jerusalem. Israel has rebelled against David's dynasty to this day. Second Chronicles chapter 11 when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he gathered the people of Judah and Benjamin, 180,000 of the best soldiers, to fight against Israel and return the kingdom to Rehoboam. But God spoke his word to Shemaiah, the man of God. He said, Speak to Judah's king Rehoboam, son of Solomon, and all Israel and Judah and Benjamin. This is what the Lord says. Don't wage war against your relatives. Everyone go home. What has happened is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord. They turned back from their attack on Jeroboam. Rehoboam lived in Jerusalem and built fortified cities in Judah. He rebuilt Bethlehem, Etam, Tekoa, Beth, Zur, Soko, Adulam, Gath, Marasha, Ziph, Adoraim, Lachish, Azekah, Zorah, Aijalan, and Hebron. These were fortified cities in Judah and Benjamin. He strengthened them and put army officers with reserves of food, olive oil, and wine in them. In each city he stored shields and spears. He made the cities very secure. So Rehoboam held on to Judah and Benjamin. The priests and Levites in every region of Israel sided with Rehoboam. The priests abandoned their land and property and went to Judah and Jerusalem because Jeroboam and his descendants rejected them as the Lord's priests. Instead, Jeroboam appointed his own priest for the illegal worship sites and the goat and calf statues he had made as idols. People from every tribe of Israel who were determined to seek the Lord God of Israel followed the Levitical priest to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their ancestors. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah by supporting Rehoboam, son of Solomon, for three years. During those three years they lived the way David and Solomon had lived. Rehoboam married Mahalath, daughter of Jeremoth. Jeremoth was the son of David and Abihail. Abihail was the daughter of Eliab, son of Jesse. Mahalath gave birth to the following sons, Jeush, Shemariah, and Zaham. After marrying Mahalath, he married Maaka, Absalom's granddaughter. She gave birth to Abijah, Atai, Ziza, and Shelomith. Rehoboam loved Maaka, Absalom's granddaughter, more than all his other wives and concubines. He had eighteen wives and sixty concubines. He fathered twenty-eight sons and sixty daughters. Rehoboam appointed Abijah, son of Maaka, as family head and prince among his brothers. By doing this, Rehoboam could make him king. He wisely placed his sons in every region of Judah and Benjamin, in every fortified city. He gave them allowances and obtained many wives for them. Second Chronicles chapter 12 When Rehoboam had established his kingdom and made himself strong, he and all Israel abandoned the Lord's teachings. 
In the fifth year of Rehoboam's reign, King Shishak of Egypt attacked Jerusalem. This happened because all Israel was not loyal to the Lord. Shishak had twelve hundred chariots, sixty thousand horses, and an army of countless Libyans, Sukites, and Sudanese from Egypt. He captured the fortified cities in Judah, and then came to Jerusalem. The prophet Shemaiah came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who had gathered in Jerusalem because of Shishak. Shemaiah said to them, This is what the Lord says, You have abandoned me, so I will abandon you. I will hand you over to Shishak. Then the commanders of Israel and the king humbled themselves. The Lord is right, they said. When the Lord saw that they had humbled themselves, he spoke his word to Shemaiah. They have humbled themselves. I will not destroy them. In a little while I will give them an escape. I will not use Shishak to pour my anger on Jerusalem. But they will become his servants, so that they can learn the difference between serving me and serving foreign kings. King Shishak of Egypt attacked Jerusalem and took the treasures from the Lord's temple and the royal palace. He took them all. He took the gold shields Solomon had made. So King Rehoboam made bronze shields to replace them, and put them by the entrance to the royal palace, where the captains of the guards were stationed. Whenever the king went into the Lord's temple, guards carried the shields, and then returned them to the guardroom. After Rehoboam humbled himself, the Lord was no longer angry with him, and didn't completely destroy him. So things went well in Judah. King Rehoboam strengthened his position in Jerusalem, and ruled. He was forty-one years old when he began to rule. He ruled for seventeen years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord chose from all the tribes of Israel, the city where the Lord put his name. Rehoboam's mother was an Ammonite woman named Naamah. He did evil things because he was not serious about dedicating himself to serving the Lord. Aren't the events concerning Rehoboam, from first to last, written in the records of the prophet Shemaiah and the records of the seer Edo in the genealogies? There was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam as long as they lived. Rehoboam lay down in death with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. His son Abijah succeeded him as king. Second Chronicles chapter 13 In the eighteenth year of the reign of Jeroboam, Abijah began to rule Judah. He ruled for three years in Jerusalem. His mother was named Micaiah, daughter of Uriel from Gibeah. There was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Abijah prepared for battle with an army of four hundred thousand of the best soldiers, while Jeroboam arranged to oppose him with eight hundred thousand of the best professional soldiers. Then Abijah stood on Mount Zemaraim in the mountains of Ephraim. He called out, Jeroboam and all Israel, listen to me. Don't you know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom of Israel to David and his descendants forever in a permanent promise? But Jeroboam, Nebat's son, rebelled against his master. He had been the servant of David's son Solomon. Worthless, good-for-nothing men gathered around him. They opposed Rehoboam, son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was too young and inexperienced to challenge them. Do you now intend to challenge the Lord's kingdom, which has been placed in the hands of David's descendants? You are a large crowd, and you have the gold calves that Jeroboam made to be your gods. You forced out the Lord's priests, who were Aaron's descendants, and you forced out the Levites, so that you could appoint your own priests, as the people in foreign countries do. Anyone who has a young bull and seven rams can be ordained as a priest of non-existent gods. However, the Lord is our God. We haven't abandoned Him. The priests who serve the Lord are Aaron's descendants, and the Levites assist them. They sacrifice burnt offerings to the Lord every morning and every evening. They offer sweet-smelling incense and rows of bread on the clean table. The lamps on the gold lampstand burn every evening. We're following the instructions the Lord our God gave us, but you have abandoned Him. 
God is with us as our leader. His priests will sound their trumpets to call the army to fight you. Men of Israel, don't wage war against the Lord God of your ancestors. You won't succeed. But Jeroboam had set an ambush to attack them from behind. So Jeroboam's army was in front of Judah, and the ambush was behind them. When Judah's soldiers looked around, the battle was in front of them and behind them. They cried out to the Lord, the priests blew the trumpets, and the men of Judah shouted. When they shouted, God attacked Jeroboam and all Israel in front of Abijah and Judah. The Israelites fled from Judah's army, and God handed them over to Judah. So Abijah and his men defeated them decisively, and five hundred of the best men of Israel were killed. So the Israelites were humbled at that time, and the men of Judah won because they trusted the Lord God of their ancestors. Abijah pursued Jeroboam and captured some of his cities, Bethel and its villages, Jeshanah and its villages, and Ephron and its villages. Jeroboam never regained power during Abijah's time. The Lord caused Jeroboam to become sick, and Jeroboam died. But Abijah became strong. He married fourteen wives and fathered twenty-two sons and sixteen daughters. Everything else about Abijah, how he lived and what he said, is written in the history by the prophet Edo. Second Chronicles chapter 14. Abijah lay down in death with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. His son Asa succeeded him as king. In Asa's time, the land had peace for ten years. Asa did what the Lord his God considered good and right. He got rid of the altars of foreign gods, broke down the sacred stones, and cut down the poles dedicated to the goddess Asherah. He told the people of Judah to dedicate their lives to serving the Lord God of their ancestors and follow his teachings and commands. He got rid of the illegal places of worship and the altars for incense in all the cities of Judah. The kingdom was at peace during his reign. He built fortified cities in Judah because the land had peace. There was no war during those years because the Lord gave him a time of peace. So Asa told Judah, Let's build these cities and make walls around them with towers and doors that can be barred. The country is still ours because we have dedicated our lives to serving the Lord our God. We have dedicated our lives to Him, and He has surrounded us with peace. So they built the cities, and everything went well. Asa had an army of 300,000 Judeans who were armed with large shields and spears, and 280,000 Benjamites who were armed with small shields and bows. All of these men were good fighting men. Then Zerah from Sudan came with one million men and three hundred chariots to attack Asa. Zerah got as far as Marisha. Asa went to confront him, and the two armies set up their battle lines in the Zephatha valley at Marisha. Asa called on the Lord his God. He said, Lord, there is no one except you who can help those who are not strong, so that they can fight against a large army. Help us, Lord our God, because we are depending on you. In your name we go against this large crowd. You are the Lord our God. Don't let anyone successfully oppose you. The Lord attacked the Sudanese army in front of Asa and Judah. The Sudanese army fled. Asa and his troops pursued them as far as Gerar. Many of the Sudanese died in battle. As a result, the Sudanese army couldn't fight again. It was crushed in front of the Lord and his army. The Lord's army captured a lot of goods. It attacked all the cities around Gerar because the cities were afraid of the Lord. The army looted all the cities because there were many things to take. It also attacked those who were letting their cattle graze and captured many sheep and camels. Then it returned to Jerusalem. Second Chronicles chapter 15 God's Spirit came to Azariah, son of Oded. Azariah went to Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all you men from Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. 
If you will dedicate your lives to serving Him, He will accept you. But if you abandon Him, He will abandon you. For a long time Israel was without the true God, without a priest who taught correctly, and without Moses' teachings. But when they were in trouble, they turned to the Lord God of Israel. When they searched for Him, He let them find Him. At those times no one could come and go in peace, because everyone living in the land had a lot of turmoil. One nation crushed another nation. One city crushed another. God had tormented them with every kind of trouble. But you must remain strong and not become discouraged. Your actions will be rewarded. When Asa heard the prophet Oded's words of prophecy, he was encouraged and put away the detestable idols from all of Judah, Benjamin, and the cities he had captured in the mountains of Ephraim. He also repaired the Lord's altar in front of the Lord's entrance hall. Then Asa gathered all the people from Judah and Benjamin, and the foreigners who had come from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon. Many of them had come to him from Israel when they saw that Asa's God, the Lord, was with him. In the third month of the fifteenth year of Asa's reign they gathered in Jerusalem. On that day they sacrificed to the Lord a part of the loot they had brought with them, seven hundred cattle and seven thousand sheep. They made an agreement with one another to dedicate their lives to serving the Lord God of their ancestors with all their heart and soul. All people, young or old, male or female, who refused to dedicate their lives to the Lord God of Israel were to be killed. Asa and the people swore their oath to the Lord with shouts, singing, and the blowing of trumpets and ram's horns. All the people of Judah were overjoyed because of the oath, since they took the oath wholeheartedly. They took great pleasure in looking for the Lord, and He let them find Him. So the Lord surrounded them with peace. King Asa also removed his grandmother Maaka from the position of queen mother, because she made a statue of the repulsive goddess Asherah. Asa cut the statue down, crushed it, and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Although the illegal worship sites in Israel were not taken down, Asa remained committed to the Lord his entire life. He brought into God's temple the silver, the gold, and the utensils he and his father had set apart as holy. There was no war until the thirty-fifth year of Asa's reign. Second Chronicles chapter 16 in the thirty-sixth year of Asa's reign, King Baasha of Israel invaded Judah and fortified Ramah to keep anyone from going to or coming from King Asa of Judah. Then Asa brought out all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries of the Lord's temple and the royal palace. He sent them to Damascus to Aram's king Ben-Hadad. He said, There's a treaty between you and me, as there was between your father and my father. I'm sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with King Baasha of Israel, so that he will leave me alone. Ben-Hadad did what King Asa requested. He sent his generals and their armies to attack the cities of Israel. He conquered Ijon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the storage cities in the territory of Naphtali. When Baasha heard the news, he stopped fortifying Ramah and abandoned his work on it. Then King Asa took everyone in Judah to Ramah. He made them carry the stones and lumber from Ramah. Baasha had been using those to fortify the city. Asa used the materials to fortify Geba in Benjamin and Mizpah. At that time the seer Hanani came to King Asa of Judah and said to him, Because you depended on the king of Syria and did not depend on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped your grasp. Weren't the Sudanese and Libyans a large army with many chariots and drivers? But when you depended on the Lord, he handed them over to you. The Lord's eyes scan the whole world to find those whose hearts are committed to him and to strengthen them. You acted foolishly in this matter. So from now on, you will have to fight wars. 
Asa was furious at the seer. He was so angry with Hanani that he put Hanani in prison. Asa also oppressed some of the people at that time in his reign. Everything about Asa, from first to last, is written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the thirty-ninth year of his reign, Asa got a foot disease that became progressively worse. Instead of asking the Lord for help, he went to doctors. Asa lay down in death with his ancestors. He died in the forty-first year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb that he had prepared for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bed full of spices and blended perfumes, and they burned a bonfire in his honor. Second Chronicles chapter 17 Asa's son Jehoshaphat succeeded him as king. Jehoshaphat strengthened himself to wage war against Israel. He put troops in all the fortified cities of Judah, and placed military posts in Judah and in the cities of Ephraim that his father Asa had captured. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat, who lived in the old way like his ancestor David. Jehoshaphat didn't dedicate his life to serving other gods, the Baals. Instead, he dedicated his life to his ancestors' God and lived by God's commands. Jehoshaphat did not do what Israel was doing, so the Lord established Jehoshaphat's power over the kingdom. All the people of Judah gave gifts to Jehoshaphat, and he had a lot of riches and honor. He had the confidence to live the way the Lord wanted him to live. He also got rid of the illegal places of worship and poles dedicated to the goddess Asherah in Judah. In the third year of his reign, he sent his officers Ben-Hail, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathanael, and Micaiah to teach in the cities of Judah. With them were the Levites Shemaiah, Nathaniah, Zebediah, Asahel, Shemiramoth, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah, Tob Adonijah, and the priests Elishamah and Jehoram. They taught in Judah. They had the book of the Lord's teachings with them when they taught the people in all the cities of Judah. Fear of the Lord came to all the kingdoms around Judah. As a result, they didn't wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some of the Philistines brought gifts and silver as taxes. The Arabs also brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 male goats. So Jehoshaphat became more and more powerful. He built fortresses and cities where supplies were stored in Judah. He had large supplies of food in the cities of Judah and an army of professional soldiers with him in Jerusalem. The following is a breakdown of these soldiers. They are listed by families. Judah's regimental commanders were Commander Adna with 300,000 fighting men, next to him Commander Jehohanan with 280,000, and next to him Amasiah, Zikri's son, who volunteered to serve the Lord with 200,000 fighting men. From Benjamin there was the fighting man Eliada with 200,000 armed men with bows and shields. And next to him was Jehozabad, with him was an army of 180,000 armed men. These were the men who served the king, in addition to those whom the king put in the fortified cities throughout Judah. Second Chronicles chapter 18 Jehoshaphat was wealthy and honorable and became Ahab's in-law. A few years later he went to visit Ahab in Samaria. Ahab slaughtered many sheep and cattle for a banquet in honor of Jehoshaphat and the people who were with him. And Ahab persuaded Jehoshaphat to attack Ramoth and Gilead with him. King Ahab of Israel asked King Jehoshaphat of Judah, Will you go with me to Ramoth and Gilead? Jehoshaphat told the king of Israel, I will do what you do. My troops will do what your troops do. We will join your troops in battle. Then Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, But first, find out what the word of the Lord is in this matter. So the king of Israel called four hundred prophets together. He asked them, Should we go to war against Ramoth and Gilead or not? Go, they said. God will hand over Ramoth to you. But Jehoshaphat asked, 
Isn't there a prophet of the Lord whom we could ask? The king of Israel told Jehoshaphat, We can ask the Lord through Micaiah, son of Imlah, but I hate him. Nothing he prophesies about me is good, it's always evil. Jehoshaphat answered, The king must not say that. The king of Israel called for an officer and said, Quick, get Micaiah, son of Imlah. The king of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah were dressed in royal robes and seated on thrones. They were sitting on the threshing floor at the entrance to the gate of Samaria. All the prophets were prophesying in front of them. Zechariah, son of Kenahanah, made iron horns and said, This is what the Lord says. With these horns you will push the Arameans to their destruction. All the other prophets made the same prophecy. They said, Attack Ramoth in Gilead, and you will win. The Lord will hand it over to you. The messenger who went to call Micaiah told him, The prophets have all told the king the same good message. Make your message agree with their message. Say something good. Micaiah answered, I solemnly swear, as the Lord lives, I will tell him whatever my God says to me. When he came to the king, the king asked him, Micaiah, should we go to war against Ramoth and Gilead or not? Micaiah said, Attack, and you will win. They will be handed over to you. The king asked him, How many times must I make you take an oath in the Lord's name to tell me nothing but the truth? So Micaiah said, I saw Israel's troops scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. The Lord said, These sheep have no master. Let each one go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you he wouldn't prophesy anything good about me? Micaiah added, Then hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and the entire army of heaven was standing on his right and his left. The Lord asked, who will deceive King Ahab of Israel, so that he will attack and be killed at Ramoth in Gilead? Some answered one way, while others were saying something else. Then the spirit stepped forward, stood in front of the Lord, and said, I will deceive him. How? the Lord asked. The spirit answered, I will go out and be a spirit that tells lies through the mouths of all of Ahab's prophets. The Lord said, you will succeed in deceiving him, go and do it. So the Lord has put into the mouths of these prophets of yours a spirit that makes them tell lies. The Lord has spoken evil about you. Zedekiah, son of Kenaanah, went to Micaiah and struck him on the cheek. Which way did the spirit go when he left me to talk to you? he asked. Micaiah answered, You will find out on the day you go into an inner room to hide. The king of Israel then said, Send Micaiah back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the prince. Say, This is what the king says. Put this man in prison, and feed him nothing but bread and water until I return home safely. Micaiah said, If you really do come back safely, then the Lord wasn't speaking through me. Pay attention to this, everyone. So the king of Israel and king Jehoshaphat of Judah went to Ramoth and Gilead. The king of Israel told Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you should wear your royal robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. The king of Aram had given orders to the chariot commanders. He said, Don't fight anyone except the king of Israel. When the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they said, He must be the king of Israel. So they surrounded him in order to fight him. But when Jehoshaphat cried out, the Lord helped him. God drew them away from him, and the chariot commanders realized that Jehoshaphat wasn't the king of Israel. Then they turned away from him. One man aimed his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between his scale armor and his breastplate. Ahab told the chariot driver, Turn around and get me away from these troops. I'm badly wounded. 
But the battle got worse that day, and the king propped himself up in his chariot facing the Arameans until evening. At sundown he died. Second Chronicles chapter 19 King Jehoshaphat of Judah returned safely to his home in Jerusalem. Jehu, son of the seer Hanani, asked King Jehoshaphat, Why do you help wicked people and love those who hate the Lord? The Lord's anger is directed toward you because you have done this. However, you've done some good things. You've burned the Asherah poles in this country, and you've wholeheartedly dedicated your life to serving God. While Jehoshaphat was living in Jerusalem, he regularly went to the people between Beersheba and the mountains of Ephraim. He brought the people back to the Lord God of their ancestors. He appointed judges in the country, in each fortified city of Judah. He told the judges, Pay attention to what you are doing. When you judge, you aren't doing it for a human, but for the Lord. He will be with you when you hear a case. May you have the fear of the Lord in you. Be careful about what you do. The Lord our God is never unjust. He is impartial and never takes bribes. In Jerusalem, Jehoshaphat also appointed some Levites, priests, and family heads from Israel to administer the Lord's laws and decide cases. They lived in Jerusalem. He ordered them, Do this wholeheartedly, with the fear of the Lord and with faithfulness. Warn your relatives living in other cities about every case they bring to you, even if the case involves bloodshed or commands, rules or regulations derived from Moses' teachings. Then your relatives will not become guilty in front of the Lord. Otherwise, He will become angry with you and your relatives. Do this, and you won't be guilty of anything. Now the chief priest Amariah will be in charge of you in every matter involving the Lord. Zebediah, who is the son of Ishmael and the leader of the tribe of Judah, will be in charge of every matter involving the king. The Levites will serve as officers of the court. Be strong and do your job. May the Lord be with those who do right. Second Chronicles chapter 20 Later the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Maonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. So men reported to Jehoshaphat, A large crowd is coming against you from the other side of the Dead Sea, from Edom. The crowd is already in Hazazon Tamar, also called En Gedi. Frightened, Jehoshaphat decided to ask for the Lord's help. He announced a fast throughout Judah. The people of Judah gathered to seek the Lord's help. They came from every city in Judah. In the new courtyard at the Lord's temple, Jehoshaphat stood in front of the people. He said, Lord God of our ancestors, aren't you the God in heaven? You rule all the kingdoms of the nations. You possess power and might, and no one can oppose you. Didn't you, our God, force those who were living in this country out of Israel's way? Didn't you give this country to the descendants of your friend Abraham to have permanently? His descendants have lived in it and built a holy temple for your name in it. They said, If evil comes in the form of war, flood, plague, or famine, we will stand in front of this temple and in front of you because your name is in this temple. We will cry out to you in our troubles, and you will hear us and save us. The Ammonites, Moabites, and the people of Mount Seir have come here. However, you didn't let Israel invade them when they came out of Egypt. The Israelites turned away from them and didn't destroy them. They are now paying us back by coming to force us out of your land that you gave to us. You're our God. Won't you judge them? We don't have the strength to face this large crowd that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, so we're looking to you. All the people from Judah, their infants, wives, and children were standing in front of the Lord. Then the Lord's Spirit came to Jehaziel. He was the son of Zechariah, grandson of Benaiah, great-grandson of Jael, whose father was Mataniah, a Levite descended from Asaph. Jehaziel said, 
Pay attention to me, everyone from Judah, everyone living in Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says to you. Don't be frightened or terrified by this large crowd. The battle isn't yours, it's God's. Tomorrow go into battle against them. They will be coming up the Ziz Pass. You will find them at the end of the valley in front of the Jeruel Desert. You won't fight this battle. Instead, take your position, stand still, and see the victory of the Lord for you, Judah and Jerusalem. Don't be frightened or terrified. Tomorrow go out to face them. The Lord is with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face touching the ground. Everyone from Judah and the people who lived in Jerusalem immediately bowed down in front of the Lord. The Levites, descendants of Kohath and Korah, stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with very loud songs. They got up early in the morning and went to the desert of Tekoa. As they were leaving, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem. Trust the Lord your God and believe. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. After he had advised the people, he appointed people to sing to the Lord and praise him for the beauty of his holiness. As they went in front of the troops, they sang, Thank the Lord, because his mercy endures forever. As they started to sing praises, the Lord set ambushes against the Ammonites, Moabites, and the people of Mount Seir who had come into Judah. They were defeated. Then the Ammonites and Moabites attacked the people from Mount Seir and annihilated them. After they had finished off the people of Seir, they helped destroy one another. The people of Judah went to the watchtower in the desert and looked for the crowd. Corpses were lying on the ground. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his troops came to take the loot, they found among them a lot of goods, clothes, and valuables. They found more than they could carry. They spent three days collecting the loot. On the fourth day they gathered in the valley of Berakah. Because they thanked the Lord there, that place is still called the valley of Berakah, thanks, today. All the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned to Jerusalem. They rejoiced while Jehoshaphat led them. The Lord gave them a reason to rejoice about what had happened to their enemies. So they brought harps, lyres, and trumpets to the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. The fear of the Lord came over the kingdoms in that area when they heard how the Lord waged war against Israel's enemies. Jehoshaphat's kingdom was peaceful, since his God surrounded him with peace. Jehoshaphat ruled as king of Judah. He was thirty-five years old when he began to rule, and he ruled for twenty-five years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, daughter of Shilhai. Josephat carefully followed the example his father Asa had set and did what the Lord considered right. But the illegal worship sites on the hills were not torn down. The people still didn't have their hearts set on the God of their ancestors. Everything else about Jehoshaphat, from first to last, is written in the records of Jehu, son of Hanani, which is included in the book of the kings of Israel. After this, King Jehoshaphat of Judah allied himself with King Ahaziah of Israel, who led him to do evil. Jehoshaphat joined him in making ships to go to Tarshish. They made the ships in Ezion-Geber. Then Eliezer, son of Dodavahu from Marashah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat. He said, The Lord will destroy your work because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah. So the ships were wrecked and couldn't go to Tarshish. Second Chronicles chapter 21 Jehoshaphat lay down in death with his ancestors and was buried with them in the city of David. His son Jehoram succeeded him as king. He had the following brothers, sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azarihu, Michael, and Shephatiah. All were the sons of King Jehoshaphat of Israel. Their father gave them many gifts, silver, gold, and other expensive things. 
along with fortified cities in Judah. But Jehoshaphat gave the kingdom to Jehoram, who was the firstborn. After Jehoram had taken over his father's kingdom, he strengthened his position, and then executed all his brothers, and some of the officials of Israel. Jehoram was thirty-two years old when he became king, and he ruled for eight years in Jerusalem. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel, as Ahab's family had done, because his wife was Ahab's daughter. So he did what the Lord considered evil. But the Lord, recalling the promise he had made to David, didn't want to destroy David's family. The Lord had told David that he would always give him and his descendants a shining lamp. During Jehoram's time, Edom rebelled against Judah and chose its own king. Jehoram took all his chariot commanders to attack. The Edomites and their chariot commanders surrounded him, but he got up at night and broke through their lines. So Edom rebelled against Judah's rule and is still independent today. At the same time Edom rebelled, Libna rebelled because Jehoram had abandoned the Lord God of his ancestors. Jehoram made illegal places of worship in the hills of Judah. This caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to chase after foreign gods as if they were prostitutes. So he led Judah astray. Then a letter came to him from the prophet Elijah. It read, This is what the Lord God of your ancestor David says. You haven't followed the ways of your father Jehoshaphat or the ways of King Asa of Judah. Instead, you have followed the ways of the king of Israel. You, like Ahab's family, have caused Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to chase after foreign gods as if they were prostitutes. You have killed your brothers, your father's family. Your brothers were better than you. The Lord will strike a great blow to your people, your sons, your wives, and all your property because you did this. You will suffer from a chronic intestinal disease until your intestines come out. The Lord prompted the Philistines and the Arabs, who lived near the people of Sudan, to attack Jehoram. They fought against Judah, broke into the country, and took away everything that could be found in the royal palace. They even took Jehoram's sons and wives. The only son left was Ahaziah, Jehoram's youngest son. After this, the Lord struck Jehoram with an incurable intestinal disease. Two years later, as his life was coming to an end, his intestines fell out because of his sickness. He died a painful death. His people did not make a bonfire in his honor, as they had done for his ancestors. He was thirty-two years old when he became king, and he ruled for eight years in Jerusalem. No one was sorry to see him die. He was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. Second Chronicles chapter 22 The people of Jerusalem made Jehoram's youngest son Ahaziah king in his place, because the raiders who came to the camp with the Arabs had killed all the older sons. So Jehoram's son Ahaziah became king of Judah. Ahaziah was forty-two years old when he began to rule, and he ruled for one year in Jerusalem. His mother was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. Ahaziah also followed the ways of Ahab's family because his mother gave him advice that led him to sin. He did what the Lord considered evil, as Ahab's family had done. After his father died, they advised him to do what Ahab's family had done. They did this to destroy him. Ahaziah followed their advice and went with Ahab's son, King Joram of Israel, to fight against King Hazael of Aram at Ramoth-Gilead. There the Arameans wounded Joram. Joram returned to Jezreel to let his wounds heal. He had been wounded by the Arameans at Ramah when he fought against King Hazael of Aram. Then Jehoram's son Ahaziah went to Jezreel to see Ahab's son Joram, who was sick. God brought about Ahaziah's downfall when he went to Joram. He went with Joram to meet Jehu, grandson of Nimshi. The Lord had anointed Jehu to destroy Ahab's family. 
When Jehu was executing judgment on Ahab's family, he found Judah's leaders, Ahaziah's nephews, who were serving Ahaziah, and he killed them. He searched for Ahaziah, and Jehu's men captured him while he was hiding in Samaria. They brought him to Jehu and killed him. Then they buried him. They explained, Ahaziah is Jehoshaphat's grandson. Jehoshaphat dedicated his life to serving the Lord with all his heart. But no one in Ahaziah's family was able to rule as king. When Ahaziah's mother, Athaliah, saw that her son was dead, she began to destroy the entire royal family of the house of Judah. But Jehoshabath, daughter of the king and sister of Ahaziah, took Ahaziah's son Joash. She saved him from being killed with the king's other sons, and she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Jehoshabath was the daughter of King Joram and wife of Jehoiada the priest. Because she was also Ahaziah's sister, she hid Joash from Athaliah. So he wasn't killed. Joash was with the priests. He was hidden in God's temple for six years while Athaliah ruled the country. Second Chronicles chapter 23. In the seventh year of Athaliah's reign, Jehoiada strengthened his position by making an agreement with the company commanders. Azariah, son of Jeroham, Ishmael, son of Jehohanan, Azariah, son of Obed, Maasiah, son of Adaiah, and Elishaphat, son of Zikri. They went around Judah, gathered the Levites from all the cities of Judah, and the leaders of the families of Israel, and came to Jerusalem. The whole assembly made an agreement with the king in God's temple. Then Jehoiada said to them, Here is the king's son. He should be king, as the Lord said about David's descendants. This is what you must do. One-third of you, the priests and Levites who are on duty on the day of worship, must guard the gates. Another third must be at the royal palace, and another third must be at Foundation Gate. All the people must be in the courtyards of the Lord's temple. No one should come into the Lord's temple except the priests and the Levites who are on duty with them. They may enter because they are holy, but all other people should follow the Lord's regulations. The Levites should surround the king. Each man should have his weapon in his hand. Kill anyone who tries to come into the temple. Stay with the king wherever he goes. So the Levites and all the Judeans did what the priest Jehoiada had ordered them. Each took his men who were coming on duty on the day of worship, as well as those who were about to go off duty. Jehoiada had not dismissed the priestly divisions. Jehoiada gave the commanders the spears and the small and large shields that had belonged to King David, but were now in God's temple. All the troops stood with their weapons drawn. They were stationed around the king and around the altar and the temple, from the south side to the north side of the temple. Then they brought out the king's son, gave him the crown and the religious instructions, and Jehoiada and his sons made him king by anointing him. They said, Long live the king! When Athaliah heard the people running and praising the king, she went into the Lord's temple where the people were. She looked, and the king was standing by the pillar at the entrance. The commanders and the trumpeters were by his side. All the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. The singers were leading the celebration with songs accompanied by musical instruments. As Athaliah tore her clothes in distress, she said, Treason! Treason! Then the priest Jehoiada brought the company commanders who were in charge of the army out of the temple. He said to them, Take her out of the temple. Use your sword to kill anyone who follows her. The priest had said, Don't kill her in the Lord's temple. So they arrested her as she entered horse gate of the royal palace, and they killed her there. Jehoiada made a promise to the Lord on behalf of the king and his people that they would be the Lord's people. Then all the people went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They smashed Baal's altars and his statues and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altars. 
Next, Jehoiada appointed officials to be in charge of the Lord's temple under the direction of the priests and Levites. David had arranged them in divisions for the Lord's temple. They were appointed to sacrifice burnt offerings to the Lord, as it is written in Moses' teachings. They made these offerings with joy and singing, as David had directed. Jehoiada appointed gatekeepers for the gates of the Lord's temple, so that no one who was unclean for any reason could enter. He took the company commanders, the nobles, the people's governors, and all the people of the land, and they brought the king from the Lord's temple. They went through upper gate to the royal palace, and seated the king on the royal throne. The nobles, the governors of the people, and all the people of the land were celebrating. But the city was quiet, because they had killed Athaliah with a sword. Second Chronicles chapter 24 Joash was seven years old when he began to rule, and he ruled for forty years in Jerusalem. His mother was Zibiah from Beersheba. Joash did what the Lord considered right as long as the priest Jehoiada lived. Jehoiada got Joash two wives, and Joash had sons and daughters. After this, Joash wanted to renovate the Lord's temple. He gathered the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go to the cities of Judah and collect money throughout Israel to repair the temple of your God every year. Do it immediately. But the Levites didn't do it immediately. So the king called for the chief priest Jehoiada and asked him, Why didn't you require the Levites to bring the contributions from Judah and Jerusalem? The Lord's servant Moses and the assembly had required Israel to give contributions for the use of the tent containing the words of God's promise. The sons of that wicked woman, Athaliah, had broken into God's temple and used all the holy things of the Lord's temple to worship other gods, the Baals. The king issued an order, and they made a box and placed it outside the gate of the Lord's temple. Then they issued a proclamation in Judah and Jerusalem that the contribution should be brought to the Lord. In the desert, the Lord's servant Moses had required Israel to make contributions. All the officials and all the people were overjoyed. They brought the money and dropped it into the box until it was full. Whenever the Levites brought the box to the king's officers, and they saw a lot of money, the king's scribe and the chief priest officer would empty the box and put it back in its place. They would do this every day, so they collected a lot of money. The king and Jehoiada would give the money to the foremen who were working on the Lord's temple, and they hired masons and carpenters to renovate the Lord's temple. They also hired men who worked with iron and bronze to repair the Lord's temple. As the men worked, the project progressed under the foreman's guidance. They restored God's temple to its proper condition and reinforced it. When they finished, they brought the rest of the money to the king and Jehoiada, who used it to make utensils for the Lord's temple. They made dishes and gold and silver utensils for the service and for the offerings. As long as Jehoiada lived, they sacrificed burnt offerings in the Lord's temple. When Jehoiada was old and had lived out his years, he died. He was 130 years old when he died. He was buried in the city of David with the kings because of the good he had done in Israel for God and the temple. After he died, the officials of Judah bowed in front of the king with their faces touching the ground. Then the king listened to their advice. They abandoned the temple of the Lord God of their ancestors and worshipped idols and the poles dedicated to the goddess Asherah. This offense of theirs brought God's anger upon Judah and Jerusalem. The Lord sent them prophets to bring them back to himself. The prophets warned them, but they wouldn't listen. God's Spirit gave Zechariah, son of the priest Jehoiada, strength. Zechariah stood in front of the people and said to them, This is what God says. Why are you breaking the Lord's commands? You won't prosper that way. The Lord has abandoned you because you have abandoned him. 
But they plotted against Zechariah, and by the king's order they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. King Joash did not remember how kind Zechariah's father, Jehoiada, had been to him. Instead he killed Jehoiada's son. As Zechariah died, he said, May the Lord see this and get revenge. At the end of the year the Aramean army attacked Joash. They came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the people's leaders. The Arameans sent all the loot they took from Judah and Jerusalem to the king of Damascus. The Aramean army had come with a small number of men, but the Lord handed Joash's large army over to them, because Joash's soldiers had abandoned the Lord God of their ancestors. So the Arameans carried out the Lord's judgment on Joash. When the Arameans withdrew, they left him suffering from many wounds. His own officials plotted against him for murdering the son of the priest Jehoiada. They killed Joash in his bed. When he died, they buried him in the city of David, but they didn't bury him in the tombs of the kings. These were the men who conspired against him, Zabad, son of an Ammonite woman named Shimeoth, and Jehozabad, son of a Moabite woman named Shimrith. The record about his sons, the many divine revelations against him, and the rebuilding of God's temple is in the notes made in the book of the kings. His son Amaziah succeeded him as king. Second Chronicles chapter 25 Amaziah was twenty-five years old when he began to rule, and he ruled for twenty-nine years in Jerusalem. His mother was Jehoadan from Jerusalem. He did what the Lord considered right, but he did not do it wholeheartedly. As soon as he had firm control over the kingdom, he executed the officials who killed his father, the former king. But he didn't execute their children. He obeyed the Lord's command written in the book of Moses' teachings. Parents must never be put to death for the crimes of their children, and children must never be put to death for the crimes of their parents. Each person must be put to death for his own crime. Amaziah called the people of Judah together and assigned them by families to regiment and battalion commanders for all of Judah and Benjamin. He organized those who were at least twenty years old and found that he had three hundred thousand of the best men for the army, those who could handle a spear and a shield. He also hired one hundred thousand soldiers from Israel, for seven thousand five hundred pounds of silver. But a man of God came to him and said, Your Majesty, Israel's army must not go with you, because the Lord isn't with Israel. He's not with these men from Ephraim. If you go into battle with them, no matter how courageous you are, God will use the enemy to defeat you, because God has the power to help you or to defeat you. Amaziah asked the man of God, What should I do about the seven thousand five hundred pounds of silver I gave the troops from Israel? The man of God answered, The Lord can give you much more than that. Then Amaziah dismissed the troops that had come to him from Ephraim, but they became furious with Judah and returned home. Amaziah courageously led his troops. When he came to the Dead Sea region, he killed ten thousand men from Seir. The Judeans captured another ten thousand alive, took them to the top of a cliff, and threw them off the top of the cliff, so that they were dismembered. The troops that Amaziah sent back, so that they couldn't go with him into battle, raided the towns in Judah from Samaria to Beth Haron. They killed three thousand people and took a lot of goods. After Amaziah came back from defeating the Edomites, he brought the gods of the people of Seir, set them up as his gods, bowed down to them, and burned sacrifices to them. The Lord became angry with Amaziah. He sent him a prophet who asked him, why do you dedicate your life to serving the gods of those people? Those gods couldn't save their own people from you. As he was talking, the king asked him, Did we make you an advisor to the king? Stop. Do you want me to have you killed? 
The prophet stopped. He said, I know that God has decided to destroy you because you did this, but you refuse to listen to my advice. After getting advice from his advisers, King Amaziah of Judah sent messengers to King Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, and grandson of Jehu of Israel, to declare war on Israel. King Jehoash of Israel sent this message to King Amaziah of Judah. A thistle in Lebanon sent a message to a cedar in Lebanon. It said, Let your daughter marry my son. But a wild animal from Lebanon came along and trampled the thistle. You say you defeated Edom, and now you've become arrogant enough to look for more fame. Stay home. Why must you invite disaster and your own defeat and take Judah with you? But Amaziah wouldn't listen. God made this happen because he wanted to hand over the Judeans to Jehoash because they had sought help from Edom's gods. So King Jehoash of Israel attacked, and King Amaziah of Judah met him in battle at Beth Shemesh in Judah. Israel defeated the army of Judah, and the Judeans fled to their homes. King Jehoash of Israel captured King Amaziah, son of Joash, and grandson of Ahaziah of Judah, at Beth Shemesh, and brought him to Jerusalem. He tore down a six-hundred-foot section of the wall around Jerusalem from Ephraim Gate to Corner Gate. He took all the gold, silver, and all the utensils he found in God's temple with Obed-Edom and in the royal palace treasury. He also took hostages, then he returned to Samaria. Joash's son, King Amaziah of Judah, lived fifteen years after the death of Jehoahaz's son, King Jehoash of Israel. Isn't everything else about Amaziah from beginning to end written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? After Amaziah turned away from the Lord, conspirators in Jerusalem plotted against him. Amaziah fled to Lachish, but they sent men to Lachish after him and killed him there. They brought him back by horse and buried him in the city of Judah with his ancestors. Second Chronicles chapter 26 all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was sixteen years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. Uzziah rebuilt Eloth and returned it to Judah after King Amaziah lay down in death with his ancestors. Uzziah was sixteen years old when he began to rule, and he ruled for fifty-two years in Jerusalem. His mother was Jecoliah from Jerusalem. He did what the Lord considered right, as his father Amaziah had done. He dedicated his life to serving God in the days of Zechariah, who taught him to fear God. As long as he dedicated his life to serving the Lord, the Lord gave him success. Uzziah went to wage war against the Philistines. He tore down the walls of Gath, Jabne, and Ashdod. He built cities near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him when he attacked the Philistines, the Arabs who lived in Gurbaal, and the Maonites. The Ammonites paid taxes to Uzziah, and his fame spread to the border of Egypt because he became very powerful. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at Corner Wall, Valley Gate, and the Angle, and he reinforced them. He built towers in the desert. He dug many cisterns because he had a lot of herds in the foothills and the plains. He had farmers and vineyard workers in the mountains and the fertile fields because he loved the soil. Uzziah had an army of professional soldiers. They were ready to go to war in their companies based on the number organized by the scribe Jael and the officer Maasiah. They were commanded by Hananiah, one of the king's officials. The total number of family heads among these warriors was 2,600. Under them was an army of 307,500 soldiers. They were a powerful force that could support the king against the enemy. For the entire army, Uzziah prepared shields, spears, helmets, armor, bows, and stones for slings. 
In Jerusalem, he made machines designed by inventive people. The machines were placed on the towers and corners to shoot arrows and hurl large stones. Uzziah's fame spread far and wide because he had strong support until he became powerful. But when he became powerful, his pride destroyed him. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God. He went into the Lord's temple to burn incense on the incense altar. The priest Azariah went in after him with eighty of the Lord's courageous priests. They opposed King Uzziah. They said to him, Uzziah, you have no right to burn incense as an offering to the Lord. That right belongs to the priests, Aaron's descendants, who have been given the holy task of burning incense. Get out of the holy place, because you have been unfaithful. The Lord God will not honor you for this. Uzziah, who held an incense burner in his hand, became angry. While he was angry with the priests, a skin disease broke out on his forehead. This happened in front of the priests in the Lord's temple as Uzziah was at the incense altar. When the chief priest, Azariah, and all the priests turned toward him, a skin disease was on his forehead. They rushed him away. Uzziah was in a hurry to get out because the Lord had inflicted him with the disease. King Uzziah had a skin disease until the day he died. Since he had a skin disease, he lived in a separate house and was barred from the Lord's temple. His son Jotham was in charge of the royal palace and governed the country. Everything else about Uzziah, from beginning to end, is recorded by the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. Uzziah lay down in death with his ancestors and was buried with them in a field containing tombs that belonged to the kings. People said he had a skin disease. His son Jotham succeeded him as king. Second Chronicles chapter 27 Jotham was twenty-five years old when he began to rule. He ruled for sixteen years in Jerusalem. His mother was Jerushiah, daughter of Zadok. He did what the Lord considered right, as his father Uzziah had done. But unlike his father, he didn't illegally enter the Lord's temple. Nevertheless, the people continued their corrupt ways. Jotham built the upper gate of the Lord's temple and did extensive building of the wall at the Ophel. He built cities in the hills of Judah, and he built forts and towers in the wooded areas. He fought with the king of the Ammonites and conquered them. That year the Ammonites gave him 7,500 pounds of silver, 60,000 bushels of wheat, and 60,000 bushels of barley. The Ammonites gave him the same amount for two more years. Jotham grew powerful because he was determined to live as the Lord his God wanted. Everything else about Jotham, all his wars and his life, is written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. He was twenty-five years old when he began to rule as king. He ruled for sixteen years in Jerusalem. Jotham lay down in death with his ancestors, and they buried him in the city of David. His son Ahaz succeeded him as king. Second Chronicles chapter 28 Ahaz was twenty years old when he began to rule. He ruled for twenty-six years in Jerusalem. He didn't do what the Lord considered right, as his ancestor David had done. He followed the example of the kings of Israel, and even made metal idols for worshipping other gods, the Baals. He burned sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, and sacrificed his son by burning him alive, one of the disgusting things done by the nations that the Lord had forced out of the Israelites' way. He offered sacrifices and burned incense as an offering at the illegal worship sites, which were on hills and under every large tree. So the Lord his God handed him over to the king of Aram, who defeated him, captured many prisoners, and brought them to Damascus. He also handed him over to the king of Israel, who decisively defeated him. In one day, Pekah, son of Remaliah, killed 120,000 soldiers in Judah, because they had abandoned the Lord God of their ancestors. 
Zikri, a fighting man from Ephraim, killed Maasiah, who was the king's son. Azrikam, who was in charge of the palace, and Elkanah, who was the king's second-in-command. The Israelites captured 200,000 women, boys and girls, from their relatives, the Judeans. They also took a lot of goods from Judah and brought them to Samaria. A prophet of the Lord named Oded was there. He went to meet the army coming home to Samaria. He said to them, The Lord God of your ancestors handed Judah over to you in his anger. You killed them in a rage that reaches up to heaven. Now you intend to enslave the men and women of Judah and Jerusalem. But aren't you also guilty of sinning against the Lord your God? Listen to me. Return these prisoners you have captured from your relatives, because the Lord is very angry with you. Then Azariah, son of Jehohan, Berechiah, son of Meshillamoth, Jehizkiah, son of Shalom, and Amasa, son of Hadlei, some leaders of Ephraim, opposed those coming home from the army. They said to the army, Don't bring the prisoners here. You'll make us responsible for this sin against the Lord. Do you intend to add to all our sins? The Lord is very angry with Israel because we have already sinned. So the army left the prisoners and the loot in front of the leaders and the whole assembly. Then the men who were mentioned by name took charge of the prisoners and gave clothes from the loot to all the prisoners who were naked. They provided clothes for them, gave them sandals, gave them something to eat and drink, and let them bathe. They put everyone who was exhausted on donkeys and brought them to Jericho, the city of Palms, near their own people. Then they returned to Samaria. At that time King Ahaz sent for help from the kings of Assyria. The Edomites had again invaded and defeated Judah and captured prisoners. The Philistines had raided the foothills and the Negev in Judah. They captured and began living in Beth Shemesh, Aijalon, Gedoroth, Soko and its villages, Timnah and its villages, and Gimzo and its villages. The Lord humbled Judah because of King Ahaz of Israel. Ahaz had spread sin throughout Judah and was unfaithful to the Lord. King Tilagath Pilnazer of Assyria attacked Ahaz. Instead of strengthening Ahaz, Tilagath Pilnazer made trouble for him. Ahaz took some of the things from the Lord's temple, the royal palace, and the princes, and he gave them to the king of Assyria. But that didn't help him. When he had this trouble, King Ahaz became more unfaithful to the Lord. He sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, the gods who had defeated him. He thought, the gods of the kings of Aram are helping them. I'll sacrifice to them so that they will help me. But they ruined him and all Israel. Ahaz collected the utensils in God's temple, cut them up, and closed the doors to the Lord's temple. He made altars for himself on every corner in Jerusalem. And in each city of Judah he made places of worship to sacrifice to other gods. So he made the Lord God of his ancestors angry. Everything else about him, everything from beginning to end, is written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. Ahaz lay down in death with his ancestors and was buried in the city of Jerusalem because they didn't put him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. His son Hezekiah succeeded him as king. Second Chronicles chapter 29 Hezekiah began to rule as king when he was twenty-five years old. He ruled for twenty-nine years in Jerusalem. His mother was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what the Lord considered right, as his ancestor David had done. In the first month of his first year as king, he opened the doors of the Lord's temple and repaired them. He brought the priests and Levites together in the square on the east side of the temple. He said to them, Listen to me, Levites. Perform the ceremonies to make the temple of the Lord God of your ancestors holy. Remove anything that has been corrupted from the holy place. 
Our ancestors were unfaithful and did what the Lord our God considered evil. They deserted him. They turned away from the Lord's tent and turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors of the temple's entrance hall, extinguished the lamps, and didn't burn incense or sacrifice burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. So the Lord was angry with Judah and Jerusalem. He made them something that shocks and terrifies people and that people ridicule, as you can see with your own eyes. Our fathers were killed in battle, and our sons, daughters, and wives are prisoners because of this. Now I intend to make a pledge to the Lord God of Israel, so that he may turn his burning anger away from us. Don't be negligent, my sons. The Lord has chosen you to stand in front of him, serve him, be his servants, and burn sacrifices. So the Levites started to work. From Kohath's descendants were Mahath, son of Amasai, and Joel, son of Azariah. From Merari's descendants were Kish, son of Abdi, and Azariah, son of Jehalalel. From Gershon's descendants were Joah, son of Zima, and Aden, son of Joah. From Elizaphan's descendants were Shimri and Jael. From Asaph's descendants were Zechariah and Mataniah. From Haman's descendants were Jehiel and Shimei. From Jeduthun's descendants were Shemaiah and Uziel. These men gathered their relatives and performed the ceremonies to make themselves holy. Then they obeyed the king's order from the Lord's word and entered the temple to make it clean. The priest entered the Lord's temple to make it clean. They carried into the courtyard every unclean thing that they found in the Lord's temple. Then the Levites took the unclean items outside the city to the Kidron Brook. They started on the first day of the first month. On the eighth day they went into the Lord's entrance hall, and for eight days they performed the ceremonies to make the Lord's temple holy. They finished on the sixteenth day of the first month. Then they went to King Hezekiah. They said to him, We have made all of the Lord's temple clean. This includes the altar for burnt offerings, all its utensils, the table for the rows of bread and all its utensils, and all the utensils King Ahaz refused to use during his reign when he was unfaithful. We have restored them and made them holy. They are in front of the Lord's altar. Early in the morning Hezekiah gathered the leaders of the city and went to the Lord's temple. They brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats as an offering for sin for the kingdom, the holy place, and Judah. Hezekiah told the priests, Aaron's descendants, to sacrifice the animals on the Lord's altar. So they slaughtered the bulls, and the priests sprinkled the blood on the altar. Then they slaughtered the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. After that they slaughtered the lambs and sprinkled the blood on the altar. Then they brought the male goats for the offering for sin in front of the king and the assembly, who laid their hands on them. The priests slaughtered the goats and made their blood an offering for sin at the altar to make peace with the Lord for Israel. The king had said that the burnt offerings and offerings for sin should be for all Israel. He had the Levites stand in the Lord's temple with cymbals, harps, and lyres, as David the king's seer, God, and the prophet Nathan had ordered. This command came from the Lord through his prophets. The Levites stood with David's instruments, and the priests had the trumpets. Then Hezekiah ordered the sacrificing of burnt offerings on the altar. When the burnt offerings started, the songs to the Lord started. These songs were accompanied by trumpets and the instruments of King David of Israel. The whole assembly bowed down with their faces touching the ground. Singers began to sing, and the trumpets blew until the burnt offering was finished. When the burnt offerings were finished, the king and everyone who was with him kneeled and bowed down. Then King Hezekiah and the leaders told the Levites to praise the Lord with the words of David and the seer Asaph. 
They joyfully sang praises, bowed down, and worshipped. Hezekiah said, You have dedicated your lives to the Lord. Come, bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the Lord's temple. The assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings, and everyone who was willing brought burnt offerings. The burnt offerings brought by the assembly totaled seventy bulls, one hundred rams, and two hundred lambs. All of these were burnt offerings to the Lord. The animals dedicated as holy sacrifices were six hundred bulls and three thousand sheep. But the priests needed more help to skin all the burnt offerings, so their relatives, the Levites, helped them until the work was completed and the priests could make themselves holy. The Levites were more diligent in making themselves holy than the priests were. There were many burnt offerings in addition to the fat of the fellowship offerings and wine offerings that accompanied the burnt offerings. So the worship in the Lord's temple was re-established. Hezekiah and all the people were overjoyed because of what God had done for the people. Everything had happened so quickly. Second Chronicles chapter 30 Hezekiah sent a message to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters to the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. He invited them to come to the Lord's temple in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover of the Lord God of Israel. The king, his officials, and the whole assembly in Jerusalem decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. They couldn't celebrate it at the regular time because not enough priests had performed the ceremonies to make themselves holy, and the people hadn't gathered in Jerusalem. The king and the whole assembly considered their plan to be the right thing to do, so they decided to send an announcement throughout Israel from Beersheba to Dan. They summoned everyone to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover of the Lord God of Israel. These people had not celebrated it in large numbers as the written instructions said they should. Messengers took letters from the king and his officials throughout Israel and Judah. The king's order said, Israelites, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Then he will return to the few of you who escaped from the power of the kings of Assyria. Don't be like your ancestors and your relatives who were unfaithful to the Lord God of their ancestors. He made them something that shocks people, as you have seen. Don't be impossible to deal with like your ancestors. Reach out for the Lord. Come to His holy place that He made holy forever. Serve the Lord your God, and He will turn His burning anger away from you. When you return to the Lord, your relatives and children will find compassion from those who captured them. They will return to this land. The Lord your God is merciful and compassionate. He will not turn His face away from you if you return to Him. So the messengers went from city to city in the territories of Ephraim and Manasseh, as far as Zebulun. But the people ridiculed them. However, some people from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also, God guided the people of Judah so that they united to carry out the command which the king and the leaders gave from the Lord's word. Many people gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of unleavened bread in the second month. They formed a large assembly. Then the people got rid of the idols' altars in Jerusalem. They got rid of all the altars for incense by dumping them in the Kidron Valley. They slaughtered the Passover lamb on the fourteenth day of the second month. The priests and Levites were ashamed, so they performed the ceremonies to make themselves holy. Then they brought burnt offerings to the Lord's temple— they stood in their regular places as instructed by Moses' teachings. Moses was a man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood they received from the Levites. Many people in the assembly had not made themselves holy, so the Levites had to kill the Passover lambs for all who weren't clean and couldn't make their lambs holy for the Lord. Many people from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not made themselves clean, 
So they ate the Passover, but not in the way the written instructions said they should. Hezekiah prayed for them, May the good Lord forgive those who have their hearts set on dedicating their lives to serving God. May the Lord God of their ancestors do this for those who are not clean, as required, for the holy place. The Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people. So the Israelites in Jerusalem celebrated the festival of unleavened bread for seven days with great joy. Each day the Levites and priests praised the Lord in song. They played the Lord's instruments loudly. Hezekiah spoke encouraging words to all the Levites who had the skills to serve the Lord. They ate the festival meals for seven days, sacrificed fellowship offerings, and confessed their sins to the Lord God of their ancestors. Then the whole assembly decided to celebrate the festival for seven more days. So they joyfully celebrated for seven more days. King Hezekiah of Judah provided one thousand bulls and seven thousand sheep as sacrifices for the assembly. The leaders provided one thousand bulls and ten thousand sheep for the assembly, so a large number of priests were able to perform the ceremonies to make themselves holy. The whole assembly from Judah, the priests, the Levites, the whole assembly from Israel, the foreigners who came from Israel, and those who lived in Judah rejoiced. The city of Jerusalem was filled with joy. Nothing like this had happened in Jerusalem since the days of King Solomon of Israel. Then the Levitical priests blessed the people. Their voices were heard, and their prayers went to God's holy place in heaven. Second Chronicles chapter 31 when this was over, all the Israelites who were there went to the cities in Judah. They crushed the sacred stones, cut down the poles dedicated to the goddess Asherah, and tore down the illegal places of worship and the altars throughout Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh. The Israelites destroyed all these things. Then all the Israelites returned to their own cities. Each person went to his own property. Hezekiah assigned the priests and the Levites to divisions. Each priest or Levite was put in a division based on the service he performed, sacrificing burnt offerings, sacrificing fellowship offerings, serving, giving thanks, or praising within the gates of the Lord's camp. He set aside part of the king's property for burnt offerings, the morning and evening offerings, burnt offerings on the weekly worship days, the new moon festivals, and the annual festivals as it is written in the Lord's teachings. He told the people living in Jerusalem to give the priests and Levites the portions they were due so that they could devote themselves to the Lord's teachings. As soon as the word spread, the Israelites brought plenty of offerings from the first of their produce, grain, new wine, fresh olive oil, honey, and every crop from the fields. They brought large quantities, a tenth of everything. The people of Israel and Judah who were living in the cities of Judah brought a tenth of their cattle and sheep, and a tenth of the holy things they had dedicated to the Lord their God. They piled these holy things in heaps. In the third month they started piling them up, and in the seventh month they finished. When Hezekiah and the leaders saw the heaps, they praised the Lord and his people Israel. Hezekiah asked the priests and the Levites about the heaps. The chief priest Azariah from Zadok's family said, Since the people started to bring the offerings to the Lord's temple, we have had all we wanted to eat and plenty to spare. The Lord has blessed his people, and there's a lot left over. Then Hezekiah told them to prepare storerooms in the Lord's temple. After they had prepared them, they faithfully brought in the contributions, the offerings of one-tenth of the crops, and the gifts dedicated to God. The Levite Conaniah was in charge of these things, and his brother Shimei was his assistant. King Hezekiah and Azariah, who was in charge of God's temple, appointed Jehiel, Azaziah, Nechath, Asahel, Jeremoth, Josabad, Eliel, Ismachiah, 
Mahath, and Benaiah to serve under Conaniah and his brother Shimei. Kore, son of Imna the Levite, was the gatekeeper at East Gate, and had to take care of the freewill offerings made to God. His responsibility was to distribute the offerings made to the Lord and the holy gifts dedicated to God. Aden, Miniamin, Jeshua, Shemaiah, Amariah, and Shechaniah served under him in the cities belonging to the priests. They were to distribute the offerings faithfully to all their relatives, young and old, by their divisions. They were appointed to distribute them to males who were at least three years old. The way they were enrolled in the genealogical records did not matter. The six men who served under Kore were to distribute the offerings to everyone who went to the Lord's temple to perform the daily service that each division was responsible for. They were to distribute offerings to the priests who were enrolled by families and to the Levites who were at least twenty years old. Distribution was based on the way they served in their divisions. The priests and Levites were enrolled with their wives, sons, daughters, and other people who depended on them, the whole community. The priests and Levites had to be faithful in keeping themselves holy for the holy work. Men were appointed to give a portion of the offerings to all the males in the priestly families and to everyone listed in the genealogies of the Levites. These men were Aaron's descendants, priests who lived in the pasture lands of every Levite city. This is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah. He did what was good and right and true to the Lord his God. Hezekiah incorporated Moses' teachings and commands into worship and dedicated his life to serving God. Whatever he did for the worship in God's temple, he did wholeheartedly, and he succeeded. Second Chronicles chapter 32 After everything Hezekiah had done so faithfully, King Sennacherib of Assyria came to invade Judah. He set up camp to attack the fortified cities. He intended to conquer them himself. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come to wage war against Jerusalem, he, his officers, and his military staff made plans to stop the water from flowing out of the springs outside the city. They helped him do it. A large crowd gathered as they stopped all the springs and the brook that flowed through the land. They said, Why should the kings of Assyria find plenty of water? Hezekiah worked hard. He rebuilt all the broken sections of the wall, made the towers taller, built another wall outside the city wall, strengthened the Milo in the city of David, and made plenty of weapons and shields. He appointed military commanders over the troops and gathered the commanders in the square by the city gate. He spoke these words of encouragement, Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened or terrified by the king of Assyria or the crowd with him. Someone greater is on our side. The king of Assyria has human power on his side, but the Lord our God is on our side to help us and fight our battles. So the people were encouraged by what King Hezekiah of Judah said. After this, while King Sennacherib of Assyria and all his royal forces were attacking Lachish, he sent his officers to King Hezekiah of Judah and to all of the people in Judah who were in Jerusalem to say, This is what King Sennacherib of Assyria says. Why are you so confident as you live in Jerusalem while it is blockaded? Isn't Hezekiah misleading you and abandoning you to die from hunger and thirst when he says, The Lord our God will rescue us from the king of Assyria? Isn't this the same Hezekiah who got rid of the Lord's places of worship and altars and told Judah and Jerusalem, Worship and sacrifice at one altar? Don't you know what I and my predecessors have done to the people of all other countries? Were any of the gods of these other nations ever able to rescue their countries from me? Were the gods of these nations able to rescue their people from my control? 
My predecessors claimed and destroyed those nations. Is your God able to rescue you from my control? Don't let Hezekiah deceive you or persuade you like this. Don't believe him. No God of any nation or kingdom could save his people from me or my ancestors. Certainly your God will not rescue you from me. Sennacherib's officers said more against the Lord God and his servant Hezekiah. Sennacherib wrote letters cursing the Lord God of Israel. These letters said, As the gods of the nations in other countries couldn't rescue their people from me, Hezekiah's God cannot rescue his people from me. Sennacherib's officers shouted loudly in the Judean language to the troops who were on the wall of Jerusalem. They tried to frighten and terrify the troops so that they could capture the city. They spoke about the God of Jerusalem as if he were one of the gods made by human hands and worshipped by the people in other countries. Then King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, prayed about this and called to heaven. The Lord sent an angel who exterminated all the soldiers, officials, and commanders in the Assyrian king's camp. Humiliated, Sennacherib returned to his own country. When he went into the temple of his god, some of his own sons killed him with a sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the people living in Jerusalem from King Sennacherib of Assyria and from everyone else. The Lord gave them peace with all their neighbors. Many people still went to Jerusalem to bring gifts to the Lord and expensive presents to King Hezekiah of Judah. From then on, he was considered important by all the nations. In those days Hezekiah became sick and was about to die. He prayed to the Lord, who answered him and gave him a miraculous sign. But Hezekiah was conceited, so he didn't repay the Lord for his kindness. The Lord became angry with him, with Judah, and with Jerusalem. Hezekiah and the people living in Jerusalem humbled themselves when they realized they had become conceited, so the Lord didn't vent his anger on them during Hezekiah's time. Hezekiah became richer and was highly honored. He prepared storerooms for himself to hold silver, gold, precious stones, spices, shields, and all kinds of valuables. He made sheds to store his harvest of grain, new wine, and fresh olive oil. And he made barns for all his cattle and stalls for his flocks. He made cities for himself because he had many sheep and cattle. God had given him a lot of property. Hezekiah was the one who stopped the water from flowing from the upper outlet of Gihon. He channeled the water directly underground to the west side of the city of David. Hezekiah succeeded in everything he did. When the leaders of Babylon sent ambassadors to ask him about the miraculous sign that had happened in the land, God left him. God did this to test him, to find out everything that was in Hezekiah's heart. Everything else about Hezekiah, including his devotion to God, is written in the vision of the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, and in the records of the kings of Judah and Israel. Hezekiah lay down in death with his ancestors. He was buried in the upper tombs of David's descendants. When Hezekiah died, all of Judah and the people in Jerusalem honored him. His son, Manasseh, succeeded him as king. Second Chronicles chapter 33 Manasseh was twelve years old when he began to rule, and he ruled for fifty-five years in Jerusalem. He did what the Lord considered evil by copying the disgusting things done by the nations that the Lord had forced out of the Israelites' way. He rebuilt the illegal places of worship that his father Hezekiah had torn down. He set up altars dedicated to other gods, the Baals, and made a pole dedicated to the goddess Asherah, as King Ahab of Israel had done. Manasseh, like Ahab, worshipped and served the entire army of heaven. 
He built altars in the Lord's temple, where the Lord had said, My name will be in Jerusalem forever. In the two courtyards of the Lord's temple he built altars for the entire army of heaven. He burned his son as a sacrifice in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, consulted fortune-tellers, cast evil spells, practiced witchcraft, and appointed royal mediums and psychics. He did many things that made the Lord furious. Manasseh had a carved idol made, then he set it up in God's temple, where God had said to David and his son Solomon, I have chosen this temple and Jerusalem from all the tribes of Israel. I will put my name here forever. I will never again remove Israel from the land that I set aside for their ancestors, if they will obey all the commands, all the teachings, the ordinances, and the regulations I gave through Moses. Manasseh misled Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that they did more evil things than the nations that the Lord had destroyed when the Israelites arrived in the land. When the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, they wouldn't even pay attention. So the Lord made the army commanders of the king of Assyria invade Judah. They took Manasseh captive, put a hook in his nose, put him in bronze shackles, and brought him to Babylon. When he experienced this distress, he begged the Lord his God to be kind and humbled himself in front of the God of his ancestors. He prayed to the Lord, and the Lord accepted his prayer and listened to his request. The Lord brought him back to his kingdom in Jerusalem. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. After this, Manasseh rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David from West Gihon Spring in the valley to the entrance of Fishgate. He made the wall go around the Ophel, and he built it very high. He put army commanders in every fortified city in Judah. Manasseh got rid of the foreign gods and the idol in the Lord's temple. He got rid of the altars he had built in the temple on the Lord's mountain and in Jerusalem. He built the Lord's altar and sacrificed fellowship offerings and thank offerings on it. And he told Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. The people continued to sacrifice at the illegal places of worship, but they sacrificed only to the Lord their God. Everything else about Manasseh, including his prayer to his God and the words that the seers spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, are in the records of the kings of Israel. His prayer and how God accepted it are written in the records of Hosea. The things he did before he humbled himself are also written there. This includes all his sins and unfaithfulness and the places where he built illegal worship sites and set up idols and poles dedicated to the goddess Asherah. Manasseh lay down in death with his ancestors. They buried him in his own palace. His son Ammon succeeded him as king. Ammon was twenty-two years old when he began to rule, and he ruled for two years in Jerusalem. He did what the Lord considered evil, as his father Manasseh had done. Ammon sacrificed to all the idols his father Manasseh had made, and he worshipped them. He didn't humble himself in front of the Lord as his father Manasseh had humbled himself. Instead, Ammon continued to sin. His officials plotted against him and killed him in his palace. Then the people of the land killed everyone who had plotted against King Ammon. They made his son Josiah king in his place. Second Chronicles chapter 34 Josiah was eight years old when he began to rule, and he was king for thirty-one years in Jerusalem. He did what the Lord considered right. He lived in the ways of his ancestor David and never stopped living this way. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a boy, he began to dedicate his life to serving the God of his ancestor David. In his twelfth year as king, he began to make Judah and Jerusalem clean by destroying the illegal places of worship 
poles dedicated to the goddess Asherah, carved idols, and metal idols. He had the altars of the various Baal gods torn down. He cut down the incense altars that were above them. He destroyed the Asherah poles, carved idols, and metal idols. He ground them into powder and scattered the powder over the tombs of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars. So he made Judah and Jerusalem clean. In the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, and as far as Naphtali, he removed all their temples, tore down the altars, beat the Asherah poles and idols into powder, and cut down all the incense altars everywhere in Israel. Then he went back to Jerusalem. In the eighteenth year of his reign, as he was making the land and the temple clean, Josiah sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, Maasiah, the mayor of the city, and Joah, the royal historian and son of Jehoaz, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. They came to the chief priest Hilkiah and gave him the money that had been brought to God's temple, the money that the Levite doorkeepers had collected from the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim, from all who were left in Israel, from everyone in the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, and from the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They gave the money to the foremen who were in charge of the Lord's temple. These foremen gave it to the workmen who were restoring and repairing the temple. These workers included carpenters and builders. They were to buy quarried stones and wood for the fittings and beams of the buildings that the king of Judah had allowed to become run down. The men did their work faithfully under the supervision of Jahath and Obadiah, Levites descended from Merari, and Zechariah and Meshulam, descendants of Kohath. The Levites, who were skilled musicians, also supervised the workers and directed all the workmen on the various jobs. Some of the Levites served as scribes, officials, or gatekeepers. When they brought out the money that had been deposited in the Lord's temple, the priest Hilkiah found the book of the Lord's teachings written by Moses. Hilkiah told the scribe Shaphan, I have found the book of the teachings in the Lord's temple. Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan took the book to the king and reported, We are doing everything you told us to do. We took the money that was donated in the Lord's temple and gave it to the supervisors and the workmen. Then the scribe Shaphan told the king, The priest Hilkiah has given me a book, and Shaphan read it to the king. When the king heard what the teaching said, he tore his clothes in distress. Then the king gave an order to Hilkiah, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Abdon, son of Micah, the scribe Shaphan, and the royal official Asahiah. He said, On behalf of those who are left in Israel and Judah and me, ask the Lord about the words in this book that was found. The Lord's fierce anger has been poured on us because our ancestors did not obey the word of the Lord by doing everything written in this book. So Hilkiah and the king's officials went to talk to the prophet Huldah about this matter. She was the wife of Shalom, son of Tohath, and grandson of Hazra. Shalom was in charge of the royal wardrobe. Huldah was living in the second part of Jerusalem. She told them, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me, This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and on the people living here according to the curses written in the book that was read to the king of Judah. I will do this because they have abandoned me and sacrificed to other gods in order to make me furious. Therefore my anger will be poured on this place and will never come to an end. Huldah added, Tell Judah's king who sent you to me to ask the Lord a question. This is what the Lord God of Israel says about the words you heard. You had a change of heart and humbled yourself in front of God when you heard my words against this place and those who live here. You humbled yourself, 
tore your clothes in distress and cried in front of me. So I will listen to you, declares the Lord. That is why I am going to bring you to your ancestors. I am going to bring you to your grave in peace, and your eyes will not see any of the disaster I am going to bring on this place and those who live here. So they reported this to the king. Then the king sent for all the respected leaders of Judah and Jerusalem to join him. The king, everyone in Judah, everyone living in Jerusalem, the priests, the Levites, and all the people, young and old, went up to the Lord's temple. He read everything written in the book of the promise found in the Lord's temple, so that they could hear it. The king stood in his place and made a promise to the Lord that he would follow the Lord and obey his commands, instructions, and laws with all his heart and soul. He said he would live by the terms of the promise written in this book. He also made all those found in Jerusalem and Benjamin join with him in the promise. Then the people of Jerusalem lived according to the promise of God, the God of their ancestors. Josiah got rid of all the disgusting idols throughout Israelite territory. He made all people found in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they didn't stop following the Lord God of their ancestors. Second Chronicles chapter 35 Josiah celebrated the Passover for the Lord in Jerusalem. The Passover lamb was slaughtered on the fourteenth day of the first month. Josiah appointed the priests to their duties and encouraged them to serve in the Lord's temple. He told the Levites, who instructed all Israel and performed ceremonies to make themselves holy to the Lord, Put the holy ark in the temple that Solomon, son of David, and king of Israel built. It shouldn't be carried on your shoulders any longer. Serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. Get yourselves ready with the family groups of your divisions, which are listed in the records of King David of Israel and the records of his son Solomon. Stand in the holy place representing the family divisions of your relatives, the people of Israel. Let the Levites be considered a part of each family. Slaughter the Passover lamb. Perform the ceremonies to make yourselves holy, and prepare the lambs. For the other Israelites, as the Lord instructed us through Moses. Josiah provided the people with 33,000 sheep and goats to be sacrificed as Passover offerings for all who were present. In addition, he provided 3,000 bulls. These animals were the king's property. His officials also voluntarily gave animals to the people, priests, and Levites. Hilkiah, Zechariah, and Jehael, the men in charge of God's temple, gave the priests 2,600 sheep and goats and 300 bulls for Passover sacrifices. Conaniah and his brothers Shemaiah and Nathanel and Hashabiah, Jael and Josabad, the leaders of the Levites, gave the Levites 5,000 sheep and goats and 500 bulls as Passover sacrifices. So the service was prepared. The priests took their positions with the Levites according to their divisions, as the king had ordered. They slaughtered the Passover lambs. The priests sprinkled the blood with their hands while the Levites skinned the lambs. They set aside the burnt offerings to give them to the lay people according to their family divisions. The lay people could then present them to the Lord as written in the book of Moses. The Levites did the same with the bulls. They roasted the Passover lambs according to the directions. They boiled the holy offerings in pots, kettles, and pans, and immediately served them to all the people. Later they prepared the animals for themselves and for the priests, because the priests, Aaron's descendants, were sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fat until that evening. So the Levites prepared the animals for themselves and the priests. The singers, Asaph's descendants, were in their places as David, Asaph, Haman, and the king seer, Jeduthun, had commanded. The gatekeepers were stationed at each gate. 
They didn't need to leave their work because their relatives, the Levites, prepared animals for them. So everything was arranged that day for the worship of the Lord. The Passover was celebrated, and the burnt offerings were sacrificed on the Lord's altar, as King Josiah had commanded. The Israelites, who were present, celebrated the Passover at that time. They also celebrated the festival of unleavened bread for seven days. Never had a Passover like this been celebrated in Israel during the time of the prophet Samuel or the kings of Israel. They did not celebrate the Passover as Josiah celebrated it with priests, Levites, all of Judah, the people of Israel who could be found, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the eighteenth year of Josiah's reign, this Passover was celebrated. After all this, when Josiah had repaired the temple, King Necho of Egypt came to fight a battle at Carchemish, at the Euphrates River. Josiah went to attack him, but Necho sent messengers to Josiah to say, What's your quarrel with me, king of Judah? I'm not attacking you. I've come to fight those who are at war with me. God told me to hurry. God is with me, so stop now or else he will destroy you. But Josiah would not stop his attack. He disguised himself as he went into battle. He refused to listen to Necho's words, which came from God, and he went to fight in the valley of Megiddo. Some archers shot King Josiah. The king told his officers, Take me away, because I'm badly wounded. His officers took him out of the chariot and brought him to Jerusalem in his other chariot. He died and was buried in the tombs of his ancestors. All Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Jeremiah sang a funeral song about Josiah. All the male and female singers still sing funeral songs about Josiah today. This became a tradition in Israel. They are written in the book of the funeral songs. Everything else about Josiah, including his devotion to God by following what is written in the Lord's teachings and his acts from first to last, are written in the records of the kings of Israel and Judah. Second Chronicles chapter 36 then people of the land took Josiah's son Jehoahaz and made him king in Jerusalem in place of his father. Jehoahaz was twenty-three years old when he became king, and he was king in Jerusalem for three months. The king of Egypt removed him from office in Jerusalem and fined the country seven thousand five hundred pounds of silver and seventy-five pounds of gold. The king of Egypt made Jehoahaz's brother Eliakim king of Judah and Jerusalem and changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. Necho took Jehoahaz away to Egypt. Jehoiakim was twenty-five years old when he began to rule, and he ruled for eleven years in Jerusalem. He did what the Lord his God considered evil. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon attacked Jehoiakim and put him in bronze shackles to take him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also brought some of the utensils of the Lord's temple to Babylon. He put them in his palace in Babylon. Everything else about Jehoiakim, the disgusting things he did and all the charges against him, is written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. His son Jehoiakim succeeded him as king. Jehoiakim was eight years old when he began to rule as king. He was king for three months and ten days in Jerusalem. He did what the Lord considered evil. In the spring, King Nebuchadnezzar sent for Jehoiakim and brought him to Babylon with the valuable utensils from the Lord's temple. Nebuchadnezzar made Jehoiakim's uncle Zedekiah king of Judah and Jerusalem. Zedekiah was twenty-one years old when he began to rule, and he ruled for eleven years in Jerusalem. He did what the Lord his God considered evil, and didn't humble himself in front of the prophet Jeremiah, who spoke for the Lord. Zedekiah also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had made Zedekiah swear an oath of allegiance to him in God's name. 
But Zedekiah became so stubborn and so impossible to deal with that he refused to turn back to the Lord God of Israel. All the officials, the priests, and the people became increasingly unfaithful and followed all the disgusting practices of the nations. Although the Lord had made the temple in Jerusalem holy, they made the temple unclean. The Lord God of their ancestors repeatedly sent messages through His messengers because He wanted to spare His people and His dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised His words, and made fun of His prophets until the Lord became angry with His people. He could no longer heal them. So He had the Babylonian king attack them and execute their best young men in their holy temple. He didn't spare the best men or the unmarried women, the old people or the sick people. God handed all of them over to Him. He brought to Babylon each of the utensils from God's temple, the treasures from the Lord's temple, and the treasures of the king and his officials. They burned God's temple, tore down Jerusalem's walls, burned down all its palaces, and destroyed everything of value. The king of Babylon took those who weren't executed to Babylon to be slaves for him and his sons. They remained captives until the Persian Empire began to rule. This happened so that the Lord's words spoken through Jeremiah would be fulfilled. The land had its years of rest and was made acceptable again. While it lay in ruins, the land had its seventy years of rest. The promise the Lord had spoken through Jeremiah was about to come true in Cyrus's first year as king of Persia. The Lord inspired the king to make this announcement throughout his whole kingdom and then to put it in writing. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says, The Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the world, and he has ordered me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. May God be with all of you who are his people. You may go to Ezra, chapter 1. The promise the Lord had spoken through Jeremiah was about to come true in Cyrus's first year as king of Persia. The Lord inspired the king to make this announcement throughout his whole kingdom, and then to put it in writing. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says, The Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the world, and he has ordered me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. May God be with all of you who are his people. You may go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build a temple for the Lord God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. All who choose to remain behind, wherever they may be living, should provide the people who are leaving with silver, gold, supplies, livestock, and free will offerings to be used in God's temple in Jerusalem. Then the heads of the families of Judah and Benjamin, the priests and the Levites, everyone God had inspired, came forward to rebuild the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. All their neighbors who were remaining behind provided them with articles made from silver and gold, supplies, livestock, and valuable gifts besides everything that was freely offered. King Cyrus brought out the utensils belonging to the Lord's temple. Nebuchadnezzar had taken these utensils from Jerusalem and put them in the temple of his own god. King Cyrus of Persia put the treasurer Mithridath in charge of bringing them out. So Mithridath made a list of them for Prince Sheshbazar of Judah. This is the inventory. Gold dishes, 30. Silver dishes, 1,000. Knives, 29. Gold bowls, 30. Other silver bowls, 410. Other utensils, 1,000. The gold and silver utensils totaled 5,400. Sheshbazar took all these utensils with him when the exiles left Babylon to go to Jerusalem. Ezra, chapter 2. These were the people in the province. They were the ones who left the palace where the exiles had been taken captive. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had taken them to Babylon. These exiles returned to Jerusalem and Judah. All of them went to their own cities. 
They went with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Seraiah, Reeliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvai, Rehum, and Baana. This is the number of Israelite men from the people in exile. The descendants of Parosh, 2,172, of Shephatiah, 372, of Arah, 775, of Pahath-Moab, that is, of Jeshua and Joab, 2,812, of Elam, 1,254, of Zatu, 945, of Zakai, 760, of Bani, 642, of Babai, 623, of Asgad, 1,222, of Adonaikam, 666, of Bigvai, 2056, of Adin, 454, of Ater, that is Hezekiah, 98, of Bezai, 323, of Jorah, 112, of Hashum, 223, of Gibar, 95, the people of Bethlehem, 123, of Netophah, 56, of Anathoth, 128, of Asmaveth, 42, of Kiriath Jeorim, Kephirah and Beeroth, 743, of Ramah and Geba, 621, of Mikmas, 122, of Bethel and Ai, 223, of Nebo, 52, of Magbish, 156, of the other Elam, 1254, of Harim, 320, of Lod, Hadid, and Ono, 725, of Jericho, 345, of Sena'a, 3630. These priests returned from exile, the descendants of Jediah through the family of Jeshua, 973, of Emer, 1052, of Pashur, 1247, of Harim, 1017. These Levites returned from exile, the descendants of Jeshua and Kadmiel, that is, Hodaviah, 74. The singers returned from exile, the descendants of Asaph, 128. These gatekeepers returned from exile, the descendants of Shalom, Ater, Talmon, Akub, Hatita, and Shobai, 139. These temple servants returned from exile, the descendants of Ziha, Hasufa, Tabaoth, Keros, Sayaha, Padon, Lebana, Hagaba, Akub, Hagab, Shalmai, Hanan, Gidel, Gahar, Reiah, Rezin, Nekoda, Gazam, Uza, Pasea, Besai, Aznah, Meonim, Nefusim, Bakbuk, Hakufa, Harhur, Basluth, Mehida, Harsha, Barkos, Sisera, Tema, Nizaiah, Hatifa. These descendants of Solomon's servants returned from exile, the descendants of Sotai, Hasophereth, Peruda, Jaala, Darkon, Gidel, Shephatiah, Hatil, Pokereth, Hazebaim, and Ami. The temple servants and the descendants of Solomon's servants totaled 392. The following people came from Tel-Mala, Tel-Harsha, Cherub, Adan, and Dimer, but they couldn't prove they were Israelites on the basis of their father's family or their genealogy. The descendants of Deleiah, Tobiah, and Nekoda. These people totaled 652. These descendants of the priests couldn't prove their families were Israelites. The descendants of Hobaiah, Hakoz, and Barzillai, who married one of the daughters of Barzillai from Gilead and took that family name. These people searched for their family names in the genealogical records, but their names couldn't be found there. For this reason, they were considered contaminated and couldn't be priests. The governor told them not to eat any of the most holy food until a priest could use the Urim and Thummim to settle the problem. 
The whole assembly totaled 42,360, in addition to the male and female servants who numbered 7,337, they also had 200 male and female singers. They had 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. When some of the heads of the families came to the Lord's temple in Jerusalem, they contributed free will offerings to help rebuild God's temple on its former site. They contributed as much as they could to the treasury for this work, 1,030 pounds of gold, 5,740 pounds of silver, and 100 robes for the priests. The priests, the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants settled in their own cities. All the other Israelites settled in their own cities. Ezra, chapter 3. When the seventh month came, the people gathered together in Jerusalem. The Israelites had already settled in their cities. Then Josadak's son, Jeshua, and his relatives, who were priests, and Shealtiel's son, Zerubbabel, and his relatives, built an altar for the God of Israel. They built it in order to sacrifice burnt offerings. They followed the directions written in Moses' teachings. Moses was a man of God. So they rebuilt the altar on its original site, though they were afraid of the people in the neighboring regions. They sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord every morning and evening. Following the written directions, they celebrated the festival of booths. Each day they sacrificed the required number of burnt offerings. After that, they sacrificed the daily burnt offering, the offerings for the new moon festival, and all the other holy festivals of the Lord, and all the free will offerings brought to the Lord. They started to bring these burnt offerings to the Lord on the first day of the seventh month, even though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. So they gave money to the stone cutters and carpenters. Then they gave food, drink, and olive oil to the men from Sidon and Tyre in exchange for cedar, which the men would bring by sea from Lebanon to Joppa, as King Cyrus of Persia had authorized them to do. Zerubbabel, who was Shealtiel's son, Jeshua, who was Josadak's son, and the rest of the Jews, the priests, Levites, and all the others who had come back from exile to Jerusalem, began to rebuild the temple. This happened in the second month of the second year following their return to the site of God's house in Jerusalem. They began by appointing the Levites, who were at least twenty years old, to direct the work on the Lord's house. Then Jeshua, with his sons and relatives, and Cadmiel, with his sons who were Judah's descendants, joined Henadad's family and their sons and relatives, the Levites, in directing those working on God's house. The builders laid the foundation of the Lord's temple. Then the priests who were dressed in their robes took their places with trumpets, and the Levites, who were Asaph's descendants, took their places with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the instructions of King David of Israel. As they praised and gave thanks to the Lord, they sang antiphonally, He is good, His mercy toward Israel endures forever. Then all the people shouted, Praise the Lord, because the foundation for the house of the Lord had been laid. But many of the priests, Levites, and the heads of the families who were old enough to have seen the first temple with their own eyes began to sob when they saw the foundation of this temple. Many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish between the joyful shouts and the loud sobbing because the people were shouting so loudly. The noise was heard from far away. Ezra chapter 4 When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the people who returned from exile were building a temple for the Lord God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the families. They told them, We want to help you build because we worship the same God you worship. We have been sacrificing to him since the time of King Esarhaddon of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of Israel's families told them, 
It isn't right for your people and our people to build a temple for our God together. We must build it alone for the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus of Persia ordered us to do. Then the people of that region discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to continue building. They bribed officials to keep the people of Judah from carrying out their plans throughout the reign of King Cyrus of Persia until the reign of King Darius of Persia. When Xerxes began to rule, the enemies of Judah and Jerusalem wrote a letter in which they made an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. Bishlam, Mithridath, Tabil, and the rest of their group wrote to him when Artaxerxes was king of Persia. The letter was written with the Aramaic script and translated into the Aramaic language. Rehum the commander and Shimshai the scribe wrote another letter against the people of Jerusalem to King Artaxerxes. At that time Rehum the commander and Shimshai the scribe were with the others of their group, the people from Denya, Partaka, Tarpel, Persia, Erek, Babylon, Susa, that is, those of Elam, and the rest of the people whom the great and noble Asurbanipal deported. Asurbanipal settled them in the cities of Samaria and the rest of the lands west of the Euphrates River. This is the copy of the letter they sent to him. To King Artaxerxes, from your servants, the people west of the Euphrates. Your Majesty, you should know that the Jews who came to us from you are now in Jerusalem. They are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are close to finishing the walls. The foundations are already in place. You should also know that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are finished, the Jews will no longer pay taxes, fees, and tolls. Ultimately, this will hurt the king's income. Now, because we are paid by your palace, it isn't right for us to watch something happen that will dishonor the king. So we are sending this letter to inform you that you should search the official records of your predecessors. You will find in those official records that this city has been rebellious and has been a threat to kings and provinces. This city has a history of rebelliousness. That's why this city was destroyed. We want the king to know that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are finished, you will have nothing left of your province west of the Euphrates River. Then the king sent this reply. To Rehum the commander, Shimshai the scribe, and the rest of their group living in Samaria, and to others west of the Euphrates River, I wish you peace and prosperity. The letter you sent me has been read word for word in my presence. I gave the order, and a search was made. I discovered that this city has a long history of uprisings against kings. Its inhabitants are guilty of treason and rebellion. Jerusalem has had powerful kings who have ruled the whole province west of the Euphrates. Taxes, fees, and tolls were paid to them. So order these men to stop rebuilding. Keep this city from being rebuilt until I give the order. Be careful not to neglect your duty in this matter. Why should I, the king, suffer any more harm? Rehum the commander, Shimshai the scribe, and their group hurried to Jerusalem after hearing a copy of King Artaxerxes' letter. They forced the Jews to stop rebuilding. Then the work of God's temple in Jerusalem was stopped. Nothing more was done until Darius's second year as king of Persia. Ezra, chapter 5. The prophet Haggai and Zechariah, grandson of Edo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of Israel's God, who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, who was Shealtiel's son, and Jeshua, who was Josadak's son, began to rebuild God's temple in Jerusalem. God's prophets were with them and supported them. At the same time, Governor Tetanai from the province west of the Euphrates River, Shethar Bozanai, and their group went to the Jews and asked them, Who gave you permission to rebuild this temple and finish its walls? They also asked the Jews for the names of the men who were working on this building. But the leaders of the Jews were under God's watchful eye. 
They couldn't be stopped until Darius received a report and sent a reply to it. Here is a copy of the letter Governor Tetanai from the province west of the Euphrates River, Shethar Bozanai and his group, the Persians west of that river, sent to King Darius. They sent him the following report. To King Darius, we wish you peace and prosperity in everything you do. Your Majesty should know that we went to the province of Judah to the temple of the great God. The temple is being built with large stones and with wooden beams laid in its walls. The builders are doing an excellent job and making rapid progress. We asked their leaders the following question. Who gave you permission to rebuild this temple and finish its walls? For your information, we also asked them for their names so that we would have a record of the men who were their leaders. This was their reply to us. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. We are rebuilding the temple that was originally built many years ago by a great king of Israel. But because our ancestors made the God of heaven angry, he handed them over to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, a Chaldean. So Nebuchadnezzar destroyed this temple and deported its people to Babylon. However, in the first year of the reign of King Cyrus of Babylon, Cyrus gave permission for God's temple to be rebuilt. In addition, Cyrus took out of a temple in Babylon the gold and silver utensils that belonged to God's temple. Nebuchadnezzar had taken them out of God's temple in Jerusalem and brought them into a temple in Babylon. Cyrus gave them to a man named Sheshbazar, whom he had made governor. Cyrus told him, Take these utensils, place them in the temple in Jerusalem, rebuild God's temple on its original site. Then Sheshbazar laid the foundation of God's temple in Jerusalem. The temple has been under construction from that time until now, but it still isn't finished. If it pleases your majesty, allow someone to search the king's archives in Babylon to determine whether King Cyrus gave permission for the temple of God to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. Then please send us your majesty's decision on this matter. Ezra, chapter 6. Then King Darius gave the order to search the library where the archives were stored in Babylon. A scroll was found in the palace of Ekbatana, which is in the province of Media. This was written on it. Memorandum, date, Cyrus's first year as king, from King Cyrus, subject, God's temple in Jerusalem. The temple should be rebuilt as a place to offer sacrifices. Its foundation should be laid. It should be ninety feet high and ninety feet wide, with three rows of large stones and a row of wood. The king's palace will pay for it. In addition, Cyrus took out of a temple in Babylon the gold and silver utensils that belonged to God's temple. Nebuchadnezzar had taken them out of God's temple in Jerusalem and brought them into a temple in Babylon. They should be returned to their proper place in the temple in Jerusalem. You should put each one in God's temple. Governor Tetanai from the province west of the Euphrates, Shethar Bozanai, and those of your group, the Persians west of the river. You must stay away from there. Don't interfere with the work on God's temple. Let the governor of the Jews and the leaders of Judah rebuild God's temple on its original foundation. I am issuing this decree about how you must help the Jewish leaders rebuild God's temple. The cost for this should be paid out of the king's own money from the taxes on the province west of the Euphrates. Full payment should be made to these men so that the work is not interrupted. Also, whatever the priests in Jerusalem need for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, young bulls, rams, lambs, wheat, salt, wine, and olive oil, should be provided for them each day. Make sure that nothing is omitted. Then they can offer sacrifices that please the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. I am also issuing a decree that if anyone tampers with my orders, that person should be impaled on a beam torn from his own house 
and his house should be turned into a pile of rubble. May the God whose name is worshipped there cause the downfall of each king and nation who tries to tamper with my orders or tries to destroy the temple of the God in Jerusalem. I, Darius, have issued a decree. It is to be carried out exactly as ordered. Then Governor Tetanai from the province west of the Euphrates River, Shethar Bozanai, and their group did exactly what King Darius had ordered. So the Jewish leaders continued to make progress because of the message from the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the grandson of Edo. They finished building as the God of Israel had ordered, and as Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, the kings of Persia, had ordered. This temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of King Darius's reign. Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the others who had returned from exile celebrated at the dedication of God's temple. At the dedication of God's temple, they sacrificed 100 bulls, 200 rams, and 400 lambs. They sacrificed 12 male goats as an offering for sin, one goat for each of the tribes of Israel. The priests were assigned to their divisions, and the Levites to their groups to lead the worship of God in Jerusalem by following the directions written in the book of Moses. On the fourteenth day of the first month, those who had returned from exile celebrated the Passover. Since the priests and Levites had cleansed themselves, all of them were now clean. They killed the Passover lambs for all the people who had returned from exile, for the rest of the priests and for themselves. The lambs were eaten by the Israelites who had returned from exile, and by all who had separated themselves from the unclean practices of the non-Jews in the land to worship the Lord God of Israel. So for seven days they celebrated the festival of unleavened bread, because the Lord had made them joyful. The Lord had made the king of Assyria change his mind, so that he supported the people in their work on the temple of God, the God of Israel. Ezra, chapter 7. After these things, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, Ezra left Babylon. Ezra was the son of Saraiah, who was the son of Azariah, who was the son of Hilkiah, who was the son of Shalom, who was the son of Zadok, who was the son of Ahitub, who was the son of Amariah, who was the son of Azariah, who was the son of Merioth, who was the son of Zerahiah, who was the son of Uzi, who was the son of Buki, who was the son of Abishua, who was the son of Phinehas, who was the son of Eleazar, who was the son of Aaron, the first priest. As a scribe, Ezra was an expert in Moses' teachings, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king gave Ezra everything he requested, because the Lord his God was guiding him. Some Israelites, including priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and temple servants, went to Jerusalem in Artaxerxes' seventh year as king. In that same year, in the fifth month, Ezra arrived in Jerusalem. He had left Babylon on the first day of the first month, and on the first day of the fifth month he arrived in Jerusalem since his God was good to him. Ezra was determined to study the Lord's teachings, live by them, and teach their rules and regulations in Israel. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave Ezra the priest and scribe, a man with a thorough knowledge of the Lord's commands and laws for Israel, from Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, a scribe for the teachings of the God of heaven. I wish you peace and prosperity. I have issued a decree that any Israelites who are in my kingdom and want to go with you to Jerusalem may go. This also includes the priests and Levites. I, the king, and my seven advisers are sending you to evaluate the situation in Judah and Jerusalem on the basis of your God's teachings, which you hold in your hands. Also, you must take the silver and gold that the king and his advisers willingly contributed to the God of Israel, the God whose temple is in Jerusalem. 
Take any silver and gold that you find in the whole province of Babylon when you take the gifts contributed by the people and the priests. They willingly contributed these gifts for the temple of their God in Jerusalem. You must use this money to buy bulls, rams, lambs, grain, and wine to offer on the altar of the temple of your God in Jerusalem. You and your relatives may do whatever you think is right with the rest of the silver and gold. However, what you do must conform to the will of your God. The utensils that have been given to you so that they can be used in your God's temple must all be presented to the God of Jerusalem. You may use the king's treasury to pay for anything else that you must provide for your God's temple. I, King Artaxerxes, order all the treasurers in the province west of the Euphrates River to do exactly what Ezra the priest, a scribe for the teachings of the God of heaven, asks you to do. You may give him up to 7,500 pounds of silver, 100 measures of wheat, 600 gallons of wine, 600 gallons of olive oil, and as much salt as he needs. Whatever the God of heaven has commanded must be carried out in detail for the temple of the God of heaven. Why should God become angry with the king's empire and his sons? Furthermore, we are notifying you that you are forbidden to make any priest, Levite, singer, gatekeeper, servant, or worker in the temple of this God pay any taxes, fees, or tolls. You, Ezra, using your God's wisdom, the teachings you hold in your hands, will appoint judges and administrators for all the people who know your God's teachings and live in the province west of the Euphrates River. In addition, you will teach anyone who doesn't know the teachings. Whoever will not strictly follow your God's teachings and the king's orders should be promptly exiled, have his goods confiscated, be imprisoned, or be sentenced to die. I, Ezra, said, Thanks be to the Lord God of our ancestors. He put this into the king's mind to make the Lord's temple in Jerusalem beautiful. He made the king, his advisers, and all the king's powerful officials treat me kindly. I was encouraged, because the Lord my God was guiding me. So I gathered leaders in Israel to go with me. Ezra, chapter 8. These are the leaders of the families and the genealogy of those who left Babylon with me during the reign of King Artaxerxes. From the family of Phinehas, Gershom. From the family of Ithamar, Daniel. From the family of David, Hattush, son of Shechaniah. From the family of Parush, Zechariah, with 150 males whose genealogies were known. From the family of Pahath Moab, Eliahonai, son of Zerahiah, with two hundred males. From the family of Zatu, Shechaniah, son of Jehaziel, with three hundred males. From the family of Adin, Abed, son of Jonathan, with fifty males. From the family of Elam, Jeshiah, son of Athaliah, with seventy males. From the family of Shephatiah, Zebediah, son of Michael, with eighty males. From the family of Joab, Obadiah, son of Jehiel, with two hundred ten males. From the family of Bani, Shalomith, son of Jesephiah, with 160 males. From the family of Bebai, Zechariah, son of Bebai, with 38 males. From the family of Asgad, Johanan, son of Hakatan, with 110 males. From the family of Adonikam, Eliphalet, Jeuel, and Shemaiah, who arrived later with 60 males. From the family of Bigvai, Uthai, and Zabud, with 70 males. I had this group gather by the river that flows to Ahava, and we camped there for three days. I noticed lay people and priests there, but I didn't find any Levites. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jarib, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Mashulam, who were leading men, and for Joiarib and Elnathan, who were wise. I sent them to Edo, the leader in Kasiphiah. 
I told them to tell Edo and his relatives, the temple servants in Casaphia, that they should bring us men who can serve in our God's temple. God was guiding us, so Edo and his relatives brought us someone competent, Sherebiah, who was a descendant of Mali, Levi, and Israel. They brought us eighteen of Sherebiah's sons and relatives. They also brought Hashabiah, Jeshaiah, who was a descendant of Marari, twenty of Jeshaiah's relatives and their sons, and two hundred twenty temple servants. They were descended from the temple servants whom David and his officials had appointed to work for the Levites. These were all listed by name. Then I announced a fast there at the Ahava River, so that we might humble ourselves in the presence of our God, to ask Him for a safe journey for ourselves, for our little ones, and for all our goods. I was ashamed to ask the king for an armed escort with cavalry to help us against an enemy attack on the way. We had already told the king, our God works things out for the good of everyone who dedicates his life to serving him, but his power and his anger oppose everyone who abandons him. So we fasted and asked our God for a safe journey, and he answered our prayer. Then I selected twelve leaders from the priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their relatives. I weighed for them the silver, the gold, and the utensils. These were the contributions that the king, his advisers, his officials, and all the Israelites had contributed for our God's temple. I weighed the contributions for them to guard about 24 tons of silver, 100 silver utensils weighing 150 pounds apiece, 7,500 pounds of gold, 20 gold bowls weighing 18 pounds apiece, and two utensils of fine polished bronze that were as precious as gold. I told them, You and the utensils are holy to the Lord. The silver and gold are free will offerings to the Lord God of your ancestors. Guard them carefully. In Jerusalem, inside the storerooms of the Lord's temple, weigh these items. Do this in front of the chief priests, Levites, and the leaders of Israel's families. So the priests and Levites took charge of the silver, the gold, and the utensils. They were responsible for bringing these items to the temple of our God in Jerusalem. Then we left the Ahava River on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. God was guiding us, and He rescued us from our enemies and from ambushes along the way. When we reached Jerusalem, we rested for three days. On the fourth day, we weighed the silver, the gold, and the utensils in our God's temple. We put them under the supervision of Meramoth, son of the priest Uriah, as well as Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. The Levites, Jeshua's son, Josabad, and Binui's son, Noadiah, assisted them. Everything was counted and weighed, and the entire weight was recorded at that time. The exiles who had come back from captivity sacrificed burnt offerings to the God of Israel, twelve bulls for all Israel, ninety-six rams, seventy-seven lambs, and twelve male goats for an offering for sin. All of these animals were burnt offerings for the Lord. The exiles delivered the king's orders to the king's satraps and governors in the province west of the Euphrates River. These officials then gave their support to the people and the temple of God. Ezra, chapter 9. After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, The people of Israel, including the priests and Levites, have failed to keep themselves separate from the neighboring groups of people and from the disgusting practices of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. The Israelites and their sons have married some of these foreign women. They have mixed our holy race with the neighboring groups of people. Furthermore, the leaders and officials have led the way in being unfaithful. When I heard this, I tore my clothes in distress, pulled hair from my scalp and my beard, and sat down in shock. 
Since the former exiles had been unfaithful, everyone who gathered around me there trembled at the words of the God of Israel. I sat in shock until the evening sacrifice. At the evening sacrifice I got up from my misery, and with my clothes torn I knelt down, stretched out my hands to the Lord my God in prayer, and said, I am ashamed, my God. I am embarrassed to look at you. Our sins have piled up over our heads, and our guilt is so overwhelming that it reaches heaven. From our ancestors' days until now we have been deep in guilt. Our kings and our priests have been handed over to foreign kings to be executed. We have been taken captive, robbed, and humiliated, as we still are today because of our sins. And now for a brief moment the Lord our God has been kind enough to leave us a few survivors from Babylon and to give us a secure hold on His holy place. Our God has made our eyes light up and has given us new opportunities while we were slaves. We are slaves, but our God hasn't abandoned us in our slavery. Instead, He has made the kings of Persia treat us kindly. He did this to give us an opportunity to rebuild our God's temple and restore its ruins and to give us a protective wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, our God, what can we say after all this? We have abandoned your commandments. The commandments you gave us through your servants, the prophets, said, The land you are going to take possession of has been polluted by its perverted people and by their disgusting practices that have filled it with wickedness from one end to another. So never let your daughters marry their sons, or your sons marry their daughters, and never seek peace or trade with them. Then you will be strong, be able to eat the good things the land produces, and be able to give this land as a long-lasting inheritance to your children. After all that has happened to us, because of the evil things we have done and because of our overwhelming guilt, you, our God, have punished us far less than we deserve, and have permitted a few of us to survive. If we break your commandments again and intermarry with people doing these disgusting things, you will become even more angry with us until you finally destroy us and no survivors are left. Lord God of Israel, because you are fair, a few of us continue to remain as survivors. Look at us. All of us are guilty. None of us can stand in your presence because of this. Ezra chapter 10. While Ezra was praying, confessing these sins, crying and throwing himself down in front of God's temple, a large crowd of Israelite men, women and children gathered around him, they also began to cry bitterly. Then Shechaniah, son of Jehiel, one of the descendants of Elam, interrupted by saying to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women who came from the people around us. However, there is still hope for Israel, so we must now make a promise to our God to get rid of all foreign women and the children born from them, as my Lord Ezra and the others who tremble at the commandments of our God have advised us to do. We must do what Moses' teachings tell us. Get up. It's your duty to take action. We are with you, so be strong and take action. Then Ezra got up and made the leaders, priests, Levites, and all the rest of Israel swear to do what they had said. So they took an oath. Then Ezra left the front of God's temple and went to the room of Jehohanan, son of Eliashib. Ezra didn't eat any food or drink any water while he was there. He was mourning because these former exiles had been so unfaithful. Then he sent a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem that all the former exiles must gather in Jerusalem. If any of them didn't come within three days, as the leaders and the older men had advised, then they would lose all their property and be excluded from the community of former exiles. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered within three days in Jerusalem. On the twentieth day of the ninth month, 
all the people sat in the courtyard of God's temple. They were trembling because of this matter, and shivering because of the heavy rain. Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have been unfaithful by marrying foreign women, and now you have added to Israel's guilt. Confess to the Lord God of your ancestors what you have done, and do what He wants. Separate yourselves from the people of this land, and from your foreign wives. Then the whole assembly shouted in reply, Yes, we will do as you say. But the crowd is too large, and it's the rainy season. We can't take care of this outside. Besides, there are so many of us who are involved in this sin that it can't be taken care of in a day or two. Let our leaders represent the whole community. At a set time, everyone who has married a foreign woman must meet with the leaders and judges of each city until our God's burning anger has turned away from us in this matter. Only Jonathan, Asahel's son, and Jaziah, Tikva's son, opposed this. Meshulam and Shabbatai, the Levites, supported Jonathan and Jaziah. The former exiles did this. Ezra the priest chose men who were heads of families. He chose one from each family division. They were all listed by name. They sat down on the first day of the tenth month to investigate the matter. By the first day of the first month, they had finished dealing with all the men who had married foreign women. Among the descendants of the priests, the following were married to foreign women. Maaseiah, Eliezer, Jarib, and Gedaliah, a descendant of Jeshua, who was Josadak's son, and his brothers. They shook hands as a pledge that they would get rid of their wives. They sacrificed a ram from their flock as an offering for guilt, because they were guilty. From the descendants of Emer, Hanani, and Zebediah, from the descendants of Harim, Maasiah, Elijah, Shemaiah, Jehel, and Uzziah. From the descendants of Pasher, Elionai, Maasiah, Ishmael, Nathanel, Josabad, and Elisa. From the Levites, Josabad, Shimei, Keliah, that is, Kelaita, Pethahiah, Judah, and Eliezer. From the singers, Eliashib. From the gatekeepers, Shalom, Telem, and Uri. From the other Israelites, from the descendants of Parush, Ramiah, Isaiah, Malkiah, Maijamin, Eleazar, Malkiah, and Benaiah. From the descendants of Elam, Mataniah, Zechariah, Jehiel, Abdi, Jeremoth, and Elijah. From the descendants of Zatu, Elionai, Eliashib, Mataniah, Jeremoth, Zabad, and Aziza. From the descendants of Bebai, Jehohanan, Hananiah, Zebai, and Atlai. From the descendants of Bani, Meshulam, Maluch, Adaiah, Jashub, Sheal, and Jeremoth. From the descendants of Pahath Moab, Adna, Chelal, Benaiah, Maaseiah, Mataniah, Bazalel, Benui, and Manasseh. From the descendants of Harim, Eliezer, Ishiah, Malchiah, Shemaiah, Shimeon, Benjamin, Maluch, and Shemariah. From the descendants of Hashum, Matanai, Matata, Zabad, Eliphalet, Jeremai, Manasseh, and Shimei. From the descendants of Bani, Maadai, Amram, Uel, Baneiah, Bedeiah, Cheluhi, Vaniah, Meramoth, Eliashib, Mataniah, Matanai, Jashau. From the descendants of Binui, Shimei, Shelemiah, Nathan, Adeiah, Makna Debai, Shashai, Sharai, Azarel, Shelemiah, Shemariah, Salum, Amariah, and Joseph. From the descendants of Nebo, Jael, Matathiah, Zabad, Zabina, Jedai, Joel, and Benaiah. All of these men had married foreign women. 
Some of these women had given birth to children. Nehemiah chapter 1. These are the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. During the month of Chislev, in Artaxerxes' twentieth year as king, while I was in the fortress at Susa, one of my brothers, Hanani, arrived with some men from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had survived captivity and about Jerusalem. They told me, Those who survived captivity are in the province. They are enduring serious troubles and being insulted. The wall of Jerusalem has been broken down, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and cried. I mourned for days. I continued to fast and pray to the God of heaven. I said, Lord God of heaven, great and awe-inspiring God, you faithfully keep your promise and show mercy to those who love you and obey your commandments. Open your eyes and pay close attention with your ears to what I, your servant, am praying. I am praying to you day and night about your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins that we Israelites have committed against you, as well as the sins that my father's family and I have committed. We have done you a great wrong. We haven't obeyed the commandments, laws, or regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told us through your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and continue to obey my commandments, though your people may be driven to the most distant point on the horizon, I will come and get you from there and bring you to the place where I chose to put my name. These are your servants and your people whom you have saved by your great power and your strong hand. Lord, please pay attention to my prayer and to the prayers of all your other servants who want to worship your name. Please give me success today, and make this man, King Artaxerxes, show me compassion. I was cupbearer to the king at this time. Nehemiah chapter 2 In the month of Nisan, in Artaxerxes' twentieth year as king, after some wine was brought for the king, I picked up the cup of wine and gave it to the king. I had never been sad in his presence before. The king asked me, Why do you look so sad? You aren't sick, are you? You must be troubled about something. I was really afraid. May the king live forever, I said to the king. Why shouldn't I look sad when the city, the place where my ancestors are buried, is in ruins and its gates are burned down? What do you want? the king asked me. So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I asked the king, If it pleases your majesty, and you are willing to grant my request, let me go to Judah, to the city where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then, while the queen was sitting beside him, the king asked me, how long will you be gone, and when will you come back? When I gave him a specific date, he was willing to let me go. I also asked the king, If it pleases your majesty, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River. In the letters tell them to grant me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. Also let me have a letter addressed to Aesop, the supervisor of your majesty's forest. In the letter, order him to give me wood for the gates of the fortress near the temple, for the city wall, and for the house I'll move into. The king let me have the letters, because God was guiding me. I went to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, and gave them the king's letters. The king had sent army officers and cavalry to be with me. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, they were very upset that someone had come to give the people of Israel so much assistance. I went to Jerusalem and was there for three days. During the night I went out with a few men without telling anyone what my God had inspired me to do for Jerusalem. The only animal I had was the one I was riding. I went through Valley Gate that night toward Snake Fountain and Dung Gate, 
and examine the places where the walls of Jerusalem were broken down and where its gates had been burned. Passing through Fountain Gate, I arrived at King's Pool, but the animal I was riding couldn't get through. So I went through the valley that night and examined the wall. Then I turned back, entered Valley Gate, and returned. The officials didn't know where I had gone or what I had done. I hadn't yet told the Jews, the priests, the leaders, the other officials, or any of the rest who would be doing the work. Then I told them, You see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem is in ruins, and its gates are burned down. Let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be insulted. Then I told them that my God had been guiding me and what the king had told me. They replied, Let's begin to rebuild. So they encouraged one another to begin this God-pleasing work. When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite servant, and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they made fun of us and ridiculed us. They asked, What are you doing? Are you going to rebel against the king? The God of heaven will give us success, I answered them. We, his servants, are going to rebuild. You have no property or claim or historic right in Jerusalem. Nehemiah chapter 3 The chief priest Eliashib and his relatives, the priests, started by rebuilding Sheepgate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place. They rebuilt it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and then as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men from Jericho were rebuilding next to Eliashib. Zakur, son of Imri, was next to them. The sons of Hasanah rebuilt Fishgate. They laid its beams and set its doors, locks and bars in place. Next to them, Merimoth, son of Uriah, and grandson of Hakos made repairs. Next to them, Mashulam, son of Berechiah, and grandson of Meshezabel, made repairs. Next to them, Zadok, son of Baana, made repairs. Next to them, the men from Tekoa made repairs. However, the nobles wouldn't lower themselves to work under supervisors. Jehoiada, Paseah's son, and Meshulam, Besodeah's son, made repairs on Old Gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, locks, and bars in place. Next to them, Melatiah from Gibeon and Jadon from Meronoth, with men from Gibeon and Mizpah, made repairs on the wall. They did this under the authority of the governor from the province west of the Euphrates River. Next to them, Uziel, Harahiah's son, a goldsmith, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, a perfume maker, made repairs. They left out part of Jerusalem as far as Broad Wall. Next to them, Rephaiah, Hur's son, an official in charge of half a district of Jerusalem, made repairs. Next to them, Jedeiah, Harumaf's son, made repairs across from his own home. Next to them, Hatush, Hashabaniah's son, made repairs. Melchiah, Harim's son, and Hashub, Pahath Moab's son, made repairs on a section that included the Tower of the Ovens. Next to them, Shalom, Halohesh's son, an official in charge of half a district of Jerusalem, made repairs with the help of his daughters. Hanun and the people of Zanoah repaired Valley Gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, locks, and bars in place, and they repaired 1,500 feet of the wall as far as Dung Gate. Dung Gate itself was repaired by Malchiah, Rechab's son, the official in charge of the district of Beth Hakerem, he rebuilt it and set its doors, locks, and bars in place. Shalom, Kol Hose's son, the official in charge of the district of Mizpah, repaired Fountain Gate. He rebuilt it, put a roof over it, and set its doors, locks, and bars in place. He also made repairs on the wall of the Pool of Shelah by the king's garden, as far as the stairs going down from the city of David. 
After him, Nehemiah, Hasbuk's son, the official in charge of half the district of Bethzur, made repairs all the way to a point across from the tombs of David, as far as the pool and the soldiers' barracks. After him, the Levites, including Rehum, Bani's son, made repairs. Next to him, Hashabai, the official in charge of half the district of Keila, made repairs for his district. After him, their relatives made repairs. This included Binui, Henadad's son, the official in charge of half the district of Keila. Next to him, Azer, Jeshua's son, the official in charge of Mizpah, repaired a section across from the ascent to the armory at the angle. After him, Baruch, Zebai's son, made repairs on a section from the angle to the door of the house of the chief priest Eliashib. After him, Meramoth, son of Uriah and grandson of Hakos, made repairs on a section from the door of Eliashib's house to the end of Eliashib's house. After him, the priests who lived in that area made repairs. After them, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs across from their own homes. After them, Azariah, son of Maasiah, and grandson of Ananiah, made repairs next to his home. After him, Binui, Henadad's son, made repairs on a section from Azariah's home to the angle and to the corner of the wall. Palal, Uzai's son, made repairs across from the angle and the upper tower that projects from the king's palace to the guard's courtyard. After him, Pediah, Parosh's son, and the temple servants who were living on the offal made repairs on the wall as far as a point across from Watergate toward the east and the projecting tower. After him, the men from Tekoa repaired a section across from the large projecting tower as far as the wall of the offal. Above Horse Gate, the priest made repairs. Each priest made repairs across from his own home. After them, Zadok, Immer's son, made repairs across from his own home. After him, Shemaiah, Shechaniah's son, the guard at East Gate, made repairs. After him, Hananiah, Shelemiah's son, and Hanun, Zalav's sixth son, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, Berechiah's son, made repairs across from his living quarters. After him, Malchiah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the building that housed the temple servants and merchants across from Inspection Gate and as far as the upper room at the corner. The goldsmiths and merchants made repairs between the upper room at the corner and Sheep Gate. Nehemiah chapter 4 When Sanballat heard we were rebuilding the wall, he became enraged and made fun of the Jews. In front of his allies and the army from Samaria, he said, what do these miserable Jews think they're doing? Can they rebuild it by themselves? Are they going to offer sacrifices? Can they finish it in a day? Will they get the stones out of the rubbish heaps, burned as these stones are, and give them new strength? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside Sanballat, said, Even a fox would make their stone wall collapse, if it walked on top of what they're building. Nehemiah prayed, Our God hear us, we are despised. Turn their insults back on them, and let them be robbed in the land where they are prisoners. Don't ignore their guilt, and don't let their sins disappear from your records. They have insulted you in front of these builders. So we rebuilt the wall, which was rebuilt to about half its original height. The people worked with determination. When Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people from Ashdod heard that the repair work on the walls of Jerusalem was making progress, and that the gaps were being filled in, they became furious. All of them plotted to attack Jerusalem to create confusion. But we prayed to our God and set guards to protect us day and night. Then the people of Judah said, 
The work crews are worn out, and there is too much rubble. We can't continue to rebuild the wall. Our enemy said, Before they know what is happening or see a thing, we will be right in the middle of them. We'll kill them and bring the work to an end. Jews who were living near our enemies warned us ten times that our enemies would attack us from every direction. That is why I positioned people by their families behind the wall where it was lowest and most exposed. The people were armed with swords, spears, and bows. I looked them over and proceeded to tell the nobles, the leaders, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of our enemies. Remember how great and awe-inspiring the Lord is. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we knew about their plots and that God had prevented their plans from being successful, we all went back to the work on the wall. Each person performed his own job. From that day on, half of my men worked on the wall, and the other half were wearing body armor and holding spears, shields, and bows. The leaders stood behind all the Judeans who were rebuilding the wall. The workers who were carrying loads did the work with one hand and held their weapons with the other, and each builder had his sword fastened to his side. The man who was supposed to sound the trumpet alarm was with me. I told the nobles, the leaders, and the rest of the people, so much work has to be done in different places that we are widely separated from one another on the wall. When you hear the trumpet, assemble around me. Our God will fight for us. So we continued to work. Half of us held spears from early dawn until the stars came out. At that time I told the people, Every man and his servant should stay overnight in Jerusalem so that we can set a guard at night and work during the day. My brothers, my servants, and the guards assigned to me never changed their clothes, neither did I. We each kept our weapons at hand. Nehemiah chapter 5 Then some of the people, the men and their wives, complained publicly about their Jewish relatives. Some of them said, We have large families. We need some grain if we are going to eat and stay alive. Others said, We've had to mortgage our fields, our vineyards, and our homes in order to get some grain because of this famine. Others said, We had to borrow money to pay the king's taxes on our fields and vineyards. We have the same flesh and blood as our relatives. Our children are just like theirs, yet we have to force our sons and daughters to become slaves. Some of our daughters have already become slaves, but we can't do anything else when our fields and vineyards belong to others. I became furious when I heard their complaint and what they had to say. After thinking it over, I confronted the nobles and the leaders. I told them, You are charging interest on loans made to your own relatives. I arranged for a large meeting to deal with them. Then I told them, We have done our best to buy back our Jewish relatives who had been sold to other nations. Now you are selling your Jewish relatives so that we have to buy them back again. They were unable to say anything. I added, what you're doing is wrong. Shouldn't you live in the fear of our God to keep our enemies from ridiculing us? My brothers, my servants, and I are lending money and grain to the poor, but we must stop charging them interest. You must return their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their homes today. Also, you must return the interest on the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil you've been charging them. They responded, We'll return it and not try to get it from them again. We'll do what you say. Then I called the priests and made them swear to do what they promised. I brushed off my clothes and said, In the same way, may God brush off from home and work everyone who refuses to keep this promise. In the same way, may everyone be brushed off and left with nothing. Then the whole congregation said, Amen, and praised the Lord. The people did what they had promised. 
During the twelve years that I was governor of Judah, from the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes' reign to the thirty-second year of his reign, my brothers and I never ate any food that was paid for by the governor's food allowance. Those who were governors before me had made life difficult for the people by taking from them food and wine plus one pound of silver. Even the governor's servants took advantage of their power over the people. But I didn't do that, because I feared God. Instead, I put my best effort into the work on this wall, and we bought no land. All my men gathered here for work. I fed 150 Jewish leaders and their people who came to us from the surrounding nations. Preparing one ox and six choice sheep was necessary every day. Poultry was prepared for me. Once every ten days, a supply of wine was ordered. Yet in spite of all this, I never demanded anything from the governor's food allowance, because these people were already carrying a heavy load. Remember me, my God. Consider everything that I have done for these people. Nehemiah chapter 6 Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that no gaps had been left in it, although at that time I had not yet hung the doors in the city gates. Then Sanballat and Geshem sent this message to me. Let's meet in Hakefirim, on the plain of Ono. They were planning to harm me. I sent messengers to tell them, I'm working on an important project and can't get away. Why should the work stop while I leave to meet with you? They sent the same message to me four times, and I answered them the same way. When Sanballat sent me the same message a fifth time, his servant held in his hand an unsealed letter. In it was written, it has been reported throughout the nations, and Geshem has confirmed it, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. That's why you're rebuilding the wall. According to this report, you want to become their king. You've appointed prophets to announce about you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. This report will get back to the king, so let's talk about this. Then I sent someone to tell him, None of your accusations are true. You are making them up out of your own imagination. They were all trying to intimidate us. They thought we would give up and not finish the work, but God made me strong. One day I went to the home of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, and grandson of Mehetabel. Shemaiah, who was confined to his house, said, Let's meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and close the temple doors. Some men are coming at night to kill you. But I asked, should a man like me run away? Would a man like me go into the temple to save his life? I won't go. Then I realized that God hadn't sent him. Instead, Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him to prophesy against me. He was hired to intimidate me into doing this so that I would sin. Then they could give me a bad reputation in order to discredit me. Nehemiah prayed, My God, remember what Tobiah and Sanballat have done. Also remember the female prophet Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. The wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul. The wall took 52 days to finish. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence. They realized we had done this work with the help of our God. In those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah sent many letters back to them. Many in Judah had promised to support Tobiah because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, Arah's son. In addition, Tobiah's son, Jehohanan, had married the daughter of Meshulam, Berechiah's son. The nobles were singing Tobiah's praises to me and reporting to him what I said. Tobiah kept sending letters to intimidate me. Nehemiah chapter 7
The gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites were assigned their duties after the wall had been rebuilt, and I had hung the doors. I put my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, in charge of Jerusalem. Hananiah was a trustworthy man, and he feared God more than most people do. I told them, The gates of Jerusalem should not be opened at the hottest time of the day. While the gatekeepers are still standing there, they should shut the doors and bar them. Order some of the men in Jerusalem to stand guard, some at their posts and others in front of their homes. The city was large and wide open. Few people were in it, and no houses were being built. Then my God put the idea into my head that I should gather the nobles, leaders, and people so that they could check their genealogy. I found the book with the genealogy of those who came back the first time. I found the following written in it. These were the people in the province. They were the ones who left the place where the exiles had been taken captive. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had taken them captive. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah. All of them went to their own cities. They went with Jerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Nahamani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispereth, Bigvai, Nehum, and Baana. This is the number of Israelite men from the people in exile. The descendants of Parosh, 2,172. Of Shephatiah, 372. Of Ara, 652. Of Pahath Moab, that is, of Jeshua and Joab, 2,818. Of Elam, 1,254. Of Zatu, 845. Of Zakai, 760. Of Binui, 648. Of Bebai, 628. Of Asgad, 2,322. Of Adonaikam, 667. Of Bigvai, 2,067. Of Adan, 655. Of Ater, that is Hezekiah, 98. Of Hashum, 328. Of Bezei, 324. Of Harif, 112. Of Gibeon, 95. The people of Bethlehem and Natofa, 188. Of Anathoth, 128. Of Beth Azmaveth, 42. Of Kiriath Jirim, Chephirah, and Beeroth, 743. Of Ramah and Geba, 621. Of Mikmas, 122. Of Bethel and Ai, 123. Of the other Nebo, 52. Of the other Elam, 1254. Of Harim, 320. Of Jericho, 345. Of Lod, Hadid, and Ono, 721. Of Sena'a, 3930. These priests returned from exile, the descendants of Jediah, through the family of Jeshua, 973, of Emer, 1052, of Pashur, 1247, of Harim, 1017. These Levites returned from exile, the descendants of Jeshua, that is, of Kadmiel, and of Hodeiah, 74. These singers returned from exile, the descendants of Asaph, 148. These gatekeepers returned from exile, the descendants of Shalom, Ater, Talmon, Akub, Hatata, and Shobai, 138. These temple servants returned from exile, the descendants of Ziha, Hasufa, Tabaoth, Keros, Sia, Padon, Lebana, Hagaba, Shalmai, Hanan, Gidel, Kahar, Reaya, Rezin, Nekoda, Guzaim, Uza, Pasea, Besai, Meunim, Nefushashim, Babuk, Hakufa, Harhur, Bazlith, Mahida, Harsha, Barkos, Sisera, Tema, Nezia, and Hatifa. These descendants of Solomon's servants returned from exile, the descendants of Sotai, Sofereth, 
Perida, Jaala, Darkon, Gidel, Shephatiah, Atil, Pokereth, Hazebaim, and Ammon. The temple servants and the descendants of Solomon's servants totaled 392. The following people came from Tel-Melah, Tel-Harsha, Cherub, Adan, and Emer, but they couldn't prove they were Israelites on the basis of their father's family or their genealogy, the descendants of Delaiah, Tobiah, and Nekodah. These people totaled 642. These priests couldn't prove they were Israelites, the descendants of Hobaiah, Hakoz, and Barzillai, who had married one of the daughters of Barzillai from Gilead and took that family name. These people searched for their family names in the genealogical records, but their names couldn't be found there. For this reason, they were considered contaminated and couldn't be priests. The governor told them not to eat any of the most holy food until a priest could use the Urim and Thummim to settle the problem. The whole assembly totaled 42,360. In addition to the male and female servants who numbered 7,337, they also had 245 male and female singers. They had 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. Some of the heads of the families contributed to this work. The governor contributed the following to the treasury, nearly 18 pounds of gold, 50 bowls, and 530 robes for the priests. Some of the heads of the families contributed to the treasury for this work, 337 pounds of gold and 3,215 pounds of silver. The rest of the people contributed 337 pounds of gold, 2,923 pounds of silver, and 67 robes for the priests. The priests, Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and the rest of Israel settled in their own cities. When the seventh month came, the people of Israel were in their own cities. Nehemiah chapter 8. When the seventh month came, all the people gathered together in the courtyard in front of Watergate. They told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of Moses' teachings, which the Lord had commanded Israel to follow. Then Ezra, the priest, brought the teachings in front of the assembly. This included men, women, and any children who could understand what they heard. This took place on the first day of the seventh month. From daybreak until noon, he read from it in the courtyard in front of Watergate to the men, women, and children who could understand it. All the people listened to the book of Moses' teachings. Ezra the scribe stood on a raised wooden platform made for this occasion. Mattathiah, Shema, Anaiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maaseiah stood beside him on his right. Pedaiah, Mishael, Malkiah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam stood beside him on his left. Ezra, standing higher than all the other people, opened the book in front of all the people. As he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra thanked the Lord, the great God. All the people responded, Amen, Amen, as they raised their hands and then bowed with their faces to the ground and worshipped the Lord. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Serabiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kelaita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peleiah explained the teachings to the people while they were standing there. They read the book of God's teachings clearly and explained the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people told them, This is a holy day for the Lord your God. Don't mourn or cry. All the people were crying as they listened to the reading of God's teachings. Then he told them, 
Go, eat rich foods, drink sweet drinks, and send portions to those who cannot provide for themselves. Today is a holy day for the Lord. Don't be sad because the joy you have in the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people by saying, Listen, today is a holy day. Don't be sad. Then all the people went to eat and drink and to send portions. They had a big joyful celebration because they understood the words that had been explained to them. On the second day, the leaders of the families of all the people, including the priests and the Levites, met with Ezra the scribe to study the words of God's teachings. They found written in the teachings that the Lord had given an order, through Moses, that the people of Israel should live in booths during a festival in the seventh month. They should announce this command and send this message throughout all their cities and Jerusalem. Go to the mountains and get branches, olive and wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other thick-leaved branches, to make booths, as it is written. So the people went to get branches to make booths for themselves. Some made booths on their roofs, others in their courtyards, in the courtyards of God's temple, in the open area by Watergate, or in the open area at Ephraim Gate. The whole assembly that had come back from exile made booths and lived in them. From the time of Joshua, son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done this. There was a big joyful celebration. Day by day, from the first day of the festival to the last day, Ezra continued to read from the book of God's teachings. The people celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day they had a closing festival, assembly, in accordance with the regulations. Nehemiah chapter 9 When the Israelites assembled on the twenty-fourth day of this month, they fasted, wore sackcloth, and threw dirt on their heads. Those who were descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood and confessed their sins, as well as the wicked things their ancestors had done. They stood in their places, and for one-fourth of the day they listened as the book of the teachings of the Lord their God was read, and for another fourth of the day they confessed their sins and worshipped the Lord their God. Then Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shabaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Kanani stood on the stairs built for the Levites and cried loudly to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and thank the Lord your God. Creation. From everlasting to everlasting, your glorious name is praised and lifted high above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made heaven, the highest heaven, with all its armies. You made the earth and everything on it, the seas and everything in them. You give life to them all, and the armies of heaven worship you. Abraham, you are the Lord, the God who chose Abram, and took him from Ur of the Chaldeans, and gave him the name Abraham. You found that his heart was faithful to you. You made a promise to him to give the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites and Girgashites to his descendants. You kept your promise because you are fair. The Exodus. You saw how our ancestors suffered in Egypt, and you heard them crying at the Red Sea. You performed miraculous signs and did amazing things to Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people in his land, because you knew how arrogantly they were treating our ancestors. You made a name for yourself, a name which remains to this day. You divided the sea in front of them so that they could walk through the sea on dry ground. You threw into deep water those who pursued your people as someone throws a stone into raging water. Wandering in the wilderness. 
You led them during the day by a column of smoke, and during the night by a column of fire to give them light to see the way they should go. You came from heaven to Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven. You gave them fair rules, trustworthy teachings, and good laws and commandments. You taught them about your holy day of worship. You gave them commandments, laws, and teachings through your servant Moses. You gave them bread from heaven to satisfy their hunger, and made water flow from a rock to quench their thirst. You told them to take possession of the land that you swore you would give them. But they, our own ancestors, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and wouldn't obey your commands. They refused to listen. They forgot the miracles you performed for them. They became stubborn and appointed a leader to take them back to slavery in Egypt. But you are a forgiving God, one who is compassionate, merciful, patient, and always ready to forgive. You never abandoned them. Even when they made a metal statue of a calf for themselves and said, This is your God who took you out of Egypt, they committed outrageous sins. But because of your endless compassion, you didn't abandon them in the desert. The column of smoke didn't leave them during the day, but it led them on their way. The column of fire didn't leave them during the night, but it gave them light to see the way they should go. You gave them your good spirit to teach them. You didn't keep your manna to yourself. You gave them water to quench their thirst. You provided for them in the desert for forty years, and they had everything they needed. Their clothes didn't wear out, and their feet didn't swell. Conquest of Canaan. You gave kingdoms and nations to the Israelites and assigned them their boundaries. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of king Og of Bashan. You made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky. You brought them into the land you told their parents to enter and possess. Their children took possession of the land. You defeated for them the Canaanites who lived in the land. You handed the Canaanite kings and their people over to them to do whatever they wanted with the Canaanites. The Israelites captured fortified cities and a rich land. They took possession of houses filled with all sorts of good things, cisterns, vineyards, olive trees, and plenty of fruit trees. So they ate and were satisfied and grew fat. They enjoyed the vast supply of good things you gave them. Israel's Rebellion But they were defiant and rebelled against you. They threw your teachings over their shoulders and killed your prophets who warned them to turn back to you. They committed outrageous sins. You handed them over to their enemies who made them suffer. When they began to suffer, they cried to you. You heard them from heaven. You gave them saviors to rescue them from their enemies because of your endless compassion. As soon as they felt some relief, they were again doing what you considered evil. You abandoned them to their enemies who conquered them. They cried to you again, and you heard them from heaven. You rescued them many times because of your compassion. You warned them in order to bring them back to your teachings. But they became arrogant and would not obey your commandments. They sinned by not following your regulations. If anyone follows them, he will find life in them. But they gave you the cold shoulder, became impossible to deal with, and wouldn't listen. You were patient with them for many years. You warned them by your spirit through your prophets. However, they wouldn't listen. So you handed them over to the people in the surrounding nations. But your compassion is endless. You didn't destroy them or abandon them. You are a merciful and compassionate God, the present. And now, our God, you are the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God. You faithfully keep your promises. 
Do not consider all the hardships that we have been going through as unimportant. The hardships have come to our kings, leaders, priests, prophets, ancestors, and all your people from the time of the kings of Assyria until now. But you were fair about everything that has happened to us. You have been faithful, but we have been wicked. Our kings, leaders, priests, and ancestors didn't obey your teachings. They didn't pay attention to your commandments or the warnings that you gave them. When they lived in their own kingdom and enjoyed the many good things that you gave them in a vast fertile land which was set in front of them, they didn't serve you or turn away from their wicked lives. Look at us now. We're slaves. In the land you gave our ancestors, they could eat its produce and enjoy its good things, but now we're slaves. The many products from our land go to the kings you put over us. This is because of our sins. These kings have control over our bodies, and they do as they please with our livestock. We are in agony. We are making a binding agreement and putting it in writing because of all this. Our leaders, Levites, and priests are putting their seals on the document. Nehemiah chapter 10. The following people seal the agreement. Governor Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, Zedekiah, Sarahiah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pashur, Amariah, Malchiah, Hatush, Shebaniah, Maluch, Harim, Meremoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Ginnathon, Baruch, Meshalum, Abijah, Mijamin, Maaziah, Bilgai, and Shemaiah. These were the priests. These were the Levites, Jeshua, son of Azaniah, Binui, of the sons of Henadad, Kadmiel, and their relatives, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Kelaita, Peleiah, Hanan, Micah, Rehob, Hashabiah, Zakur, Sherebiah, Shebaniah, Odiah, Bani, and Beninu. These were the leaders of the people, Parosh, Pahath Moab, Elam, Zatu, Bani, Buni, Azgad, Babai, Adonijah, Bigvai, Adin, Ater, Hezekiah, Asur, Odiah, Hashum, Bezai, Harif, Anathoth, Nebai, Magpayash, Meshulam, Hazer, Meshezabel, Zadak, Jadua, Pelatiah, Hanan, Anaiah, Hoshea, Hananiah, Hashub, Halohesh, Pilha, Shobek, Rehum, Hashabna, Maasiah, Ahiah, Hanan, Anan, Maluch, Harim, and Baana. The rest of the people took an oath. These people included the priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all who had separated themselves from the inhabitants of the land for the sake of God's teachings. Their wives, sons, daughters, and everyone who was capable of understanding also took an oath. They joined their relatives, the nobles, in binding themselves with a curse and an oath to follow God's teachings given by Moses, God's servant. They also bound themselves to follow all the commandments, rules, and regulations of the Lord, our Lord. We will not allow our daughters to marry the inhabitants of the land or allow their daughters to marry our sons. If the inhabitants of the land bring merchandise or grain to sell on the day of worship, we won't buy anything from them on the day of worship or any other holy day. During the seventh year, we won't plant the fields or collect any debts. Also, we take upon ourselves the obligation to give an eighth of an ounce of silver every year for worship in our God's temple, for rows of the bread of the presence, and for the daily grain offerings and daily burnt offerings on the weekly days of worship and on the new moon festivals and at the appointed annual festivals for the holy gifts and offerings for sin that make peace with God for Israel and for all the other work in the temple of our God." 
We, priests, Levites, and lay people, have drawn lots to decide the order in which the heads of our family should bring wood to our God's temple to burn on the altar of the Lord our God at appointed times every year according to the directions of the teachings. We have drawn lots to decide who should bring the first produce harvested and the first fruit from every tree each year to the Lord's temple. Following the directions in the teachings, we have drawn lots to decide who should bring the firstborn of our sons, our cattle, and our flocks to the priests serving in our God's temple. Also, we have drawn lots to decide who should bring the best of our coarse flour, contributions, fruit from every tree, new wine, and olive oil to the priests, to the storerooms. We will bring for the Levites one-tenth of the produce from our fields, because the Levites are the ones who collect one-tenth of the produce from all our farm communities. A priest, one of Aaron's descendants, should be with the Levites when they collect the tenth. Then the Levites should bring one-tenth of these tenths to our God's temple into the rooms of the storehouses there. The Israelites and the Levites should bring into the storerooms their contributions of grain, new wine, and olive oil. They should bring these products to the place where the utensils of the holy place are and where the priests who serve and the gatekeepers and the singers are. We won't neglect our God's temple. Nehemiah chapter 11 The leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people drew lots to bring one out of every ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city. The remaining nine-tenths were supposed to live in the other cities. The people blessed everyone who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These were the officials of the province who settled in Jerusalem, some Israelites, priests, Levites, temple servants, and descendants of Solomon's servants settled in the cities of Judah. They lived on their own property in their own cities. Some of the descendants of Judah and of Benjamin settled in Jerusalem. The descendants of Judah were Athaiah, who was the son of Uzziah, who was the son of Zechariah, who was the son of Amariah who was the son of Shephatiah, who was the son of Mahalalel, who was the son of Perez. Maasiah was the son of Baruch, who was the son of kol who was the son of Hazaiah, who was the son of Adaiah, who was the son of Joarib, who was the son of Zechariah, who was the son of Shaloni. All the descendants of Perez who settled in Jerusalem were 468 outstanding men. These are the descendants of Benjamin, Salu, who was the son of Meshulam, who was the son of Joed, who was the son of Pedeiah, who was the son of Koleiah, who was the son of Maaseiah, who was the son of Ithiel, who was the son of Jeshaiah, and after him Gabai and Salei. The number of Benjamin's descendants totaled 928. Joel, son of Zikri, was in charge, and Judah, son of Senua, was second in command over the city. These were the priests, Jedeiah, son of Joarib, Jachin, Seriah, who was the son of Hilkiah, who was the son of Meshulam, who was the son of Zadok, who was the son of Merioth, who was the son of Ahitub, who was the supervisor of God's temple. From Seriah's relatives, 822 did the work in the temple. Also Adaiah worked in the temple. He was the son of Jeroham, who was the son of Peleliah, who was the son of Amzi, who was the son of Zechariah, who was the son of Pashur, who was the son of Malchiah. Adaiah's relatives, the heads of the families, totaled 242. Amashiah was the son of Azarel, who was the son of Aziah, who was the son of Meshilamoth, who was the son of Emer. Their relatives, who were warriors, totaled 128. The man in charge of them was Zabdiel, son of Hagedolim. 
These were the Levites, Shemaiah, who was the son of Hashub, who was the son of Azirkam, who was the son of Hashabiah, who was the son of Buni, Shabbatiah and Josabad, Levite leaders, who were in charge of the work outside God's temple. Bataniah was the son of Micah, who was the son of Zabdi, who was the son of Asaph, the leader who led the prayer of thanksgiving. The Levite leader, Bakbukiah, was the second in command among his relatives, and so was Abda, who was the son of Shamua, who was the son of Galal, who was the son of Jeduthum. All the Levites in the holy city totaled 284. These were the gatekeepers. Akub, Talmon, and their relatives who guarded the gates totaled 172. The rest of the Israelites, priests, and Levites lived in all the cities of Judah. Everyone lived on his own inherited property. But the temple servants lived on Mount Ophel with Zichah and Gishpah in charge of them. The man in charge of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi, who was the son of Bani, who was the son of Hashabiah, who was the son of Mataniah, who was the son of Micah from Asaph's descendants, who were the singers in charge of worship in God's temple. They were under orders from the king, orders that determined which duties they should perform day by day. Pethahiah, son of Meshezabel, one of the descendants of Zerah, Judah's son, was the king's advisor on all matters concerning the people. Many people lived in villages that had fields. Some people of Judah lived in Kiriath Arba and its villages, in Dibon and its villages, in Jacobzil and its villages, in Jeshua, Molada, and Beth Pelet, in Hazar Shual, in Beersheba and its villages, in Ziklag and in Mekona and its villages, in Enrimon, Zora, Jarmuth, Zanoa, and Adulam and their villages, in Lachish and its fields, and in Azekah and its villages. So they settled in the land from Beersheba to the valley of Hinnom. Benjamin's descendants live in the area of Geba, in Michmash, Aijah, Bethel and its villages, in Anathoth, Nob, Ananiah, Hazor, Ramah, Gitaim, Hadid, Zeboim, Nabalat, Lod, Ono, and in the valley of the craftsmen. Some divisions of Levites in Judah were assigned to Benjamin. Nehemiah chapter 12. These are the priests and Levites who came back with Zerubbabel, Shealtiel's son, and Jeshua, Seraiah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Maluk, Hatush, Shechaniah, Rehum, Meramoth, Edo, Ginnathoi, Abijah, Majamin, Maadiah, Bilgah, Shemaiah, Joiarib, Jedeiah, Salu, Hamuk, Hilkiah, and Jedeiah. These were the leaders of the priests and of their relatives at the time of Jeshua. The Levites were Jeshua, Binui, Kadmiel, Sherebiah, Judah, and Mataniah, who, with his relatives, was in charge of the thanksgiving hymns. Their relatives, Bakbukiah and Uno, stood across from them in worship. Jeshua was the father of Joachim. Joachim was the father of Eliashib. Eliashib was the father of Jehoiada. Jehoiada was the father of Jonathan. Jonathan was the father of Jadua. At the time of Joachim, these were the priests who were the leaders of their families, from Seraiah, Meraiah, from Jeremiah, Hananiah, from Ezra, Mashulam, from Amariah, Jehohanan, from Malukai, Jonathan, from Shebaniah, Joseph, from Harim, Adna, from Merioth, Helkiah, from Edo, Zechariah, from Ginnathon, Meshulam, from Abijah, Zikri, from Minayamin, from Moadiah, Piltiah, from Bilgah, Shamua, from Shemaiah, Jehonathan, from Joarib, Mataniah, from Jediah, Uzi, from Salai, Kalai, from Amok, Eber, from Hilkiah, 
Hashabiah, from Jediah, Nathanael. The names of the family heads of the Levites and the priests at the time of Eliashib, Jehoiada, Jehonan, and Jaduah were recorded until the reign of Darius the Persian. The names of the family heads of the Levites were recorded in the book of Chronicles until the time of Johanan, grandson of Eliashib. The heads of the Levites were Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, son of Kadmiel. They and their relatives stood in groups across from one another to sing hymns of praise and thanksgiving antiphonally, as David, the man of God, had ordered. Mataniah, Bakbukiah, Obadiah, Meshulam, Talman, and Akub were gatekeepers, standing guard at the storehouses by the gates. They lived in the days of Joachim, son of Jeshua, grandson of Josadak, and in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest and scribe. When the wall of Jerusalem was going to be dedicated, they went to wherever the Levites lived and had them come to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication joyfully with hymns of thanksgiving, with songs and cymbals, and with harps and lyres. So the groups of singers came together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of Netopha, from Beth Gilgal, and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth. The singers had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites cleansed themselves, then they cleansed the people, the gates and the wall. Then I had the leaders of Judah come up on the wall, and I arranged two large choirs to give thanks and march in procession. One choir went to the right on the wall to Dungate, Hoshaiah and half of the leaders of Judah followed them. Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah also followed. So did some priests with trumpets. Zechariah, who was the son of Jonathan, who was the son of Shemaiah, who was the son of Mataniah, who was the son of Micaiah, who was the son of Zakur, who was the son of Asaph. Also these relatives of Zechariah followed, Shemaiah, Azarel, Melalai, Gilalai, Meai, Nathanael, Judah, and Hanani were the musical instruments of David, the man of God. Ezra the scribe led them. At Fountain Gate they went straight up the stairs of the city of David. There the wall rises past David's palace and reaches Watergate on the east. The other choir went to the left. I followed them with the other half of the people. We walked on the wall, past the Tower of the Ovens, as far as Broadwall, then past Ephraim Gate over Old Gate and Fish Gate, and by the Tower of Hananel, and the Tower of the Hundred, as far as Sheepgate. The choir stopped at God's gate. So both choirs stood in God's temple, as did I and the half of the leaders who were with me. Likewise these priests stood in God's temple, Eliakim, Maaseiah, Miniamin, Micaiah, Elionai, Zechariah, and Hananiah, with trumpets, and Maaseiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehohanan, Malkiah, Elam, and Ezer. The singers sang under the direction of Jezrahiah. That day they offered many sacrifices and rejoiced, because God had given them reason to rejoice. The women and children rejoiced as well. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard from far away. On that day men were put in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, the first produce harvested, and a tenth of the people's money. They stored in those rooms the gifts designated by Moses' teachings for the priests and Levites from the fields around the cities. The people of Judah were pleased with the ministry of the priests and Levites. They were doing what their God required, what needed to be done for cleansing. The singers and the gatekeepers did what David and his son Solomon had ordered them to do. Long ago in the time of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the singers to lead in singing the songs of praise and hymns of thanksgiving to God. 
At the time of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, all the Israelites were giving gifts for the daily support of the singers and the gatekeepers. They set aside holy gifts for the daily support of the Levites, and the Levites set aside holy gifts for support of Aaron's descendants. Chapter 13 On that day the book of Moses was read while the people were listening. They heard the passage that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into God's assembly. After all, they didn't welcome the Israelites with food and water. Instead, they hired Balaam to curse the Israelites. But our God turned the curse into a blessing. After the people heard this teaching, they separated the non-Israelites from the Israelites. Even before this, the priest Eliashib, who was related to Tobiah and had been put in charge of the storerooms of our God's temple, had provided a large room for Tobiah. Previously, this room had been used to store grain offerings, incense, utensils, a tenth of all the grain harvested, new wine, and olive oil. These things belonged by law to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers. The contributions for the priests had also been stored there. While all of this was taking place, I wasn't in Jerusalem. In the thirty-second year of King Artaxerxes' reign in Babylon, I returned to the king. Later I asked the king for permission to return. I went to Jerusalem and discovered the evil thing Eliashib had done by providing Tobiah with a room in God's temple. I was furious, so I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Then I told them to cleanse the rooms, and I put back in there the utensils from God's temple, the offerings, and the incense. I learned that the Levites had not been given their portions, so each of the Levites and singers who conducted the worship in the temple had left for their own fields. I reprimanded the leaders. Why is God's temple being neglected, I asked. So I brought the Levites back together and put them back in their places of service. Then all Judah brought a tenth of all the grain harvested, new wine, and olive oil to the storerooms. I appointed the following men to be in charge of the storerooms, Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Pediah the Levite, and I appointed Hanan, son of Zakur, and grandson of Mataniah, to help them. Since they could be trusted, I made them responsible for distributing the portions to their relatives. Nehemiah prayed, Remember me for what I have done, my God, and don't wipe out the good things that I have done for your temple and for the worship that is held there. In those days I saw people in Judah stomping grapes in the wine presses on the day of worship. I saw them bringing in loads of wine, grapes, figs, and every other kind of load. They piled the loads on donkeys and brought them into Jerusalem on the day of worship. I warned them about selling food on that day. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of goods. They were selling them on the day of worship to the people of Judah, even in Jerusalem. I reprimanded the nobles of Judah and asked them, What is this evil thing you're doing? How dare you treat the day of worship as unholy? Isn't this what your ancestors did with the results that our God brought all these evils on us and on this city? Now you're making him even more angry with Israel by treating the day of worship as unholy. Before the day of worship, when the gates of Jerusalem were cleared of traffic, I ordered the doors to be shut and not to be reopened until after the day of worship. I stationed some of my men by the gates to make sure that no loads could be brought in on the day of worship. Once or twice, merchants and those who sell all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. I warned them, Why are you spending the night in front of the wall? I asked them, If you do it again, I'll arrest you. After that, they no longer came on the day of worship. Then I told the Levites to cleanse themselves and guard the gates to keep the day of worship holy. Nehemiah prayed, Remember me also for this, my God, and spare me, since you are very kind. 
In those days I saw some Jews who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half their children spoke the language of Ashdod, or one of the other languages, but they couldn't understand the language of Judah well enough to speak it. So I reprimanded those Jews, cursed them, beat some of them, and pulled out their hair. I made them swear by God, We won't allow our daughters to marry their sons, and we won't allow their daughters to marry us or our sons. I said, Wasn't it because of marriages like these that King Solomon of Israel sinned? There wasn't a king like him among all nations. God loved him, and God made him king of all Israel. But his non-Israelite wives led him to sin. Should we follow your example, commit such a serious crime against our God, and be unfaithful to him by marrying non-Israelite women? Even one of Joiada's sons was a son-in-law of Sanballat from Beth-Horon. Joiada was the son of the chief priest Eliashib. I chased Joiada's son away from me. Nehemiah prayed, Remember them, my God, because they have contaminated the priestly office and the promise you made to the priests and Levites. So I cleansed them from everything that was foreign. I assigned duties to the priests and Levites. Each one had his own assignment. I also arranged for delivering wood at regular times and for bringing the first produce to be harvested. Nehemiah prayed, Remember me, my God, for my benefit. Esther chapter 1 in the days of Xerxes, the following events took place. This was the same Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces from India to Sudan. At the time when King Xerxes sat on the royal throne in the fortress of Susa, he held a banquet in the third year of his reign. The banquet was for all his officials and advisers, that is, the military officers of the Persians and Medes, the nobles and officials of the provinces who had access to him. He showed them the enormous wealth of his kingdom and the costly splendor of his greatness for many days, 180 to be exact. When those days were over, the king held a banquet lasting seven days. This banquet was held in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all people in the fortress of Susa, whatever their rank. The garden had white and violet linen curtains. These curtains were attached to silver rods and marble pillars by cords made of white and purple fine linen. Gold and silver couches were on a mosaic pavement of purple rock, white marble, pearl-like stone, and black marble. People drank from golden cups. No two cups were alike. The king also provided plenty of royal wine out of his royal generosity. The drinking followed this rule. Drink as you please. The king had ordered all the waiters in his palace to let everyone do as he pleased. Queen Vashti also held a banquet for the women at the royal palace of King Xerxes. On the seventh day, when the king was drunk on wine, he ordered Mahuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zethar, and Karkas, the seven eunuchs who served under King Xerxes, to bring Queen Vashti in front of the king, wearing her royal crown. He wanted to show the people, especially the officials, her beauty, because she was very attractive. But Queen Vashti refused the king's command that the eunuchs delivered to her. As a result, the king became very angry, and his rage burned inside him. Now the king usually asked for advice from all the experts in royal decrees and decisions, from those closest to him. Karshena, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Meres, Marsena, and Memukan. These seven officials of the Persians and Medes had access to the king and held the highest rank in the kingdom. The king asked these wise men who knew the times, According to the royal decrees, what must we do with Queen Vashti, since she did not obey King Xerxes' command, which the eunuchs delivered? Then Memukan spoke up in the presence of the king and the officials. Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but also against all the officials and all the people in every province of King Xerxes. 
The news of what the queen has done will spread to all women, and they will despise their husbands. They will say, King Xerxes ordered Queen Vashti to be brought to him, but she would not come. Today the wives of the officials in Persia and Media, who have heard what the queen did, will talk back to all the king's officials. There will be contempt and short tempers. If it pleases you, your majesty, issue a royal decree. It should be recorded in the decrees of the Persians and Medes, never to be repealed, that Vashti may never again appear in front of King Xerxes. Furthermore, your majesty, you should give her royal position to another woman who is more worthy than she. When you issue your decree, your whole kingdom, great as it is, will hear it. Then all the wives will honor their husbands regardless of their status. The king and his officials approved of this, and so the king did as Memucan suggested. He sent official documents to all the king's provinces, to each province in its own script, and to the people in each province in their own language. Let every husband be the ruler of his own house, and speak with authority. Esther, chapter 2. Later, when King Xerxes got over his raging anger, he remembered Vashti, what she had done, and what had been decided against her. So the king's personal staff said to him, Search for attractive young virgins for the king, and appoint scouts in all the provinces of your kingdom to gather all the attractive young virgins, and bring them to the fortress of Susa, to the women's quarters. There, in the care of the king's eunuch Hegai, the guardian of the women, they will have their beauty treatment. Then the young woman who pleases you, your majesty, will become queen instead of Vashti. The king liked the suggestion, and so he did just that. In the fortress of Susa there was a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, named Mordecai. He was the son of Jair, the grandson of Shimei, and the great-grandson of Kish. Kish had been taken captive from Jerusalem, together with the others who had gone into exile, along with Judah's king Jehoiakim, whom King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had carried away. Mordecai had raised Hadassah, also known as Esther, his uncle's daughter, because she was an orphan. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was very attractive. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her as his own daughter. When the king's announcement and decree were heard, many young women were gathered together and brought to the fortress of Susa. They were placed in the care of Hegai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and placed in the care of Hegai, the guardian of the women. The young woman pleased him and won his affection, so he immediately provided her with a beauty treatment, a daily supply of food, and seven suitable female servants from the king's palace. Then he moved her and her servants to the best place in the women's quarters. Esther did not reveal her nationality or her family background because Mordecai had ordered her not to. Every day Mordecai would walk back and forth in front of the courtyard of the women's quarters to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Each young woman had her turn to go to King Xerxes after she had completed the required twelve-month treatment for women. The time of beauty treatment was spent as follows six months using oil of myrrh, and six months using perfumes and other treatments for women. After that, the young woman would go to the king. Anything she wanted to take with her from the women's quarters to the king's palace was given to her. She would go in the evening and come back in the morning to the other quarters for women. There she would be in the care of the king's eunuch, Shashgaz, the guardian of the concubines. She never went to the king again unless the king desired her and requested her by name. Esther was the daughter of Abihail, Mordecai's uncle. Mordecai had adopted her as his own daughter. When Esther's turn came to go to the king, she asked only for what the king's eunuch Hegai, the guardian of the women, advised. Everyone who saw Esther liked her. So Esther was taken to King Xerxes in his royal palace in the month of Tebeth, the tenth month, in the seventh year of his reign.
Now the king loved Esther more than all the other women, and favored her over all the other virgins. So he put the royal crown on her head, and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king held a great banquet for Esther. He invited all his officials and his advisers. He also declared that day a holiday in the provinces, and he handed out gifts from his royal generosity. When the virgins were gathered a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther still had not revealed her family background or nationality, as Mordecai had ordered her. Esther always did whatever Mordecai told her, as she did when she was a child. In those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the entrance, became angry and planned to kill King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about it and informed Queen Esther. Then Esther told the king on behalf of Mordecai, when the report was investigated and found to be true, the dead bodies of Bigthan and Teresh were hung on a pole. The matter was written up in the king's presence in his official record of daily events. Esther, chapter 3. Later, King Xerxes promoted Haman. Haman was the son of Hamedatha and was from Agag. He gave Haman a position higher in authority than all the other officials who were with him. All the king's advisers were at the king's gate, kneeling and bowing to Haman with their faces touching the ground, because the king had commanded it. But Mordecai would not kneel and bow to him. Then the king's advisers at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why do you ignore the king's command? Although they asked him day after day, he paid no attention to them. So they informed Haman to see if Mordecai's actions would be tolerated, since Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not kneel and bow to him, Haman was infuriated. Because the king's advisers had informed him about Mordecai's nationality, he thought it beneath himself to kill only Mordecai. So Haman planned to wipe out Mordecai's people, all the Jews in the entire kingdom of Xerxes. In Xerxes' twelfth year as king, poor, which means the lot, was thrown in front of Haman for every day of every month, from Nisan, the first month, until Adar, the twelfth month. Now Haman told King Xerxes, Your Majesty, there is a certain nationality scattered among, but separate from, the nationalities in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws differ from those of all other nationalities. They do not obey your decrees. So it is not in your interest to tolerate them, Your Majesty. If you approve, have the orders for their destruction be written. For this I will pay seven hundred fifty thousand pounds of silver to your treasurers to be put in your treasury. At that the king removed his signet ring and gave it to Haman, the enemy of the Jews. Haman was the son of Hamadatha and was from Agag. The king told Haman, You can keep your silver and do with the people whatever you like. On the thirteenth day of the first month the king's scribes were summoned. All Haman's orders were written to the king's satraps, the governors of every province and the officials of every people. They wrote to each province in its own script and to the people in each province in their own language. The orders were signed in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with the king's ring. Messengers were sent with official documents to all the king's provinces. The people were ordered to wipe out, kill, and destroy all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, the month of Adar. Their possessions were also to be seized. A copy of the document was made public in a decree to every province. All the people were to be ready for this day. The messengers hurried out as the king told them. The decree was also issued at the fortress of Susa. So the king and Haman sat down to drink a toast, but the city of Susa was in turmoil. Esther, Chapter 4 
When Mordecai found out about everything that had been done, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. He went into the middle of the city and cried loudly and bitterly. He even went right up to the king's gate. No one could enter it wearing sackcloth. In every province touched by the king's command and decree, the Jews went into mourning, fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many put on sackcloth and ashes. Esther's servants and eunuchs came and informed her about Mordecai. The queen was stunned. She sent clothing for Mordecai to put on in place of his sackcloth, but he refused to accept it. Then Esther called for Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs, appointed to serve her. She commanded him to go to Mordecai and find out what was going on and why. So Hathach went out to Mordecai in the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai informed him about everything that had happened to him. He told him the exact amount of silver that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasury to destroy the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the decree that was issued in Susa. The decree gave permission to exterminate the Jews. Hathach was supposed to show it to Esther to inform and command her to go to the king, beg him for mercy, and appeal to him for her people. So Hathach returned and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to say to Mordecai, All the king's advisers and the people in the king's provinces know that no one approaches the king in the throne room without being summoned. By law that person must be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to him will he live. I myself have not been summoned to enter the king's presence for thirty days now. So Esther's servants told Mordecai what Esther said. Mordecai sent this answer back to Esther. Do not imagine that just because you are in the king's palace you will be any safer than all the rest of the Jews. The fact is, even if you remain silent now, someone else will help and rescue the Jews, but you and your relatives will die. And who knows, you may have gained your royal position for a time like this. Esther sent this reply back to Mordecai. Assemble all the Jews in Susa. Fast for me. Do not eat or drink at all for three entire days. My servants and I will also fast. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against a royal decree. If I die, I die. Mordecai did just as Esther had commanded him. Esther, chapter 5. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes. She stood in the courtyard of the king's palace, facing the king's throne room. The king was sitting on the royal throne inside the palace, facing the entrance. When the king saw Queen Esther standing in the entrance, she won his favor. So the king held out the golden scepter that was in his hand to Esther. Esther went up to him and touched the top of the scepter. Then the king asked her, What is troubling you, Queen Esther? What would you like? Even if it is up to half of the kingdom, it will be granted to you. So Esther answered, If it pleases you, your majesty, come today with Haman to a dinner I have prepared for you. The king replied, Bring Haman right away and do whatever Esther asks. So the king and Haman came to the dinner that Esther had prepared. While they were drinking wine, the king asked Esther, What is your request? It will be granted to you. What would you like? Even if it is up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther answered, My request? What would I like? Your Majesty, come with Haman to a dinner I will prepare for you, and tomorrow I will answer you, Your Majesty. If I have found favor with you, Your Majesty, and if it pleases you, Your Majesty, may you then grant my request and do what I would like. When Haman left that day, he was happy and feeling good. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, neither getting up nor trembling in his presence, Haman was furious with Mordecai. However, Haman controlled himself, he went home and sent for his friends and his wife Zeresh. 
Then Haman began to relate in detail to them how very rich he was, the many sons he had, and all about how the king promoted him to a position over the officials and the king's advisers. Haman went on to say, What's more, Queen Esther allowed no one except me to come with the king to the dinner she had prepared, and again tomorrow I am her invited guest together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Have a pole set up seventy-five feet high, and in the morning ask the king to have Mordecai's dead body hung on it. Then go with the king to the dinner in good spirits. Amon liked the idea, so he had the pole set up. Esther, chapter 6. That night the king could not sleep, so he told a servant to bring the official daily records, and they were read to the king. The record showed how Mordecai had informed him that Dikthon and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the entrance, had plotted a rebellion against King Xerxes. The king asked, How did I reward and promote Mordecai for this? The king's personal staff replied, Nothing was done for him. The king asked, Who is in the courtyard? At that moment, Haman came through the courtyard to the king's palace to ask the king about hanging Mordecai and the pole he had prepared for him. The king's staff answered him, Haman happens to be standing in the courtyard. Let him come in, the king said. So Haman came in. The king then asked him, What should be done for the man whom the king wishes to reward? Haman thought to himself, Whom would the king wish to reward more than me? So Haman told the king, This is what should be done. The servant should bring a royal robe that the king has worn, and a horse that the king has ridden, one that has a royal crest on its head. Give the robe and the horse to one of the king's officials, who is a noble. Put the robe on the man whom the king wishes to reward, and have him ride on the horse in the city square. The king's servants are also to shout ahead of him, This is what is done for the man whom the king wishes to reward. The king told Haman, Hurry, take the robe and the horse, as you said. Do this for Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Do not omit anything you have said. So Haman took the robe and the horse. He put the robe on Mordecai and had him ride in the city square, shouting ahead of him, This is what is done for the man whom the king wishes to reward. After that Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried home. He was in despair and covered his head. There, Amon began to relate in detail to his wife Zeresh and to all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his counselors and his wife Zeresh told him, You are starting to lose power to Mordecai. If Mordecai is of Jewish descent, you will never win out over him. He will certainly lead to your downfall. While they were still speaking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly took Haman to the dinner Esther had prepared. Esther, chapter 7. So the king and Haman came to have dinner with Queen Esther. On the second day, while they were drinking wine, the king asked Esther, What is your request, Queen Esther? It will be granted to you. And what would you like? Even if it is up to half of the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, your majesty, spare my life. That is my request. And spare the life of my people. That is what I ask for. You see, we, my people and I, have been sold so that we can be wiped out, killed and destroyed. If our men and women had only been sold as slaves, I would have slept silent, because the enemy is not worth troubling you about, Your Majesty. Then King Xerxes interrupted Queen Esther and said, Who is this person? Where is the person who has dared to do this? Esther answered, Our vicious enemy is this wicked man Haman. 
Then Haman became panic-stricken in the presence of the king and queen. The king was furious as he got up from dinner and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg Queen Esther for his life, because he saw that the king had a terrible end in mind for him. When the king returned from the palace garden to the palace dining room, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was lying. The king thought, Is he even going to rape the queen while I am in the palace? Then the king passed sentence on him, and servants covered Haman's face. Harbona, one of the eunuchs present with the king, said, What a coincidence! The seventy-five-foot pole Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke up for the well-being of the king, is still standing at Haman's house. The king responded, Hang him on it. So servants hung Haman's dead body on the very pole he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king got over his raging anger. Esther, chapter 8. On that same day King Xerxes gave the property of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther. Also Mordecai came to the king because Esther had told him how Mordecai was related to her. Then the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther put Mordecai in charge of Haman's property. Esther spoke again to the king. She fell down at his feet crying and begged him to have mercy and to undo the evil plot of Haman, who was from Agag, and his conspiracy against the Jews. The king held out his golden scepter to Esther, and Esther got up and stood in front of the king. She said, Your Majesty, if it pleases you, and if I have found favor with you, if you consider my cause to be reasonable, and if I am pleasing to you, cancel the official orders concerning the plot of Haman, who was the son of Hamadatha, and was from Agag. He signed the order to destroy the Jews in all your provinces, your majesty. I cannot bear to see my people suffer such evil, and I simply cannot bear to see the destruction of my relatives. King Xerxes said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, I have given Haman's property to Esther, and Haman's dead body was hung on the pole because he tried to kill the Jews. You write what you think is best for the Jews in the king's name. Seal it also with the king's signet ring, because whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring cannot be cancelled. At that time, on the twenty-third day of Sivan, the third month, the king's scribes were summoned. What Mordecai had ordered was written to the Jews and to the satraps, governors and officers of the 127 provinces from India to Sudan. It was written to each province in its own script, to each people in their own language, and to the Jews in their own script and their own language. Mordecai wrote in King Xerxes' name and sealed the official documents with the king's signet ring. Then he sent them by messengers who rode special horses bred for speed. He wrote, that the king had given permission for the Jews in every city to assemble, to defend themselves, to wipe out, to kill, and to destroy every armed force of the people and province that is hostile to them, even women and children, and to seize their goods. This was permitted on one day in all the provinces of King Xerxes, on the thirteenth day of Adar, the twelfth month. The copy of the document was made public in a decree to every province for all people. On that day, the Jews were to be ready to take revenge on their enemies. The messengers rode the king's fastest horses. They left quickly in keeping with the king's command. The decree was issued also in the fortress of Susa. Mordecai went out from the presence of the king wearing the royal violet and white robe, a large gold crown, and a purple outer robe of fine linen. And the city of Susa cheered and rejoiced. So the Jews were cheerful, happy, joyful, and successful. In every province and every city where the king's message and decree arrived, the Jews were happy and joyful, feasting and enjoying a holiday. 
Then many common people pretended to be Jews because they were terrified of the Jews. Esther chapter 9. On the thirteenth day of Adar, the twelfth month, the king's commanded decree were to be carried out. On that very day, when the enemies of the Jews expected to overpower them, the exact opposite happened. The Jews overpowered those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Xerxes to kill those who were planning to harm them. No one could stand up against them, because all the people were terrified of them. All the officials of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and the king's treasurers assisted the Jews because they were terrified of Mordecai. Mordecai was an important man in the king's palace. Moreover, his reputation was spreading to all the provinces since Mordecai was becoming more and more powerful. Then with their swords the Jews attacked all their enemies, killing them, destroying them, and doing whatever they pleased to those who hated them. In the fortress of Susa the Jews killed and wiped out five hundred men. They also killed Parshandatha, Dalphon, Aspatha, Poratha, Adaliah, Aridatha, Parmashta, Arisai, Aridai, and Vaisatha. These were the ten sons of Haman, who was the son of Hamadatha, and the enemy of the Jews. But the Jews did not seize any of their possessions. On that day the number of those killed in the fortress of Susa was reported to the king. So the king said to Queen Esther, in the fortress of Susa the Jews have killed and wiped out five hundred men and Haman's ten sons. What must they have done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your request? It will be granted to you. And what else would you like? It too will be granted. Esther said, If it pleases you, your majesty, allow the Jews in Susa to do tomorrow what was decreed for today. Let them hang Haman's ten sons on poles. The king commanded this, issuing a decree in Susa, and so they hung Haman's ten sons on poles. The Jews in Susa also assembled on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar and killed three hundred men in Susa, but they did not seize any of their possessions. The other Jews who were in the king's provinces had also assembled to defend and free themselves from their enemies. They killed seventy-five thousand of those who hated them, but they did not seize any of their possessions. This was on the thirteenth day of the month of Adar. On the fourteenth they rested and made it a day of feasting and celebration. But the Jews in Susa had assembled on the thirteenth and fourteenth. They rested on the fifteenth and made it a day of feasting and celebration. That is why the Jews who live in the villages and in the unwalled towns make the fourteenth day of the month of Adar a holiday for feasting and celebration. They also send gifts of food to one another. Now Mordecai wrote these things down and sent official letters to all the Jews in all the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far. He established the fourteenth and fifteenth days of the month of Adar as days they must observe every year. They were to observe them just like the days when the Jews freed themselves from their enemies. In that month their grief turned to joy and their mourning into a holiday. He declared that these days are to be days for feasting and celebrating, and for sending gifts of food to one another, especially gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted as tradition what they had begun, as Mordecai had written to them. It was because Haman, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them. Haman was the son of Hamadatha, and was from Agag. Haman had the poor, which means the lot, thrown in order to determine when to crush and destroy them. But when this came to the king's attention, he ordered, in the well-known letter, that the evil plan Haman had plotted against the Jews should turn back on his own head. As a result, they hung Haman and his sons on poles. So the Jews called these days Purim, based on the word Pur. 
Therefore, because of everything that was said in this letter, both what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews established a tradition for themselves and their descendants, and for anyone who would join them. The tradition was that a person should never fail to observe these two days every year, as they were described, and at their appointed time. So these days must be remembered and observed in every age, family, province, and city. These days of Purim must not be ignored among the Jews, and the importance of these days must never be forgotten by the generations to come. Abahel's daughter Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew wrote with full authority in order to establish with this second letter the well-known celebration of Purim. Mordecai sent official documents granting peace and security to all the Jews in the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Xerxes. He did this in order to establish these days of Purim at the appointed time. Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther established them for themselves, as they had established for themselves and their descendants the practice of fasting with sadness. Esther's command had established these practices of Purim, and they are written in a book. Esther, chapter 10. King Xerxes levied attacks on the country and the islands of the sea. All his acts of power and might, along with the whole account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are recorded in the history of the kings of the Medes and Persians. Mordecai the Jew was ranked second only to King Xerxes. He was greatly respected by and popular with all of the other Jews, since he provided for the good of his people and spoke for the welfare of his fellow Jews.